to my darling Patricia. I can see all my dreams in your eyes. And hello, everybody. It is October the 7th, year 2017. And with that theme song, our Patricia is back. Hello, Patricia. Oh, hello, Walden. And I apologize to our family for being absent for so many weeks. And, you know, I kind of hop in and then have to hop out again. The hurricane season is not being kind to us. So we'll just be nice tonight and talk with the dean of the Charles W. Howard Santa Claus School in Midland, Michigan. And I'm going to ask her for ask him for some history. I've got Mrs. Claus on my brain right now. I'm going to ask him for some history on the school and have a great time. We are welcoming Tom, oh, help me with this. Tom, pronounce your last name for me, please. Uh, Valent, Tom Valent. Oh, see, I would, have, I would have been able to fudge my way through. That's the way I would have pronounced it. You would have. It. I would <laughs> have. I would have indeed. So would you talk about the history of the Santa Claus School? Hi, mm, I'm going to wait for the application process for a little bit. Um, your role <laughs> and Holly's role, you've been there for a bunch of years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So would you tell us the history of the Santa Claus School? I will. I will. It was uh, started by Charles W. Howard, and we still call it the Charles W. Howard Santa Claus School. Mm -hmm. Charlie was a farmer in upstate New York, Albion, New York. In 1937, he started this school. He saw a need to have... uh, Better Santas. He uh, he he began his uh, work uh, with Macy's. He was a Macy's Day Parade Santa, and he also was uh, technical director on the original Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street and just what Santa should be and uh, who he is and 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 the right character to play. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Charlie gave us a good start. The school was always small. I'm saying five to 15 Santas each year would uh, be members of the school. So this year mm-hmm. we're celebrating our 80th uh, anniversary, So, and the school has grown. It's, it's grown over the last 20, 25 years. Um, it's, really, it's really taken off, so... Uh, Right now we have a, a waiting list. There's 240 students come in this year, and about 25% of them are Mrs. Clauses. Really? Uh, oh, okay. yeah. Okay. You're, you're answering one of my questions. Where is Mrs. Claus in here? <laughs> yeah. So I went, I went to the school in uh, 1976, so this will be my 41st year at the school and uh, I still have a lot to learn I believe it's one of those things where you you build that interest that quest to be a good Santa and if you really understand the Santa spirit you want to learn more and you want to be as helpful as you can to to everyone you want to spread that Santa spirit yeah that is really interesting now how did you get into um, the administrative role of the school. 
administrative role. Well, uh, well, number one, I love being Santa. That's my first joy um, in the Santa world. Uh, but I was, um, Nate Doan was the second dean of the school after Charlie Howard. He was in Bay City, Michigan. And I went to Nate's school. That's the one I went to in 76. And um, that I was there for, we had school in Bay City for 10 years. In 1986, the school moved over, moved to Midland, Michigan. And uh, it moved there for a few reasons. That's where Holly and I lived. And Holly and I went to Nate's school every year since, 1976, and the school when Nate had it, it was a very, very good school. It, it was, um, but it, it was small, but very good. You know, you got a lot of one-on-one, and, mm-hmm. and I felt we learned a lot. And they still learn a lot today. It's just a little harder to uh, make sure everyone gets their gets the right set on the Santa spirit. You mm-hmm. can't teach someone how to be Santa in three days. You know, the school has always been, even since Charlie had it, you know, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, we actually run 40 hours during those three days. We uh, cover lots of good topics. And I say we cover them, we almost simply mention them and go through some exercises in each area. And then we have to keep moving on. Um, there's a lot to it. And what we try to do is let Santa understand what what he needs to know, let him let him learn some things that he wants to study. And uh, half our Santas come back each year. So out of that 240, there's 220 returning and 220 new ones. So it's kind of um, once they start coming to school, a lot of them will, will stay right with the school. That's impressive. How do you, <laughs> uh, the program itself that you're running keeps them coming back. I, I recognize that. But this is, it seems unusual to me that you would get that same kind of, of return. Yeah, yeah. You I think it's a camaraderie. Uh, they, they make good friends. Uh, uh-huh. You don't. Know, it's it's not that I teach them. It's that uh, they they learn from each other and they have each other to talk to and they, and they make friends and uh, they um, it, it's a group of good uh, of good men and women. It, it really is. So they're learn. Did I hear you correctly that you do not have staff teachers and not not staff but um, per yeah. diem or you know as needed. They're learning well, from each other as opposed to having instructors uh, in front of them. No, well, both, both. No, we have instructors, uh, of course. Yeah, we have uh, folks from the community. Um, the school is set up as a nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. and we have um, most everyone at the school, including myself and Holly, are are volunteers. Um, we. You know, there's a lady that'll come in and teach Santa's how to be comfortable standing up in front of a group and singing the Christmas carols, Christmas songs with the kids. Uh-huh. There'll be another uh, gentleman that comes in and teaches them 
what if they do get paid for their job or receive money to be Santa? You know, how do you how do you record that correctly? Uh, and then there'll be another one that comes sign language lady comes in that Santa's learn how to uh, do sign language. Well, they get introduced to sign language. Uh, it's something you have to practice, but it's something that Santa really needs to know. I can tell you when I sit in the Santa chair, our uh, our my time in the chair is about four hours an evening during Christmas, and at least I'd say on the average, every every night or every session, there's a hearing impaired child, and you don't really realize it unless you understand it and look for it. You have to see the signs because those little little kids can fake you right out. Uh, You think they hear fine, but, you know, they really are struggling with it. And uh, a little sign language just, it really warms their hearts. They get all excited and the parents get excited. It's just because you put a little effort in it. And uh, it's a great thing. So, and back to the instructors. There's... uh, we have lots of instructors. We have one instructor comes in that teaches them how to be healthy. It's so important that healthy that Santa's uh, Santa Santa stays healthy. He's an outdoorsman. He's a healthy outdoorsman. Um, a lot of Santas that come to school, you know, they have the physique of Santa, and they have maybe they have their own. A lot of them have their own real hair, but it's uh, that's okay. That's good. But what's really important is, you know, how how they interact with the folks. You have to be alert for as long as your shift is. You uh, you have to be as alert for the first one as you are the last one. Um, that makes a whole lot of visits, sense. Those visits. Yeah. Those visits. Do you remember um, Patricia sitting on Santa's knee when you were little? Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You see how important it is? So oh, most I kids, I remember it, you know, and I'm uh, uh-huh. I'm quite, I'm an old guy, and I remember Santa coming to our house. He wasn't the best Santa, but he, to me it was just a great thing. I look forward to it. I can, I can remember that vividly. That, that's really interesting. My dad made arrangements for his accountant to dress up as Santa Claus. Um, he did that individually, and he offered to do it for my father, and, of course, he had four kids. So it was really, it was a really uh, good treat for all of us. And oh, then yeah. we found out he was Jewish, and that, that just warms my heart as an adult oh. that uh, yeah. Someone, yeah. someone of another faith helped, oh, yeah. helped yeah. mom well, and dad to have a Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's another uh, thing you have to try to uh, understand with Santa. He, yeah, he he probably he did originate from Saint Nicholas, a, a great Christian man, and in a lot of families, that's still important. It isn't mine, but you know there are of every faith, children come to see Santa. He's he. He was created by man. He's the most well-known character in the world. Uh, he's 
created by man because he stands for all good things, and that's what all people want, no matter what their faith is or what they believe in. And it helps them, you know, raise their children. You know, if you're good, you'll you'll be gifted. You know, be good, things will things will go well. Uh, you know, you, you learn that mm-hmm. from a young age, and uh, so it, it's a great thing. We have uh, Jewish teachers at Santa School. Um, we and Really, yeah, religion's fine. Go with it if you understand it and if you know the family you're talking to is with it. And, mm-hmm. hey, don't, I I use it, and I've never gotten in trouble. There's times when there's times when uh, you get the tough questions of Santa. Uh, well, most of the them are good I, and happy. Yeah, well, what's the question? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'll let you. I, I talk too much. I, oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. I better let you lead the interview here. Oh, my goodness. The worst thing in the world for me to be part of is a yes-no conversation. And oh. I, try, I try so desperately not to ask those kinds of questions, but sometimes I'll, I'll Well, I'll try to keep it short, okay? Oh, no, 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 no. I guess. I asked. I told Walden I was going to ask you this question, and it's at the bottom. Okay. But I'll move it up because we're talking about the Santas. Um, sure. You you must come across at some time or another a person who just isn't making it in school. How do you how do you handle that? Oh well, you mean you talking you about a, a child, a five year old child that isn't making it in school, or six or seven? No, no, somebody who attending your Santa Claus school who wants to be a Oh, 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 that guy, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. No, um, very, very rare. Um, there's been a couple times. Uh-huh. Um, they just weren't uh, probably sent by their wife, or they uh, were, maybe they were sent to uh, try to uh, get a little support. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe they were. Maybe they came because they thought it was a proposition to to have a job at Christmas time. But you know, maybe one one yeah. out of every ten, one Santa every ten years might probably shouldn't have been there. But um, yeah, there's uh, we. I think most people, if. Uh, I, I know all people really enjoy the school, and the school stands for great values and, and growing a great spirit. I, I can't. The, we have never disciplined the Santa or th- have someone to leave, but um, uh, we've had this. Yeah. A, a couple times we've had to discuss the, some uh, some thoughts with them. I'll leave it at that. But they're all good. Look at applications. You guys look for people who are candidates or people, 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 person to invite, come to the school. Huh. How do you decide of the 240 who's coming? <laughs> yeah. Well, to be perfectly honest, Walden, um, kind of the first ones are in and the last ones get on the waiting list. <laughs> if we see, yeah. if we don't, we should do background checks. We don't. We probably will start soon. But they, uh, they do have to give some reasons why they want to come to Santa School. And if anything pops up that uh, looks like it's uh, 
idea. We would surely question it. Um, there has been times when someone called and wanted someone questionable to come to school, and, and we'd simply talk them out of it. I, don't, I can't say we've ever rejected anyone, yeah. but we've talked. Uh, I can think of someone that we talked out of it that was, I believe was the right thing to do. Now, I, I picked up on your website, and I hope I'm interpreting information correctly when I say, oh, on your website, please jump in and correct me. But okay. I, I got the sense that you screen applications and don't take all of the applicants. What else besides I want to be a Santa and sound enthusiastic about it, what else do you look for in an application? I'm going to come up and, and apply. You, yeah, um, our application is on the website. It's pretty short. And uh, it doesn't, um, you know, anyone that wants, anyone that's going to take a week off and fly to Midland, Michigan and uh, pay the tuition usually has the right idea. And it's, it's not, I can't sit here and tell you that uh, someone's gotten rejected. they uh, if we knew something about them other than their application, mm -hmm. again, we'd have we'd talk to them or the people that supported them. And, and I, uh, I wouldn't that imagine would that I wouldn't imagine that you rejected people, but you have no. a limit in the number of oh, we students do. you can take. Yeah, so, we do. And yeah. right now, you know, there's 60 people on, or more than that, on the waiting list. And uh, we're actually thinking yeah. maybe we'll have another uh, smaller school after this. Uh, I'm after on our the website, yeah, school. on the website it's talking about a November class, which yeah. is the second okay. class for this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I well, want to know how often you've done that. We've done it one other time. Um, and um, I'm going to get pretty tired this year. I can see that. But it's a good tired yeah. And you feel good about school. Here it is. These people that come to school, these Santas and Mrs. Clauses that come, they really want to be there. So it's the easiest job in the world to help them be better at yeah. the Christmas spirit. They want it. They have a quest for it. They, yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. And I'm telling you, it is fun. And uh, their year is solid laughter cookies, tears, a lot of emotion, it, it's a blast. And um, it just makes me feel good because I know how much people enjoy it. Okay. I want to ask our listeners again, if you'd like to call in, you can talk with Tom Valent, the dean of the, tell me this, Charles? Charles W. Howard Santa Claus School. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Santa Claus School in uh, Midland, Michigan. And if you want to give us a call so you can talk with Tom, we're at 714-545-2071. That's our regular Saturday number. So get on your phone. <laughs> you know what we will hear, good. Tom, frequently? If we don't get a lot of calls, People will call in after the fact and say, gosh, that was a great interview. I should have called. 
well, why don't you, you, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so please don't be um, yeah. scratching your heads because everybody wants to know how to be a Santa. Yeah. Tom, one thing, well, one thing I'm wondering about, how do you manage the quality time with each child? Is it a gut crunch? How do you make sure when every little child comes to sit on your lap, they're getting that quality time, yeah. two minutes, five minutes, whatever the right yeah. time element would be. Yeah, great question, Walden. That's great, and that's tough, and uh, it's something that you have to be aware of. You know, I sit in this, it's uh, it's quite snowy here in Michigan where I sit, and it's a beautiful Santa house. I actually got to build it, and uh, it's, uh, it's a great Santa house, but you can get, you know, 20, 30, 40 people inside, and the other 200 are outside in the cold and the snow. And so, and the line is long. I don't care how bad the weather is, how cold it is, how the wind's blowing, the line is a couple hours long outside. And so it's not fair if you just slow down and take too much time with a child, and it's not fair for the children if you go too fast. You make sure that you look them in the eye, and you talk to the you talk to the family, not just the child. You, it's a it's a family event. They they come in, and um, they've waited a long time. They're excited to be there. They're going to remember this forever. You have to do a good job. You don't have to spend a lot of time, but you have to spend some quality time, and you have to make sure that they understood. They talked to you, and they got to maybe mm-hmm. present their list. They got to ask you questions. Now. If they're real chatty and they want to spend too much time, Santa's got things he can do without being rude to keep the to keep yeah. the line moving. And uh, it's a great question. There's no number of minutes. There's just uh, the relative mm-hmm. alert. Stay alert and get the right amount of time in there. And you get the right amount of time in there. Do you have an opportunity to gather somehow some information about the economic status of the parents who have brought the child? You don't. You have to, and where I work, or where I do my most of my Santa work, there's there's a great difference between the privileged and the and the not so privileged. Okay, yeah. there's um, you can't. And sometimes, sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you can read it. Um, but no matter what, you don't promise any child anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you let them dream. Let them be their creator. It's not you. You as Santa, you're you're portraying that image of Santa Claus. What you can give them is build that spirit in their heart. That's what that's what you can give them. And you can give it all to them no matter what their financial situation is. Mm-hmm. And young kids, that's not really an issue to them. Um, they don't understand. Uh, you know, a five-year-old, you know, they, that, that's not an issue for them. I can't afford it, yeah. No, no, no. And then, you know, in, and if you, you see some kids that come in there and they – you have some kids, children that have long lists, and then you have most children that just have a couple things on their list. 
But I can tell you one thing. This will be my 40. I think the lists are getting smaller and more uh, more fitting. Um, they don't have – you still get the little ones that come in with these. You know, everything's cut out of the catalog and pasted on a sheet, and they want yeah. you know, oh, gosh. 25 toys and all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, and I don't care what – even if they have the means to have whatever they want, they're going to ask for one or two nice, one or two simple things. They are. I think yeah. if parents are doing something better, it's that. And what we do, too, you're not teaching the children. As Santa, you're not teaching them to have their hand out or to want gifts or to receive gifts. What your children are like little parents you know if you teach them how to give they're going to want to give and you can talk to them about giving themselves mm-hmm. and uh it's you know when they're six seven eight years old they want to give presents too and that makes santa feel good because he's taught them how to give interesting now before i go to the contents of the classes because you're talking about um your graduates, I should have, and that's the way I should have said it. Um, your graduates have various opportunities available to them to get jobs after they graduate from school. Yes. Um, how do they do that? I mean, they've got schools and malls mm-hmm. and stores and yeah. all sorts of places. Well, they do it uh, through their friends. They meet at Santa School, a lot of them. They uh mm-hmm. They do it on their own. We do have a nice uh, instructor, Sabrina, that comes up from Georgia each year and teaches them how to do the marketing and mm-hmm. how to market themselves. Um, and it's, uh, it's something they have to do on their own. And you know what? If you do a good job, Santa, you're not going to have to worry about that. People, you're... Your uh, schedule is going to be full in a few years. I mean, yeah. People yeah. love to have a good Santa. It's so important to parents that their oh, children yeah. see yeah. a real good Santa. Oh, that is so cool. I love this. We are talking with Tom Valent, who is the dean of Charles. Go ahead. <laughs> My brain is dead. Charles W. Howard Santa Santa Claus Claus School. School. (laughs) All right, that's great. Thank you so much. And that's in Midland, Michigan. If anyone wants to hop a plane, you can go up and at least observe. I'm guessing from the way the material was placed on the website that the candidates have already been selected for this second school. Don't be inviting more people. We're full this year. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> Don't invite more people. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah, we're uh, yeah. The school is full, and there's not much room to observe. But we do have one night uh-huh. that we we tell the city because you know, to me, you should only see one Santa at a time. Well, when they're all in our small town, and you got 200 Santas walking around, and they mm-hmm. they're all a little bit chubby and white hair and then white beards not all of them have their own real beards but i bet you know 80 90 percent of them do uh you know i don't want children to start questioning what's going on so what we're doing this year is we're advertising that 
Santa's cousins are coming to Midland to have a family reunion. Ah, and interesting. So the, the city got right behind that, the community. And sure. so there will be lots of folks downtown Midland. And that's when your folks, if they're interested, can come see. <laughs> and the Santas will be walking around, and they're going to have a little brass band, and they'll be singing carols, and they'll be talking to the kids. Santa's cousins, super. not Santa's. Santa's super, cousins. Super, super. Um, I missed on your website the application, so I'll have to go back and hunt it down so I can see what you're asking the applicants. Um that hope the ones who hope to be Santa Clauses. Now we're we're talking now. There aren't any kids awake, I don't think. Um, Walden's in California, so it's only they are there. You're almost at eight o'clock out there, so maybe. What, what's the website, but, Tom? Just for people who want to want to listen to it, they they might want to go to yours and Holly's website. Is there a sure. Website? It's uh, yeah, good. SantaClausSchool.com. And Claus is spelled C L A. Santa Claus. Yes. Santa Claus. School dot com. And that will bring you up to the page that links all of the information about you. And that makes me ashamed that I missed the applications. So I will. Ah, no problem. There's not much to it. You got a name and an email address. You're usually pretty good. Okay. Well, that's 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 pretty cool. But an application, no matter how simple, it's good to have an advance on. And, um, you know, anyone who's talking or listening to us tonight knows what you're looking for. Happy and Santa spirit. How do, how do Santas keep warm if they're sitting outside, like, looking for the Salvation Army all day? Are there, are there yeah. like, you guys talk about certain types of clothes to wear underneath the Santa out, outfit if you're... Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. Well, that's. Uh, I don't. The school doesn't do a lot for telling them how to stay warm. They they pretty much can can figure that out. You know, you're gonna have to. Anyone that lives in, I wouldn't suggest someone that doesn't live in the cold climate to to get a job working outside. Most of your Santas are gonna be working inside, but they'll. You know, where they do go out for parades and. Uh, I don't know. How many Santas actually ring the bell at Salvation Army? Salvation Army in our community is quite popular, and people really like like to see the folks out there, but they're not Santas. Um, I think that might have been – I don't know. I don't want to say it. I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Your bell's might be from available. a different era, I guess. Like, yeah, it could be. Yeah, maybe someone can tell us. <laughs> I don't know. We, we play the old radio shows, and – Every year we always play Edmund Gwynn, you know, the mail call on 34th yeah. Street. It's just a classic Christmas. It movie, is. You know? It is, yeah. And, and the originator of this school was the, <coughs> excuse me, technical director. <coughs> I said that earlier. But. Yeah, and just for people who may or may not, George Seaton, the director, one of the co-creator, was one of the first Lone Rangers on radio. So uh, before oh. b- before he ever became a movie director, he was a, he was a radio actor. So a little oh. interesting <laughs> for everybody. There you go. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. 
now I've got the instructions list in front of me, and I have plucked out a couple of the items, like the proper dress you just covered with Walden, making sure that they can stay warm and, and do the number oh, of hours that they've yeah. got on for. But I can the talk to you about the dress a, a little yes. bit, Tom. Yes. Is Santa's, Santa's suit is red and white, and the red, again, stands for a healthy outdoorsman. And the white stands for purity. He has to have pure thoughts and a pure mind. Santa has to have this great character and uh, for the family. He can't say off-color jokes. He can't, uh, you know, do any flirting. He he has to be this great character. Uh, if Santa was to do anything off-color, it would be a disaster. And I think uh, the new day and age is a little a little better for that. Mm-hmm. I think in the past there was some things that are acceptable that would no way be acceptable today. Yeah. Uh, so, again, that uh, the red is for, for health and uh, the white is for purity. And Santa does have to be a healthy guy. He has to know, he has to eat right. He has to uh, stay alert. He um, he has to exercise, even though he's probably a big middle, pretty you know, yeah, pretty, pretty he could be a pudgy guy. Uh, yeah. But he, he, has, he has to get up and walk around. He just can't sit there for hour after hour after hour. You have to get up and move. You have to keep your system operating, or your mind will go blank. You know, talking to five-year-olds for hours and hours and hours, you, your brain can go to mush if you don't stay yeah. on top of your game. Yeah. And uh, I want to tell you, there's uh, it's a lot of fun answering their questions. You have to understand what the North Pole is. They're going to ask you how many elves you have, what are the reindeer names, what's Mrs. Santa's doing, what kind of cookies you like. You know they have they got so many questions and to me I I just I love those questions yeah and I even like it more when you get the ten and twelve year olds that are just starting to talk about if Santa's real or not and they have they really have some point blank good ones too and they're great questions and to me uh, there is a real Santa it's a it's a Santa spirit. And uh, that that's who we are, and that's what we're all about. If someone, when they look me in the eye and say, are you the real Santa? <laughs> I'll tell them, I'm the spirit of Christmas. I stand for love and giving. And that will, that will suffice, that will answer their question, and it's true and it's honest. You're going to get some other questions, too, like, you know, Santa, all I want for Christmas is mom to come home. Santa, uh, I, I really miss grandpa. You know, he passed away or, yeah. or something. You know, they'll get you, they'll get the tough ones. And uh, there's a good way to answer those. You, you say, well, I'm real good at making toys, um, but let's see. You know, I, you know I'll, what I'll do? On my way home tonight, I'll say a prayer for mom, or I'll say a prayer for grandpa, and you really, and you really can do that. And what I, 
that's one thing I told you before. You can't really give them the gifts that they ask for. But if you tell them you're going to give them a prayer, you can you can do that. So I carry this little empty book in my pocket. It was empty. And when I have to tell someone, when I tell someone I'm going to say a prayer for them, I ask them the person's name and I get their, I make sure I get their name. Even though Santa knows all the children's names, I make sure I spell it right. And they see me write it in the book. And that's, on my way home that night, I do say the prayer for that child. Oh. And uh, that's one thing that Santas can do. And I learned that from another Santa. And it's just a wonderful thing to do. It is. And it 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 would mean so much to the children to hear that, that you're taking seriously their grandmother, their mother. All, yeah. all of the people who are special to them become special to you. Yes, yeah. I it's, like that. Uh, I really like that. Okay, I've got here <laughs> that you're going to teach them or present them with live reindeer habits. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me some examples? I have, uh, sure, sure. I have two reindeer. I have Blitzen and Comet at my house, and they come out. They like reindeer is the only deer species that can be domesticated, so they're tame. And they are in your house. Well, no, not in my house. They're okay. in the barn outside uh, in the pasture. Work. Okay. They yeah. are at your address. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You know, sometimes people, one of our presidents had alligators as a, as a pet. Oh, really? Um, so I just ah. take everything with open ears. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's, that is true. That is true. Uh-huh. Remarkable what some of our presidents came up with. Okay, yeah. so you have Comet, but, Comet and Blitzen. Comet and Blitzen. And uh-huh. uh, they're... Uh, you know, they do play reindeer games. Reindeers, they have personalities. Minor girls, cows we call them. And all, actually all Santa's reindeer are cows or girls because uh-huh. they have antlers at Christmas time. The bulls have lost their antlers. They lose their antlers in November around Thanksgiving. So uh-huh. all, all Santa's reindeer are girls. Except for uh, Rudolph. You know, he's got to be the boy out there. But, yeah. you don't but uh, they're... You can lead them. Um, they don't like to be touched, uh, but they're uh, and they're beautiful animals. They really are, and they make uh, they're they're good pets. I don't want to say they make good pets. Uh, they're hard. They're mm-hmm. somewhat hard to keep. You have to have keep the herd certified. Even even yeah. two is a herd. There's a lot of um, um, work with uh, you know the. Department mm-hmm. of Agriculture and the DNR and gotcha. stuff as far as keeping wild animals. They're oh, called gotcha. a wild animal. Well, they are. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they can be, da- even though they're tame, they're dangerous because they can, uh, they have large antlers and they can spin their head around. And they and they'll, they want to play. They'll play hard. They play with their antlers. If you give them, if you stare them in the eye, I mean, they'll put their head, they think, oh, this is game time. So they put their head down <laughs> and they... They uh, think they're going to push you around a little bit, so you better have your thick, warm clothes on. And actually, all you have to do is just turn your back on them, and they'll they won't touch you. But if you eye to eye, oh, it's uh, it could be tough. (laughs) Wow. 
Walden and I were talking about the sexes of the reindeer. And Walden, oh. was it your mom who said they're all girls? Yes, I think it was my and mom. And I'm thinking, oh, really? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so now we know. We, we, I, I, we know the secrets. I remember in college, uh-huh. I, I was wondering the question, where were reindeers domesticated? So, and I found out in college it was Siberia that was, they were domesticated. So... Even oh. horses, that's what and I'm saying, and my my on my side, we do, we do this every year, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Walden says Siberia, and I say Lapland. Yeah, uh, you're both right. Lapland, <laughs> Lapland, <laughs> Lapland is Siberia and uh, northern, uh, you know, Norway and Finland and Sweden. Uh, it, Lapland, this the Laplanders. Take these herds of reindeer and they just travel at Arctic Circle or above the Arctic Circle. Uh-huh. They're, they're nomadic animals. They they really don't have a, a land. They're a, they don't have a country. They the, the original ones. And uh-huh. I'm sure there's some up there that still do that. But a lot of them now have been uh, domesticated. The United yeah. States over 150 years ago brought them to Alaska to try to to try to help the folks of Alaska. I don't know how that. That didn't turn out too well, so but okay. they're still there. They're and, still there. Well, I'm going yeah. to roll a couple of questions together here. Oh gosh, before I chew, uh, could you tell me about Santa's flight lessons? Sure. <laughs> oh, That's that something we teach no in question. school. There you got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We got it. We got it. So uh, we have this sleigh at Santa School. It's a full. It's a it's a nice Santa sleigh, and on that, in front of that sleigh, there's nine full-size reindeer. So the full length, this is a parade float. Full length of this sleigh is 44 feet, and uh, the the deer on the sleigh are animated. And so when Santas come to school, they get to get up on the sleigh, and it takes a pretty tall step ladder to get up on the sleigh and to get in the sleigh, and to start pulling on the reins and it's it's in the evening the the lights are on the harnesses rudolph's nose is flashing and these deer are just stretching and kicking and trying to go and uh these santas just just melt i mean that's like the ultimate ride i mean is uh you know as much as i've done it i'll love to get in santa's sleigh i still dream about it um you know Am I going to get the call this year? Am I going to have to fly that sleigh? You know, it's a it's a great thing. Into wow. that is Santa's flight lesson at school. Tell me about your childhood experiences with Christmas. What do you remember? Well, uh, my mother was a. I lived on a farm in New York State, south of Buffalo, Salamanca, and I. I remember uh, Christmas, every Christmas Eve, Santa would come to our house. Santa would come up the road, and it would, I remember sitting in this window in the dining room, looking out the window, waiting for Santa to come every Christmas Eve, and he would come. He'd come in a blue Jeep. It's a, it looked like the same blue Jeep that my neighbor had, <laughs> the farm next door had. And uh-huh. Santa had the same German accent as that farmer had next door yeah. and oh the the suit i looking back that suit 
was very cheap. Yeah, but he was such a good-hearted Santa to come in, and he didn't have, you know, peppermint and candy canes. He, you know, he had jelly beans. But you know, things weren't perfect. But man, it was a thrill, and and I remember how that made me happy. And so I just, my whole goal is to make other people happy, to make other families feel good. I, I just think it's a it's a wonderful thing to do, and you know in 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 your life when you when you can make someone happy, uh, you're you're feeling better yourself, and that's what being Santa is. These are things that people can do in their own lives in general, and not even have to be a Santa. Oh yeah. So they are. It's just oh, uh, acts of kindness. Okay, talk to and me. And again, about- you know, it's a it's a privilege and an honor to be to portray the image of Santa Claus. That's great. That's great. And it it shows to the kids too. <laughs> it, really. I mean, it's it, you have a sincerity about you and an enthusiasm about you that sure. without without even saying anything, the kids can pick up that this is really important. Sure, sure, we can. Can you please tell me about Mrs. Santa Claus or females who want to adopt the role of Santa? Do you have that? Yeah. Okay. I can. Uh, in 1995, Holly and I represented the United States. We met with 17 Santas from 17 countries, and when she was the only Mrs. Claus there. And the other Santas, man, they... She kind of got the eye. Why is there Mrs. Claus here? You know, but now Mrs. Claus is a lot more popular. Yeah. And again, this, in, uh, hey, children will warm up to Mrs. Claus before they'll warm up to Santa Claus. Really? In a lot of cases. Oh I yeah. So you know, that's, uh, that. yeah. And uh, it's it's a great thing for Mrs. Claus. We really. We might have a little breakout session for Mrs. Claus at Santa School, but everything Santa learns, Mrs. Claus has to learn to, can learn to. It's all the same. I mean, it's uh, it's the same Santa spirit that we're spreading around. But Mrs. Claus's uh, reputation is great and growing. That's great. How many females do you, on average? have in the program each year? Well, when we started the school in 86, there was, um, you know, we probably had maybe 15 participants. Mm-hmm. And now that we have this 240, we have... And uh, I don't think, I think the percentage has gone up. Maybe there was one out of when we started, <laughs> one out of 15, one out of mm-hmm. 20, you know, were yeah. Mrs. Clauses. And now this year's class of new students, there's uh, almost 30% are Mrs. Clauses. Last year Ooh. it was 25%. My goodness. Now, do we're going to have to put a stop to it. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> the women are taking over the No, world. we love it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> that's, huh. that's fun. Uh, I, 
do the women who are working to be Mrs. Claus, do they learn anything different from the males? Or is everything pretty standard? It's pretty standard. Our classes are pretty standard, whether it's the history or the, Uh uh, you know, how to talk to five-year-olds or how to, how to answer questions, what's the North Pole like. It's pretty standard stuff. There is a little breakaway time where you can can pick up some Mrs. Claus ideas that Santa wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have, you know, how does, you know, there's a dress session for Mrs. Santa, how she would dress or how she likes to dress and uh, makeup. But I'd have to go get Holly to get you the right answer on some of that. Okay. Is she willing to talk with us? Holly, by <laughs> no. the way, is your wife <laughs> I real said go name? get her, but I can't. I can't and get her. I, okay. Yeah. I'll accept that. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We are talking. We are live tonight, so please call in. We're talking with Tom Billant, who is the dean of the Charles W. Howard Santa Claus School in Midland, Michigan. Now, am I correct that you are the the oldest the oldest uh, Santa Claus running school? school. I don't want to be the oldest Santa. Are the oldest running Santa Claus school in the world. I promise not to identify you as that. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Okay, so yeah, the school is 80. The school is, this is its 80th anniversary, and, and I'm 67. So that's the way it is. Well, boy, you missed the boat, didn't you? <laughs> when is your birthday? Oh, uh, January 21st. January. Okay. Well, that's not too far away. 1950. Yeah. Okay, well, Santa makes extra trips for that. So maybe he showed up on the doorstep with you. That's funny. Um, 714-545-2071 is our regular Saturday number. So please give us a call, and you can talk with Santa Claus himself. Yes? (laughs) Ah, sure. (laughs) Yes, he will. Now, you talk about experience for radio and television interviews. Um, yes. I guess most of the interviews that are done on the local level reach out to the to the local people. What about interviews, sure. I mean, big-time interviews? If you've got a Macy's Santa in there, that, yeah. that is, that's a big-time job. Um, and, oh. boy, you've got to be a good Santa for that. Um, yeah. Well... How do the stores and the venues screen the candidates for a job? Well, I hope they do a good job. <laughs> I know I, I'm, I'm not one of them. I can't tell you. I know that uh, we had, it was um, five, maybe six or seven years ago, uh, we had a fellow come to our school that never had portrayed Santa before. Mm-hmm. He he just retired, and uh, he really loved it. And he had a he had a home. He had a, another home. He lived in Michigan. He had another home in Florida. So he thought, man, I'm going down and see if I can't <clears throat> talk to stop at Disney and see if they want to hire a good Santa talking about himself. 
So he went down there with his uh, degree from Santa Claus School, and uh, he talked to him, and he got the job right away, and now he's one of their lead Santas at Disney World. So, wow. you know, it's just... Um, it's just what you want to do. The world's wide open. My goodness, I am amazed at that. Just amazed. <laughs> you must love him a lot. He's a good man. Yeah. A lot how of them you, are. How do you keep track of, obviously, how do you keep track of the newest toys and gadgets on wish lists? Those are, um, that's yeah. directly well, from your website, and people have to learn. <laughs> Well, we we actually uh, anything. No, yeah, we we go uh, we tour Toys R Us as, uh-huh. at Santa School. We also will pick up. We'll try to find the ten, twelve most popular toys. We'll we'll purchase them, have them at Santa School, so the Santas can look at them and understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's an it's important to yeah. to know which toys are out there. Again, mm-hmm. we're not going to promise anything, but it's nice to have a conversation and know what you're talking sure. about. Huh? Sure. Yeah. And tickle me, Elmo almost put the world out of business <laughs> with the Jeez. demand that could not be kept with. There Nobody you go. Could do that. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Now, I, I would love you to tell us about your memorable experiences there, and there must be a bunch. Oh. What what made you laugh loudest? Oh, God, what made me laugh loudest? Oh. Or did anything? <laughs> oh, dear. You know, for any I don't know if I, I laugh. I, I I feel good about a lot of conversations and a lot of families. Uh-huh. Um, when they feel good, I feel good. I, I can't. Um, well, one time, one time I was. No, we're fine. No, okay. Well, one time I was uh, when I I was driving home and it was quite the snowstorm. Roads were icy, and I uh, it's just, there's a red light ahead, so I stopped for the red light, and I stopped plenty early, so my I wouldn't slide through, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see a car coming. I said, well, no way he's going to stop. I'm going to get, and I was in my Santa suit. There's no way he's going to stop, and I'm going to get rear-ended here. So I braced myself a little bit, and sure enough, I got the bang, and the dad comes up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then a little a little guy comes up. You know, he's probably six years old. He's got a leather uh white hat on with the earmuffs hanging down and he's looking in and he goes and all of a sudden he puts his head on the hood of the car oh dad you hit santa you know <laughs> he was all oh, tore geez. up so that was that was a funny one right there for me oh and another, and another one um now that you got me thinking here i'd go i went to the house visit and i went to the house they always stick you by the fireplace you know it's really hot so I, well, I, before I got there, she said, the, the mom said, pick up the, the toys are going to be by the garage door. So I, I go, and they weren't, 
outside the garage door, so I kind of looked, went through the past door, and there was a plastic. She said there'd be in a black plastic bag, so I picked the black plastic bag up, put it in my Santa bag, and go in by the fireplace, and I'm sitting there, and we're talking, and then Santa doesn't stay very long. Anyway, so I said, I'm going to... I got a few gifts here. I'm going to make my sleigh a little lighter. If you don't mind, I'll give you a couple of things before Christmas here. And I, I opened that bag, and there was an old Kentucky Fried Chicken wrapper in there with old, you know, just bones. I had picked up their garbage instead of the toys. Oh, gee. <laughs> that, that mom got nervous, and she grabbed that bag and went running out of the house and come back with the right one. But uh, that was quite funny at the time. It's quite funny now. How did the, how did the parents react to that? Oh, they just got a little nervous and ran out and got the right bag. It was all fine. <laughs> you got to roll with things in the Santa world. Everything's yeah. real. Yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was thinking about Link Weather, May 11, you know, kids say the darndest things. And I got to think, Tom, for you, this could this probably been a few questions over the years that little girls and boys asked you that you weren't prepared. I mean, that, that, that might have made you giggle inside when, when they asked you over the years. Oh. Well, I wasn't prepared. Um, again, those I like because I, I answer a lot of them, and it gets to be repetitious yeah. at times, but you try, to, you try to keep it personal. So, um, you know, what wasn't I prepared for? Uh, Uncle Mike shot Rudolph, you know, and that's just kind of a funny thing, too, but I shouldn't even bring that up. Let's see. Uh, I don't know what I'm – except for uh, except for the tough questions, you know, if they have a parent they're in need of or a brother or sister or someone that's um, very sick, you know. I guess you're prepared for that, but – and uh, you can handle it as Santa. It, it's um, – there's times when you'll have to go visit um, before Christmas because uh, someone's not going to make it to Christmas. So those are, uh, eh, you can prepare yourself. You know, that, that's tough too. They, yeah. But it's, you can do it. And, um, yeah, yeah there's, there's all kinds of I guess you have to say you're doing God's work. situations. Yeah, I guess you have to say I'm doing God's work if you're, when you're visiting somebody yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> well, I don't want to put myself up too close to God. That's yeah, pretty yeah, high range, yeah. but it's just doing good work like God would want us to. I like that. What should I have asked yeah. you that I did not? What would you like to talk about? <laughs> I think we just did the whole school. I think whoever <laughs> listened just you, graduated. You so? I'll send them a diploma I, I, well, I, I, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Oh, I hope we'll be able a to. Lot, there's a lot to it. Yes. Did oh, very have, much did so. Did the diploma have a Santa Claus on it? What did the diploma look like, the one that you guys give out to? Uh, it looks like a regular diploma. It has the name of the school. And uh, it, uh, it has some words on. I don't have one in front of me. I can't read it for you, but the the student has studied the art of Santa Claus and is going to go out and do a great job in the spirit of Santa Claus. I, I kind of wish it's like an oath. Yeah. And they sign it. I bet you, you and Holly 
always probably have kept in touch with a lot of the kids, a lot of the Skrulls do over the years, haven't they? I imagine. Yeah, we've made some good friends, and a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them come back each year. So, yeah, we're we're pretty lucky that way. Very good. How how soon do applications to be a Santa? How soon do they have to be to you? Well, I mean, not not for this year, but for <laughs> next year. Yeah, before then, before March. <laughs> before March. Yeah. Well, that sounds reasonable. Is there any advantage to an applicant to get an application as first or as fast as possible? Yeah, that's pretty much how they're elected to come to school. I mean, they uh-huh. they apply, and then once or twice a month we. Uh, acknowledge their application, and um, they have a period of time that they need to pay the tuition, and then once mm-hmm. the tuition's paid, they're, they're settled in. You attract an international student group. How do you do Well, that? yeah. I don't know how we do it. They just like to come, so they come. It's uh, <laughs> a... There's usually uh, media from Europe comes. This uh-huh. Last year we had one from France. This year we have two from Germany coming to film the school. But it's, uh, they're very, Europeans and other countries are are very interested in Santa Claus. And um, it's a, like I say, it's a good thing. And I think yeah. if America does something right, they do the Santa world right. Um, it's a, uh, it's the, it's it's the same spirit no matter what country you're in. Sometimes in uh, some of the European countries, Santa Claus comes uh, really December sixth. So many of so many of the countries, including Germany and England, have rituals and customs of their own for Christmas. So this is yeah. an addition to what they do yeah. traditionally. They're adding to exactly. That. That's really interesting. Father Christmas is uh, yeah in England and a lot of. Uh, St. Nicholas's come uh, December 6th, and um, in Spain they come the Feast of the Epiphany, which is uh, January 6th. Right. In Russia it's January 1st, Father Ice. But it's all it's all the same gift giver, same spirit. It's, I so, agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, Tom, if I have <laughs> run you into the ground in terms of time, it is time to go. I am also out of questions, and you have been, you have been fabulous. I just really appreciate all the information and the time you spent with us. And please thank Holly for for arranging this. We, we Patricia and I really enjoyed the time you gave us tonight, Tom. We really yeah. Really well, and when we call you again, which we will, because <laughs> okay. we celebrate right, in July. Right. We won't mess up your Christmas, but we do celebrate in July. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, that's well, I'm, I'm kind of uh, okay. Well, okay. Well, Weldon and Patricia, you've done a great. I appreciate your oh, good you work, are. and I wish you a very, very merry Christmas. We well, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. You too. Good night. Yeah, you have a good night. Thank you. Bye bye. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Patricia, Patricia, 
era for a really short while, but he's got he's got places to do. I've got places to do and things to be. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. So you want to hear the war stories? I, it's up to you, adorable. I mean, we're all, we're all glad you're safe. I mean, you 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 definitely went through a whale well yeah. hurricane, didn't you? Oh, hurricane season, yes, yes. And just rainy season. And we, we did the first flood when everybody had to be moved upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I, that included one night sleeping on mattress on the floor. The second one was Hurricane Irma. And she did some damage. Who's there? All right. Hello oh. there. You're on with Patricia. This is Fred. Can you guys hear me? Hey, Fred. I just Hi, caught Fred. the end of that. That was a pretty fascinating interview. Wasn't that fun? That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got a behind-the-scenes Santa Claus. I think that's neat. Anybody that spreads Christmas, I love Christmas. I know, and I do too, and Walden does too. So this was perfect for us. It's not that far away either. I know. Next month, we can start working on yeah. it. Yeah, it was great fun. So well, now I've got to we'll we'll start their specials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling, Patricia? I beg your pardon? How are you feeling? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you asked. No, I'm not. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, the old joke is you have to be very careful when you say, how are you, to people, because some of them will sit you down and tell you. Yes. For a couple of hours, right? <laughs> Mine is mine is worth a couple of hours, but I'm surviving, so that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So how are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, Walden told me about the child of some people you know. Were they are they relatives? Oh yeah, they're my cousins. So Your cousins. And yep. and their daughter. Yes. Matter of fact, I expect I will be going to a some kind of service. Or hope, I think next week. I don't know. They're, they're trying to. Last I knew, they were trying to get her body back, but the FBI had it scheduled for a uh, autopsy and stuff. Yeah, this this is the Las Vegas. I don't yes. know what to call it. Assault, I guess. I mean, you no. can't call it a tragedy. It is a tragedy, but it was planned. I don't know. But it, it it's just a horrific thing for people to live through. And um, your family got hit here. Yeah, it, it sucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, and you, you just, I don't know, the emotions are just incredible. So. Sure. So, but, yeah, it's it's not, not a pleasant thing. We, you know, it, it's happening all the time in this, this country. we got to do something. So mm-hmm. hopefully something will get done. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I expect to be going to some kind of service next week. Yeah. Um, in Manchester, so it's. But yeah. anyway, I... outside of that, my health is doing pretty good. My foot's getting a lot better. Excellent. Walking more and, and more all the time on it. Yeah. So. And you stopped smoking, and you still stop smoking. Oh yeah, that's that's done. That's a done deal. That's, I am so that's proud a done of deal. you. That's a done deal. Yeah. 
Then we'll go back to that. It'll be four years, Pearl Harbor Day. Yep. Wow, four years. Four years, how could, yep. How could that amount of time gone by? Oh, I know. Seems to go faster and faster every year. <laughs> uh-huh. It really yeah. does. And and it's weird to say that because, of course, it takes the same amount of time to get through a year. <coughs> Excuse me. But... Um, I, I have a theory about that, though. I, I think it's all, like, if you... Like, if you I'm, a, I'm a math guy. I've always been a numbers guy. But if you take, like, say, take a, take a number line and have it be, you know, say it's 12 inches long, and say that yeah. number line represents your whole life, from birth to where you are now. And when you're two years old, one year is half of that line. That's right. I've said that so often, you know. Yeah, but when your parents, parents will say to kids, boy, wait, till you, line, yeah, you know? <laughs> wait till you grow up, wait till you see the problems. And to a two-year-old, He's got everything he can handle already. Don't tell the poor little guy that he's going to get worse things thrown at him. Oh, I know. <laughs> I oh, know. Gee whiz. Wait till you grow up. Oh, yeah, I can remember as a kid, summers, summers would take forever. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's Christmas right. One, yeah. Like December seemed like it took forever, like from December 1 to December 25. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now it's on and gone faster than you can blink, oh, you know? <laughs> we all, look, it's October 7th. We'll, we'll be surprised when, like, com- tomorrow's December 25th. It's true. I don't, I still try to figure out where the summer went. It just blew by. <laughs> the summer? My gosh, my whole year went bluey. Oh, I bet, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh. I got oh, are you, are you, you're not home yet, right? No. Oh. And I'm not going to be. Okay. Yeah, one of those deals. It's just, you know, I'm going to ask to see a neurologist next week and see what he comes up with. Well, good luck. <laughs> thank you. I hope so. Uh, All right, thank you for the good wishes. There's a, uh, it is amazing today, some of the stuff they can do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sometimes it's correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I hear you yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I got, uh, I, I started doing skaters last week for the first time in two years. Wow. That was kind of cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other day, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I, uh, was going into the store, and all of a sudden, my start my ankle and foot started hurting really bad again. I think it was the weather, though. A friend of mine told me yeah. he broke his leg years ago, and he says even now when it gets cold, the leg acts up. Mm-hmm. That's bothering him, so I'm hoping that's. Was it was it better him. when you got to sit down? Yes. Yeah. I uh, I was mm-hmm. only going. I I never even before I got hurt. I. Uh, would you use one of those carts at the grocery store? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just walking into one of those. But and, and that's that's how I knew it was okay because, um, I, of course, the first period, you know, you rebroke it. Of course, you start panicking. Yes. But I'm like, no way. I mean, if, it, if I rebroke it, I wouldn't be standing on it, number one. And number two, mm-hmm. once I took my weight off it, the pain went away. Yeah. Um, I think it was, 
so you jarred it up a little bit and it was getting even with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe too many stairs or something, you know? Yes. Trying yes. To, not used to doing those or something, I don't know. But I'll tell you, it's not like being eight years old when you you know you heal and you're, you you break something, you heal and right. you're done with it. Yes. It takes forever. But the body saves it for later on. That's it. <laughs> yeah, the hurt will take over later on. That's it. Right. How did you find this guy, the Santa Claus guy? I found him on the internet. I found their website. So I yeah, that that was one that um, I tried to get two years ago. And we never got a response. Okay. We've been working on them for six, four or five months, and they have a a crazy schedule, so they really weren't always available. Right. But we kept at it. Like, we're still working on a Christmas tree growth. That is still a very elusive thing for Uh us to find somebody that grows Christmas trees. Mm hmm. Oh, well, I might be able to help you out with that. Then would you help us? We would love to find somebody who grows Christmas trees for us. I got a guy that I buy a tree off of every year. He lives right up here in Goshen. Well, then could you talk to him or, or find out? Yeah. And well, do the show? I'll ask him if he would like to talk to you guys. He's a, he's a great guy. I mean, I buy, like I said, I get my tree off him every year, ever since I stopped doing artificial. Mm-hmm. That's, that's backwards for what is normally happening out there. I know. You're trading in life for the artificial, and you went the other way. Yeah, I did. I uh, Well, my artificial tree finally, I had a really good one for, for my parents years that we grew up with as a kid, mm-hmm. but it was just too hard to put up every year. It was one of those ones where you had to put every branch on it. Uh-oh. And it's just, it was, mm-hmm. it was quite a chore. Uh, I still got it, as a matter of fact, but it's just too much work. So I bought one, and then it got shot. Half the, you know, one of those pre-lit ones. And half the lights were gone on it and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Oh, I can get a real tree, a real tree cheaper, and this is nicer. It smells nicer. It's as long as you get it out before it gets too, you know, too messy. And you can't, you can't get needles in your feet when you have an artificial tree. That's true. You can only yeah. do that with a live tree. You can't. And you can't uh-huh. kill an artificial tree either if you forget to water it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's but, good. That's good. They know, do I, I, so I just love the smell of a real tree. Yeah. And, and, I can, and I can get one off this guy pretty inexpensively. He's a good friend of mine, so that helps, too. Yeah. Um, that's our next goal, Fred. If you can help arrange that, that would be great. Yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll give him a call. Since Patricia's only going to be on for a short time, I won't hog it. I'll get off. <laughs> Let somebody else. And if your friend will agree to talk with us about Christmas trees and growing them in Christmas season, uh, would you give him my email? Or you could email me. Yeah, I can do that. Contact information? The, yeah, I always okay. forget the last part. It's FloridaWriter at Hotmail? Correct. Dot okay. com. Got it. Very good. Okay, I will do that. Matter of fact, I oh, will. Uh, I will call him tomorrow. Thank you. Oh, super! Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And you guys have a good night. I'll be listening. Thank you, Fred. Take care. Thank you, and Bye-bye. thanks for calling. Good night. Poof. Anyway.
Patrick, you want to give a little more of your story, or you want to take a couple more? Oh, the war story. Irma came through, and another flood came through as well, and just wiped out everything. All the refurbishing work and repair work that had gone on, that would have allowed us to go back to our regular rooms. And um, Irma swept through and just filled the bottom, uh, the the first floor with water. It was just at least a foot deep. And that's a lot of water because the kitchen was still down there. So anyhow, we wound up being evacuated to another rehab facility. Should I tell them about the bus driver? Oh, I didn't tell you about the bus no, driver, did I? I could, t- I could tell the email about you, you bunking with a few people. <laughs> 18 women in one room. <laughs> I mean, just imagine, you know. And we really didn't have very many problems. There were a couple of squirrely things that weren't going to go away just by wishing or talking. We just kind of rode with it. <laughs> Some of it was kind of surprising. But um, Popeye the sailor man with his language was there every night. But anyway, and that was in the women's area. <laughs> so, so that's where we spent our time. We took over the physical therapy room because it was the biggest one and they could get mattresses in there for people to sleep on until they could get the beds over. Mama mia, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was an experience. And we are still eating food that comes in from the outside in those styrofoam oh, yeah. thingies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Good weight loss program. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh, 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 yes, we did. Our facility is no more than 12 miles or 12 minutes away from the one we wound up in for 16 days. 16 days, Walden. And um, we had this bus driver. Now, mind you, this is a 12-minute trip. We were out on the road and sometimes not quite on the road for 35 minutes. That man spent as much time going backward as he did going forward. Now, I am occasionally prone to hyperbole. That is not hyperbole. That is absolutely the truth. He would turn into a wrong, a wrong place, and he would back out. He'd have to have somebody get off the bus and, and say, okay, you can keep coming, keep coming. And then we'd make another wrong turn down a narrow I have to call it a roadway, but it was narrow enough for him to scrape against the limbs that had come down in the hurricane, and the limbs were bonking on top of the bus. And when we finally got there, I mean, the air conditioning in this thing was, this was a big bus, and it was brand new. It had um, a computer on board, had phones on board for passengers to use. I mean, it was just up the yin-yang with this stuff. And... They couldn't find a bus driver who knew how to drive. Now, I I don't know how anybody with his right mind could trust and trust. This thing, I don't know how much buses cost, but it was high-end and extra long. They couldn't find a bus driver who knew how to drive the the thing. So anyway, I I sat with my arms crossed because I was cold, and then I tightened them because... I looked out the window a couple of times, and we were driving 
very parallel to canals that have opened into chasms. Very easily could swallow a bus. There's, there's just no question. It could have swallowed a train. But um, now that was hyperbole. <laughs> but it could have easily accommodated a train car, one of the cars on a train. So anyhow, that's my story. 16 days, and we're still not getting fed. <laughs> I, don't, I just want to go home. No, I don't want to go home. I want a couple of people just to leave me alone, and then I'll be very fine. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Hello, Walden. Hello, Patricia. Hello, everybody. We love you, Patricia. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I have missed being with everybody. Well, I'm glad you're safe. Yes. Yes. One of the elevators is working. Yes. (laughs) That's how I got up here. (laughs) (laughs) And they stopped Pepsi. Diet Pepsi this week, so I'm cool. Well, my dear, it's 10 before midnight. Do you want to get ready to wander? Yeah, just kind of wander back and stuff like that there. All right, so Patricia will be with us next Saturday, and in three weeks we'll have Bobby Rydell with us. So that is the game plan for the month of October. Yes, yes, we can do this. All right, my dear. Okay, thank you, Walden. Good night, everybody. Good night, Patricia. Good night, Walden. Theodore Theodore. Thank you for Patricia being here for our special guest. Talk about Santa Claus. Thank you for Fred and the Black Hills family at this time. Bless our listeners. Bless our country. Bless our children reading. Bless the world. Bless everyone. We are just Jesus like name. Amen. Alright, let's get ready for Ready for Eat. Next here on Destiny. Jaws Professional Radio Show, Ray Bream, Ray Bream 880423 with Paul Weston and Joe Stafford. Enter. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. Now, you know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. I'm John Houseman. There's a child in Asia who needs your help, the offspring of an Asian woman and an American man. That child may never have known the father and must face both poverty and racial discrimination. Give that child a chance for the care and education that every child needs. Sponsor that child through the Pearl S. Buck Foundation. To learn more, call 1-800-523-523. Five three two eight. The place where you work should be as clean as your home. Clean, tidy surroundings enhance your business image and employee morale and efficiency as well. So call in the experts 
Service Master. Your local Service Master professional cleans and maintains floors and furniture, offices and public areas on a regular basis. Service Master uses carefully tested materials, nationally proved cleaning methods, the very latest equipment. Professional technicians assure top quality results. So telephone right now, Service Master, in the white pages. Service Master, the cleaning professionals. Now, the rest of the story. Anna was a woman for all seasons. She was kind of like a figure on Keats' Grecian urn come to life. Truth and beauty were the motivating forces in her life. And they were translated in the most practical terms. Anna was a schoolteacher, in the sense that we used to think of schoolteachers, one for whom education was the loftiest conceivable ideal. Her personal passion, however, was architectural design. Anna loved buildings. I mean, the grace of a certain spire or the arch of a window would thrill her beyond words. There was a certain timelessness about Anna, who was in many ways ahead of her time a century ago. Hers was an ultimately logical approach to life, except for that one thing. Anna proposed to control destiny. She was going to shape it to suit herself, and she did change the shape of the world. And, and that is the rest of the story. Anna was born in Wales. She was five when her family emigrated to the United States. For Anna's parents, education was equivalent to salvation. It was the one human activity through which man was capable of rising above the animal state. As a youngster, Anna was infected with this philosophy, came to believe in it with all her heart. She was to become a country school teacher, and as a logical extension of her lofty principles, she would pursue beauty in every form. Anna was 29 when she married. Again now, logic ruled her decision. She was at the best age. Her choice had been that of a highly educated man. In her new home, Anna's love of beauty manifested itself everywhere. Fastidious etchings on clean white mats, spotless net curtains, bowls of ferns and flowers tastefully accenting uncrowded rooms. Architectural design became a special source of fascination. Buildings of all kinds. Anna loved buildings, from the most intricate Gothic ornament to the simplest colonial cornice. No facet of an edifice escaped her eye nor her appreciation. Anna's husband had subscribed to a publication called Old England, a periodical replete with lavish pictures of English architecture. It was the pictures in that magazine which inspired Anna to believe that she could, in fact, control destiny. You see, when Anna learned she was expecting a child, now listen to this, she determined that not only would it be a boy, but that one day he would be a great builder of buildings. And to guide the future of her yet unborn baby, she clipped full-page engravings from that magazine, Old England, portraits of magnificent English cathedrals. She had those portraits placed in simple flat oak frames and hung them on the walls of the room that was to be her son's nursery, where most nurseries would have pictures of, of dollies or, or animals or such. Not on this room. Architecture. Before his birth, she intended her son to become an architect. The fine buildings that Anna loved, she declared one day would be designed by her son. Well, today the evidence of non-biological prenatal influence is debatable, but it never was to Anna. She had no doubt she would extend her love of artful architecture through her unborn child, down through other generations, and across a dozen nations.
for Anna Lloyd Wright was the mother of Frank Lloyd Wright. Her son was indeed her son. And now you know the rest of the story. The smash is on, and it's on right now. Your California Jeep Eagle dealers have literally millions of dollars in inventory that's got to go. So the smash is on. Your local California Jeep Eagle dealers smashing prices on everything in stock. On every Jeep vehicle, on every Eagle Premier. We're smashing prices on Jeep Cherokee, our top-selling 4x4. We're smashing prices on Comanche, the sporty, practical Jeep pickup. We're smashing prices on everything. On Jeep Wrangler, on Wagoneer, on Grand Wagoneer. Plus, if you buy a new Eagle Premier right now, you'll get our special $750 spring bonus. That's $750 factory cash that you can apply to purchase. This is a limited time offer. See your dealer for details. Yes, we want it all to go. We want it all to go now. We want it all to go to you. So you get the selection, the values, the options. You'll get your lowest price right now. Plus a $750 bonus on Premier. But only while the smash is on. So hurry on down to the Smash, only at your California Jeep Eagle dealers, where you can expect the best from the best. to tell you who these people are. Good morning, everyone. Ray Bream with you until uh, the wee hours. And in the studio, a couple of people I've wanted to be talking with for a long time, and here they are. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Joe, how many million records did uh, you belong to me sell? Any idea? No, I have not uh, the faintest idea. It On the first release, when it first came out, I know it did not sell a million because I don't have a gold record saying mm -hmm. so. But over the years, uh, it has been bought by so many people, and I know one uh, distributor that bought it sold at least... Uh, half a million, so I don't know. I would, I would, if I had to do a guess, I would say at this point it must be somewhere around three million. Something like that, I would think. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, you did have seven gold records for, for other songs, but this is the one that you're most remembered for. Most identified yeah. with. Is yeah. that, it, it always amuses me. I'm most identified with it, and most people simply do not know the name of the song. They say, you know, the one I love that you do, <laughs> see the pyramids along the Nile. Paul, <laughs> you have, of course, backed up uh, Joe all these years as a uh, husband and uh, arranger and conductor. You were the first musical director for a fledgling young record company called Capital. Uh, what, what gave you the idea to put marimbas in there? 
Well, actually, uh, Ray, that was uh, the marimba part of it was Mitch Miller's idea. But the funny thing is... I thought he was hooked on harpsichords. Uh, this, well, <laughs> he's hooked on just about everything. Uh, but, but the funny thing is, this was the B-side of the record. This was the B-side? Yes, this wasn't supposed to be the hit. Oh, I see. No, Paul came to me. I, forget, I don't even remember what was on the other side, but he said, you know, we got to find a, a, a something to put on the other side of this record. And he said, I've got this song I wish I'd look at. I think it's a pretty good song. And uh, we can put it on the B-side. And I liked the song, he liked the song, and that was the B-side. Ha-ha. Listen, uh, we want to take a quick break here. And when we come back, uh, I want to go through a little montage of some of the things that uh, people will identify uh, in their lives. You know, we, we put songs to various time frames in our lives. And they'll identify these, these songs that you've had throughout the years. And we'll do a little reminiscing. And for those who don't remember the talents of Paul Weston and Joe Stafford, we'll do that right after we come back from the break. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Hi, this is Ray Bream, and for all of you out there who listen to my show, listen carefully. This is your one-time chance to save hundreds of dollars to buy at the lowest prices in the history of Sit and Sleep. Sit and Sleep in Culver City has the largest inventory of quality name-brand mattresses in all of L.A. And between now and when I go off the air at 5 this morning, Sit and Sleep is cutting their already low prices on every mattress set in the store, including your choice of a queen-size Sealy Posturepedic or Simmons Beautyrest Classic. Tonight, only $397. And tonight, Queen Start is only $157. Now, Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep, is at the store right now, standing by the phone to take your calls to buy your new mattress set at this one-time price. Now, don't miss out on this chance to save. Call Larry now. Keep him company, if nothing else. Just dial area code 213, then 838-0148, or 870-1374, or 870-3134. You know, with today's confused world of fashion, trends, and attitudes... There are a few ladies who can live up to the compliment of being called old-fashioned. Now, if you're one of these privileged ladies who still enjoy the utmost and courteous service and merchandise geared for your lifestyle of living or just being treated like an out-of-town guest, then Lieberg's is your place to shop. While many of the department stores have forgotten you, Lieberg's hasn't. And right now, for a limited time, Lieberg's is offering a Ray Bream special, Corette Solo Pants that are easy to care for. Now, these elastic waist pants come in three lengths, regular, short, and extra short, which means no additional hemming for you short and petite gals. Now, these pants are sold nationally for $27, but if you just say that Ray Bream sent you, you can get them for just $18. Lieberg's located in Alhambra on East Main and in Temple City on East Las Tunas. Free parking, call area code 818-282-8454. Lieberg's as unique and old-fashioned as you are. True blue, true This is Ross Porter reminding you that Vince Scully, Don Drysdale, and I will bring you the broadcast of all the 1988 Los Angeles Dodger games here on KABC. Hope you'll spend the season with us. The Dodgers and Giants go after each other one more time today. It's a day contest from Candlestick. Coverage begins this morning at 11.50 with Dodger Confidential here on KABC. And into the glory that's always Dodger Blue. 
Stafford and Paul Weston. Now, if you want to get in and talk to these two, I suggest you start calling right now because uh, a little bit later, you're not going to be able to get in. I'm convinced of that. But if you um, are uh, a little younger than some of us, then you might not remember uh, some of the songs uh, that uh, Joe Stafford made famous along with husband Paul Weston. So let's just go through uh, a little time machine a musical montage and take a listen. Take me in your arms and never let me go. Whisper to me softly while the moon is low. Hold me close and tell me what I want to know. Say it to me gently, let the sweet talk flow. Back the sound of music so tender. It brings back a night of tropical splendor. It brings back a memory evergreen. You'd be so nice to come home to.
Singing 
<laughs> more, more <laughs> makes you want to, you know, hang up uh, the 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 talk thing and go back to playing records <laughs> again. But I guess I wouldn't last very long, as I like to live in the past. What do you, What do you think of today's music? Does it bother you at all? I don't think about it very much. Paul <laughs> 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 well, is a composer, arranger, conductor. What went wrong along the way? Oh, gee, I don't know. I think that, um, I think one of the big problems was that a lot of uh, young people got the wherewithal to buy records uh, that they didn't have in the 50s and, and uh, earlier, and uh, I think that their taste just superseded everyone else's. And, of course, there were, you know, there have been some good songs and good uh, people like Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and, uh -huh. and uh, Crosby, Stills and, Crosby Nash, Stills and Nash, that sure, one album of theirs is super. But lately, I mean, I, I you know, acid rock and hard rock are, are just uh, difficult for me to get much of a kick out of. Yeah. I really do believe that the economics had a lot to do with it. And uh, uh, when I was a kid, I didn't have enough money to influence the flavor of an ice cream. You know, I, did, I didn't so have it. So it was Ma and Pa who were buying the records. Yeah, it was the older folks that were uh -huh. buying the records. And they didn't have enough money to just buy up a whole lot of records. They were very, had to be very selective. They That's didn't have the money. That's interesting. And suddenly in the 50s, the early 50s, prosperity hit us and suddenly Ma and Pa had enough money to give some to the kids uh -huh. and then you started having 12, 13, 14 year olds having enough money to influence the market and you can't ask people that age to have much subtlety in their music. Well, why taste. didn't we settle on the guitar only? Guitar and drums. <laughs> well, because guitar, uh, drums, you can just, you can pound away on drums and don't have to have any knowledge and guitar and you could learn four chords and have it made. Oh, terrible. <laughs> we'll be right back with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. I'm Edward James Olds. Like you, I live here in California, and I drive here. And now, if you and I don't get a smog check on our cars within 45 days of our renewal notice, our auto registration won't be renewed. 45 days, no more extensions. Smog is a big problem for our health but especially for the health of our children. Remember, get a smog check, and we can all breathe a little easier. For more information, call toll-free, 800-952-5210. Remember when you first moved into your house? It was only you and your beautiful spouse. Perhaps you had a child or two, and it seemed there was nothing that you couldn't do. The chores were light, the outlook bright. 
And then something happened that didn't seem right. That elusive thing we all know as time took its toll on your house. You could see all the signs. The paint is chipping, the faucets are dripping, the backyard fence is falling and splitting. The carpet is dirty, the future's not bright. But we have the answer to make all things right. Call Dial 1. 40 trades and services to help keep your home and business in great shape. A Dial 1 skilled professional can repair, replace, remodel, construct, or clean whatever you need done. Just look in the yellow pages under the trade you want. To get everything fixed and every job done, just pick up the phone and call Dial 1. Each Dial 1 company is independently owned and operated. All services may not be available in all areas. Well, it started at midnight, a very special one-time-only sale at Sit and Sleep in Culver City. The largest inventory of mattresses in L.A. Tonight, and tonight only, Sit and Sleep is offering you, Rayburn listeners, a one-time opportunity to buy top-quality mattresses at unheard-of prices, such as the queen-size Beautyrest Royalty, the number one rated bed in America, sold in department stores for up to $1,100. Tonight only, $497. And a genuine Sealy Posturepedic Twin, tonight only, $99 each piece. You can even buy a twin-size set for only $97 tonight. So before you go to sleep, call Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep. He's at the store right now waiting for your call. Buy your new mattress set. All night, Larry's taking your reservations over the phone and will honor these special prices. She's there right now. Dial area code 213-838-0148 or 870-1374 or 870-3134. KABC, Talk Radio 790. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, talk. of World War II. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, my guests, uh, you did the Chesterfield Supper Club for how many years on radio? Uh, starting with Johnny Mercer in 44, and uh, then after John did his uh, uh, stint on the Chesterfield Supper Club, which was a five-night-a-weeker, mm -hmm. uh, Perry Como did it from New York Monday through Friday. Then I went to New York, and they had. Then I did Tuesday and Thursday, and Perry did Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So, I did that. I was from '44 until 1949. That's a long, long stint. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, you conducted, of course. 
Well, at first, Joe went to New York, mm -hmm. and we were separated there for mm -hmm. a few Except years. Couple, just two years. Oh, I, 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 hold it right there. Uh, wh when you were with Tommy Dorsey, uh, that's when you first got to know each other. Well, we didn't really get to know each other because really? what happened af after those, th as mm -hmm. with the seven, the, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the group mm -hmm. of eight, after we left, uh, did the seven or eight radio shows, and then left that. Then we stayed in New York. We were, we were determined to stay in New York until all we had enough money to get home. Mm -hmm. So we did, and um, we I think we did one job in seven or eight months when we were paid $3.65. And so we finally ran out of money, and we came back to California. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, people started dropping out, and we wound up a quartet. And uh, one afternoon, I'd been down to pick up my last unemployment check, and I got home, and there was a message to call uh, operator or whatever in Chicago. And I called, and it was Tommy said, I can't use a group of eight, but I'd sure like a quartet. And I said, you know, hooray, you got one. <laughs> so uh, we joined the band in Chicago, but then Paul, who was still uh, uh, arranging for the band, mm -hmm. Paul left two weeks after we joined. Oh. So he was off into the sunset, and mm -hmm. I was someplace well, else. How did you meet? Well, we knew each other by that time, of mm -hmm. course, from mm -hmm. the early times, and, mm -hmm. and we knew each other, but he went to California, mm -hmm. and I was with a band, and so it was back and forth uh, for the next, until 1946, really. Mm -hmm. We finally worked, started working together when I joined Capitol Records. And, after, and of course, and he Paul, you were music director. Right, time. yes. Uh -huh. 40 All right, now let's go back to the Chesterfield Supper Club. And uh, so Joe was in New York, and, mm -hmm. and finally, what did you do? Well, I, see, when I left Tommy, I had a chance to... Um, arrange and conduct uh -huh. the Bluebird records uh -huh. of uh, Dinah Shore, who uh -huh. was just starting. Uh -huh. And uh, so I worked with Dinah, and I made a couple albums with Lee Wiley, who was a jazz singer in New York. And then I got a chance to come west with the Bob Crosby Band. And uh, with them, we got a job doing the soundtrack for Holiday Inn with being in Fred Astaire, and I got to arrange all Astaire's mm -hmm. dances for Holiday Inn, which was, you know, a great break. But you, you did uh, do uh, the music for uh, Chesterfield Supper Club with uh, your, your wife, Joe, at that time? Later. Later on. Yeah. That, 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 then Capital started in 1943, and Johnny Mercer, whom I had met uh -huh. at Paramount, asked me to be musical director, and in 40, the end of 43 and 44, Joe started recording, uh -huh. first with the pipe and solo, mm -hmm. and then it, she got busy, then we went on the air with the Mercer. All right, when you were doing Chesterfield Supper Club and uh, you were conducting the orchestra, any unusual things happen? You know, th th that was live radio, coast to coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the best ones, um, Joe, of course, had, was born and grew up, was born in Kalinga, but she grew up in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. So we did a, a show from Long Beach, sort of the triumphant uh, return of the local girl. Hometown girl And returns. the mayor um, had to make a little introduction, you know, mm -hmm. to Joe. Now, the f if you remember, in those days, we used to go on at 5 o'clock for the mm -hmm. East and mm -hmm. 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. The first show, the mayor was paralyzed with fear and read his script, you know, mm -hmm. straight, and everything was cool. Now, I guess between 5 and 8, he went home and had a couple of drinks and thought, well, <laughs> gee, I'm in showbiz, you know. <laughs> Who needs a script, you know? So um, we went on the air, and the mayor said, um, ladies and gentlemen, he said, I want you to meet our hometown girl, the girl we love, 
Joan Stanford. <laughs> and I gave the downbeat for Smoke Dreams, and nobody played but the fiddle players because they could laugh and play at the same time. <laughs> but the brass were doubled over, you know. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. A show to remember, right? One of right. my triumphant <laughs> returns, yes. We'll be right back with uh, Joan Stanford and Paul Weston. <laughs> Let me tell you about the street of dreams. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. With the breast cancer scare, you should know there's a great chance now to save the breast, even if you do find a lump. Be very honest now. At your last exam, did the doctor spend at least 15 minutes on your breasts? Did you lean over and have the back portion of your breast examined? Did the doctor show you how hard to press and what a lump actually feels like with the use of a model? Well, videos, pamphlets, mammograms, and brief exams, they just won't do it. Lumps and abnormalities don't show up on 20% of all mammograms. Really familiarizing yourself with your body is the only preventative care that can save your breast if you do find something. Breast Care of Southern California offers this. For a $25 initial fee, you'll have a thorough breast exam. You'll be taught self-breast examination and the use of the models. If a mammogram or other tests are warranted, they can be done right there. Breast Care of Southern California is one of only two centers locally. Call Breast Care of Southern California. This could be the difference between living and dying. Call area 213-531-6890. When I'm not here talking with you folks, I'm home sleeping like a baby on the Simmons Beauty Rest that I got from Sit and Sleep in Culver City. And you could be enjoying your new bed, too, at a price you've never heard of and will never hear of again. Right now, and only until 5 this morning, all Ray Brain listeners can save hundreds of dollars in top-quality name-brand mattresses at Sit and Sleep. Every mattress set is on sale tonight. Yeah, they're there in the store till 5 a.m., like the Queen Size Simmons Beauty Rest Classic. Tonight, only $397. Twin sets start at $87. And folds start at $117. Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep, is standing by right now. He's going to spend the midnight oil with me. And uh, he's standing there waiting for your phone call. So dial area code 213, then 838-0148 or 870-1374 or 870-3134. Speak with Larry and save hundreds of dollars tonight during this one-time midnight sale. Man, it's about that time again. Vacation and cruise season. And wouldn't it be wonderful to find a men's store that will completely dress you for travel in style? Well, I found such a store. It's Howe's Designer Men's Clothing Store in Encino, where you can find everything you need to keep you comfortably stylish for your vacation. You see, Howe's knows that for your trip, you don't need a lot of clothes. You simply need the right clothes. And at Howe's, much of the clothing and accessories are unique creations that you just can't find anywhere else. The reason? Gary and Steve Stearns have shopped the world and brought back the latest and exciting Pencoldi linens, Kotong and silk sports shirts and tops, and... They're teamed with coordinated Zanella slacks to make the perfect vacation wardrobe. So if you're looking for comfortable, exciting styles in great fabrics and colors, Howl's has them. So, man, if you've never been to Howl's, head in today. Take a look around. Howl's on Ventura Boulevard, one block east of Balboa in Encino. And you tell them Ray Bream sent you. Howl's Designer Menswear. Here's Michael Caine for UKLA. 
This spring, we're going to take you on a cultural tour of Britain. And you don't even have to leave L.A. UK L.A. is here with some great British features. For your eyes, there'll be Hockney, British films, British sculpture, and even British TV. For your ears, English opera, Simon Rattle, British rock, theatre. For highbrows, Henry Moore. For the rest of us, Dudley Moore. Remember, UK LA is here. UK LA, join the celebration of British arts. KABC, Talk Radio 790. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, talk. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston are my guests. And uh, I've, I've done it again. I have, I have done the unpardonable. I have not given them credit. Jonathan and Darlene Edwards have been out in the hall, and they have uh, be, been waiting for their introduction, and, and waited, I've ignored them. They've waited in a lot of halls, so oh, yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> Back rooms, every place they wait. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to listen very carefully because this, uh, this act uh, won them a Grammy Award. It really did uh, for uh, Jonathan and Darlene in Paris, I believe. And uh, so here is uh, what they sound like. And if you don't remember Jonathan Darlene Edwards, I mean, hold on tight because you'll never forget this. Let's hear it for Alabama Bound. for a curtain raiser and a closer. And a <laughs> uh, you did win a Grammy Award for uh, Jonathan and Darlene Edwards' is a comedy album. That's right, and Jonathan has never forgiven the Academy for putting it in the comedy category. He feels it should be in jazz. You know, and, uh, of course. He's a jazz pianist. How did Jonathan and Darlene Edwards, alias Joe and Paul, get together? <laughs> Well, um, Jonathan, I think I think both of us. Uh, I think they really were born through uh, jokes. Mm -hmm. um, Jonathan uh, was a, a party pianist in Hollywood at a lot of uh, <laughs> gatherings, right? Yeah, I I used to, uh, you know, when people were tired of. Uh, people playing the right chords i just would go to the piano and i remember Jeannie martin dean's wife uh, always thought it was pretty funny and would ask me to play you know some 
Jonathan. We have your we have Jonathan. We have your Nola here in a second, so we'll, we'll play Nola in just a minute. Yeah. I mean, really, all all, all heart. <laughs> in a way, it got Very started. Very little else, but <laughs> we were at a Columbia Records convention in Key West, Florida, and there was a horrible piano player there. And when he went home, I went up to the piano and played Stardust like Jonathan. And guys from Columbia, George Avakian and Irv Townsend, said, "You've got to make an album." And I said, what for? And they said, no, that's good. And they came up with the name Jonathan Edwards for a fundamentalist preacher who was president of Yale University uh, in the 1800s. And uh, that was that was a name. On the plane home, I chickened out because I thought, I can't do 12 songs. So I uh, enlisted Darlene for Your Blase <laughs> and Autumn in New York and, and, uh, it's uh, magic. and It's Magic and one other one. And Darlene was born of, of <laughs> desperation. <laughs> Darlene was born uh, because in the 50s, um, in my recording days, in the early 50s, I got some material from New York, a, a lot of it, that I felt was really pretty awful. And so we'd have these record dates, and I would record these songs. Uh, I remember Chow Willie was the name of one. Underneath uh, the Overpass. Underneath the Overpass <laughs> was another biggie. And uh, so I'd be, by the time the record date was over, I'd be pretty mad at this material. And we'd have a maybe five or ten minutes left, and so I'd say to the guys in the band, let's do this song like it deserves to be done. <laughs> and so they would play real square, and I would sing like Darlene, and we'd have a record of the song that we thought it really deserved. <laughs> and that was uh, really the birth of Darlene. Well, let's hear the, the great talents of Jonathan Edwards as he sets himself down at the piano and a uh, arpeggio or two of Nola. He did slow down, you know, when he got to the tough parts, and, and then when he got back to the original melody, he could really go, you know. Uh, it's wonderful. Let's take a call. We have Catherine from New York City. Hi, Catherine. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I am so thrilled to hear Joe and uh, Paul again after all these years. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you have still have the most beautiful speaking voices, and uh, you, of course, have perfect fits, Joe. Uh, but, well... Uh, I, I'm really curious. I really called because of this last uh, set of records. Didn't you make one with a hillbilly uh, beat? Oh, yeah, that was the, it was Red Engel. Uh, it was a, uh, I guess you call it a hillbilly version of uh, Temptation. That's it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Red Engel and the Natural Seven. Right. Uh, do you have it there to play? I don't have it. I don't know if Ray does or not. No, no we don't I have it. Not. Your voice was so funny in that. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. that montage that you played before, is that encased in any one uh, cassette? 
I think I think Ray put that together, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Ray put well, all those things I'd like together. To have it. How can I get one? You mean of that montage thing? Yeah. I don't it's think not you for can. Sale. <laughs> I don't no. think you can. <laughs> no. Actually, m most of most of the tunes are on one album, Joe after right. the greatest hits. Uh, oh. And these albums, you have your own record company, mm -hmm. Corinthian Records. That's right. right. Uh, you have a catalog of your records, don't you? Uh, yeah, sure. All right. Mm -hmm. If people want to write for a catalog of what is of available, what we have available, what's the address? Yeah. Uh, post Office Box 6296. That's 6296. Right. Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. California, 90212. Now these these are records that are really out of print. You can't get them anywhere. No. You you got uh, you, you got uh, license from uh, Capital and uh, Columbia, right? For some of my stuff, and yeah. of course, about ten years ago, we got all Joe's masters back from Columbia. So I'm, we we, we own them. Great, you own them. We own them. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, that's great. We have about twenty six albums. So any you know, if you'll just get, drop us a note at that box number, we'll send you a catalog, and and you can see what's available. What's the zip again? 90212. 90212. Got that? I need to get a, is the name of the company. Corinthian. Corinthian Records. Corinthian, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Very good, Catherine. Thanks for the call. My guests, Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. And this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Well, the midnight sale is going on right now at Sit and Sleep in Culver City, the largest inventory of mattresses in L.A. Tonight and tonight only, Sit and Sleep is offering you Ray Bream listeners a one-time opportunity to buy top-quality name-brand mattresses at unheard-of prices, such as the queen-size Beautyrest Royalty, America's number one bed sold in department stores for up to $1,100 tonight. Only $497. And a genuine Sealy Posturepedic Twin, tonight only $99 each piece. Call Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep. He's standing by the phone right now at the store. Reserve your new mattress set and ask Larry about his 30-night sleep trial guarantee. All through the night, Larry will be taking your reservations over the phone at these special prices for you Ray Bream listeners only. Buy tonight and save hundreds of dollars. Call Larry at area code 213, then 838-0148 or 870-1374 or 870-3134. Maybe you're handy, maybe you're not. Maybe you just want to give it a shot. Maybe it's an old leaky pipe that you've got and you want to fix it right there on the spot. You might be the type who thinks that it's fun to keep working and working till the rotten job's done. But if you've tried and tried and just can't make it work, or just the mere thought of it drives you berserk, you don't have to solve the problem alone. Just pick up the phone and call Dial 1. Look in the yellow pages under Plumbing for the Dial 1 plumber near you. Dial 1 has 40 trades and services to care for residential, commercial, and industrial property. From plumbing to heating and air conditioning, from carpet cleaning to pest control. If you've got a problem, chances are there's a Dial 1 skilled professional to handle it. Dial 1 is the only recommendation you need to be sure the job is done right. The next time that you've got a job to be done, just pick up the phone and call Dial 1. Each Dial 1 company is independently owned and operated. All services may not be available in all areas. 
Hello there, I'm Michael Jackson. The week ahead holds so much. Topics and issues to inform and entertain. Coming up, advice on breaking the never-ending cycle of diets, overcoming overeating. Also this week, stress on the job. It's now becoming a legal issue. Animal research, the pros and cons. Alzheimer's disease, is progress really being made? How about an increase on the cigarette tax as the time come? I'm Michael Jackson, and all week long from 9 to 1, join us on Talk Radio KABC. Followed by Talk, T-A-L-K. All Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word Talk. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then Talk. Did you say I got a lot to Yes, Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, and that's a song that uh, Sammy Kahn, who wrote the lyrics, and of course the late uh, Gene DePaul wrote the music. Uh, Sammy Kahn says that's his favorite uh, composition. He loves that most it's, of all. It's, it's good, and of course, at the time, wow, it was, was it ever risque, folks? <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Mary had a little lamb. Yes, yes. All right, let's go to the phones. We have Sally on the line from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Good morning, Sally. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Hi, I love hearing this. It brings back a lot of memories. And when it does, from my high school days, it also reminds me of a fellow that was in my studio radio class, and they called it Studio Radio. And his name was Ray Breen. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. And he wanted to become an announcer. Now, is that your father or you? <laughs> no, that... <laughs> Beautiful. I, I'm, I'm afraid it was... It was, me. I was I was telling Joe and Paul uh, that uh, I, I was on the air at, in my hometown of Ogden, Utah. Oh, be darn it is you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> at KLO, seventh floor of the Ben Lomond Hotel, in 1945. I, I was actually on the air before I got into high school. Well, you know, I remember in studio radio class, I remember we had some little snip thing that we had to pretend we were announcers. And you were very professional, and you were tall and had brown wavy hair. <laughs> He's still very tall. Well, I was the announcer for the uh, the radio show that came from the school. Remember? I can't remember that. Tiger it flashes. Oh yeah. Used to come from the auditorium. And yeah. I heard I heard this on WIOD, and I heard someone say Ray Bream, and I said. It couldn't be. Yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> so. <laughs> you found me out, Sally. How are you? Fine, how are you? What are you doing in Fort Lauderdale? Oh, I've lived here for 20 years. Oh. And uh, prefer it to the ice pack. Uh-huh. Well, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love hearing Joe and Paul, and I had all the records, um, all the 78s. I may still have them. I don't know. Well, we thank you very much. But, uh, it, it's just great to hear you, and I wish you luck and happiness and you too ray well thank you very much sally you know where i'm at now so uh, call me more often where are you at <laughs> oh I, i'm in uh, los angeles okay i just wondered because um over the local uh the local station it just says tune in wiod for ray bream and uh -huh. i didn't know where you're well we originate the show from los angeles uh -huh. well congratulations it's wonderful 
Well, Sally, thank you for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. How about that? Let's say hello to uh, Ray from Orange County, California. Go ahead, Ray. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Good morning, Ray and Miss Stafford. Hi. I have a, a comment and a question for Ray, and I don't know which to go first. Uh, perhaps, Ray, who was the disc jockey in 1945 on Armed Forces Radio called Tokyo Mose? Tokyo Mose? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, when we first went into uh, Japan, we were rotated from the European Theater. And that was in a signal outfit. Mm -hmm. I never heard that. I haven't either. Uh -uh. Anyway. I didn't get to Tokyo until 1950. Okay, mm -hmm. this was 45. Yeah. I, I had to wait for another war to break up. It was out. a better <laughs> year. <laughs> but anyway, being in a signal outfit, and you know how ingenious uh, GIs are. Sure. Somebody got a... PA system working, and uh, pretty soon somebody got things this and that, and one morning instead of hearing the first sergeant, we, uh, a record came on. Where it came from, I don't know, but it was Miss Stafford. Do you know what the record was? What? Put your dreams away until another day. Oh, yeah. A hundred guys every morning for six months. <laughs> 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 and I tell you, it was something. I don't know where and how a record like that ever got into Japan in 1945, but it was there. That's great. Glad to hear it. And uh, we really enjoyed it. Thank you, Ray. Good. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Well, let's take a call from Dorothy in Sparks, Nevada. Hello, Dorothy. Well, hi, Ray. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Oh, fine. You must be Houdini. You finally got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just a dream come true. Finally talking to you now I'm here. Well, that's so, nice. I'm glad to be talking to you. And, of course, I always think of Paul when I think of you. Well, well uh, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you two in Hollywood at one of your broadcasts. I stood in line, I don't know how long. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yes, and it was just, it was just wonderful. I, I remember you in a beautiful powder blue dress. And you were just singing these songs, and I just thought you were just gorgeous. Oh, thank you. And I just love your records, and I love your voice, and I had all your records. Oh, that's mighty nice. Well, I just want I'm so nervous. I wish you'd be really, Do you have your records still available, your albums? Yes, uh-huh. Oh, they have well. control of them, and they have their own record company called Corinthian Records. Oh, Corinthian. And mm -hmm. I gave the address out here a minute ago. Oh, well, thank you. I we'll, we'll give it out again next yeah. hour. Thank you. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to get off. I'm so nervous. But I yeah. get your records because <laughs> I lost all of my record collection. Well, you write to us, and we'll send you a brochure telling, it, telling you exactly what's available. Well, thank you so much. And I just adore your uh, Walk Alone and St. Louis Woman. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, Dorothy. Let's say hello to Lee in uh, California. Good morning, Lee. Hello. Joe, what a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed your music over the years, and I'm wondering now if you have any plans to come out of retirement. None whatsoever. <laughs> not a one. Why not? <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, you know, your life is in different, uh, comes in different segments, and that was a part of my life, and it was great and wonderful, and I enjoyed it. And now this is another part of my life, and I'm enjoying this, and I don't want to change it. You don't want to sing anymore, huh? No, I sing to my grandchildren. They're a very good audience. <laughs> Wonderful. There is a, a station in Los Angeles, KGBR, where they play uh, music of that era. Uh -huh. And so he plays your records all the time. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that. So we get to hear it, but uh, Good. would really love to see you on TV or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think I'm a little beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> well, many of the um, um, singers have come out of retirement, like Ogie Grant. And yeah. They've played around locally in Westwood uh -huh. and uh, been quite successful. Yeah, but I don't know. I yeah. sort of enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> one of these days we'll see an announcement. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, were you ever forced to uh, sing songs you didn't want to record? Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, a lot of them. A lot. I was thinking of the Columbia Days with Frank Sinatra and the one that they forced him to sing with Dagmar, Mama Will Bark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they, they kind of tried to get me, for instance, to do some of the... When, right when music was sort of changing, going mm -hmm. into the rock thing. To do some rock things, huh? Yeah, and um, I, it was beyond... I couldn't. I couldn't do it. It was it was the wrong... I, my voice wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And it was just the wrong thing. Sure, sure. I was there with Frank uh, at, in his last... I was the West Coast head of Columbia at the mm -hmm. time, and... So Mitch Miller came out and brought Frank some awful song, you know, and Frank at that time wasn't in very good shape. Uh, we'll talk about it here in a second. Right. Hold on. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, my guest. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio AM 790. Yeah, so? So uh, Frank, uh, Mitch was very enamored at the time of a guitar player named Speedy West who could make a noise like a chicken. <laughs> and that was, you know, a very uh, big part of the record. Uh -huh. So Frank, you know, at that time was having a lot of trouble with his, with his mm -hmm. voice, and but he was game, and he, he, you know, did what he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And he finally got through the, the whole session. Mm -hmm. And Mitch jumped up and ran out of the booth, and I figured that he was going to congratulate Frank. He ran right past Frank and grabbed Speedy West and <laughs> hugged him and kissed him because he made a noise like a chicken. <laughs> Allentown, Pennsylvania, and Philip. Hello, <laughs> Philip. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Hi. I finally get to talk to you. Um, I, I'm um, in my 30s, and I was a kid of the 60s, and um, I, my mother had this record, uh, uh, this album, with this uh, beautiful blonde on it in front of a piano with a, a man with two left hands. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Edwards was the name. She's always said to me, she, and your name was never on it, she, she, she always told me, this has got to be Joe Stafford. Is that true? That's true. Okay. And yes, it's true. Of, you know, my whole life, I was, I was, uh, I, I couldn't believe this album. I, uh, <laughs> now you know, Philip. It was Jonathan and Darlene Edwards. <laughs> Uh, also known as Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. Stay tuned now for the news, and then don't go away because there's more to come with Joe and Paul. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. KABC. Talk Radio 790. The smash is on, and it's on right now. Your California Jeep Eagle dealers have literally millions of dollars in inventory that's got to go. So the smash is on. Your local California Jeep Eagle dealers smashing prices on everything in stock. 
on every Jeep vehicle, on every Eagle Premier. We're smashing prices on Jeep Cherokee, our top-selling 4x4. We're smashing prices on Comanche, the sporty, practical Jeep pickup. We're smashing prices on everything, on Jeep Wrangler, on Wagoneer, on Grand Wagoneer. Plus, if you buy a new Eagle Premier right now, you'll get our special $750 spring bonus. That's $750 factory cash that you can apply to purchase. This is a limited-time offer. See your dealer for details. Yes, we want it all to go. We want it all to go now. We want it all to go to you. So you get the selection, the values, the options. You'll get your lowest price right now, plus a $750 bonus on Premier. But only while the smash is on. So hurry on down to the smash. Only at your California Jeep Eagle dealers, where you can expect the best from the best. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. From ABC News, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. The Pennsylvania primary is Tuesday, and Democrats Michael Dukakis and Jesse Jackson held their first one-on-one -on -one presidential debate Friday night in Philadelphia. Dukakis explained what he wants to accomplish as president. I want to build an America that you and I can be proud of, the best America. America that doesn't hide but competes, an America that doesn't waste but invests, an America that doesn't leave some of its citizens behind but brings everybody along, an America whose best times are yet to come. While Jackson promised to move America to a higher moral ground. I give you a choice, you give me a chance, I'll make you a good president. The two avoided attacks on one another, concentrating instead on criticizing the Reagan administration. I'll have more after this. My name is Stacy Patterson. I'm seven. My grandpa suffers from Alzheimer's disease, and so I suffer too. My name is Jerry Patterson. I'm 38. My father suffers from Alzheimer's disease, and so I suffer too. You don't have to have Alzheimer's disease to suffer from it. When Grandpa Patterson contracted Alzheimer's, it devastated every generation of the Patterson family. America's fourth leading fatal disease among adults slowly erodes the memory, the mind, and the body. Over the course of painful years, it saps the physical, financial, and emotional strength of everyone it touches. But one organization is leading the way in easing the burden on families and in finding the cure. Alzheimer's Disease and Related Disorders Association is at the forefront of dramatic advances in the battle against this tragic disease. If you need information or help, or if you want to help, call your chapter or 1-800-621-0379. The Los Angeles Police Department continues its war against gang violence. The latest tactic is the scaled-down sweep, not quite the major offensive launched by a thousand extra officers, but effective nonetheless, as we hear from ABC's Larry Carroll. It is the kind of thing that is going to be going on in between the massive super sweeps involving 500 or 1,000 officers, those which cost $150,000 per shot. Nonetheless, the take in gang suspects and violators tonight has been healthy. Nearly 100 people have died in gang-related violence in L.A. so far this year. A 16-year-old immigrant from Jamaica was shot and critically wounded by a narcotics officer in New York Friday. The boy's in critical condition. The officer says the shooting happened as he tried to arrest the boy and an accomplice who were caught allegedly selling $20 worth of crack in a police buy-and-bust operation in Queens. The recent string of nighttime raids on U.S. military 
military installations in Panama are the work of Cuba, according to a report in the San Francisco Examiner. U.S. soldiers have reportedly killed two Cuban soldiers and wounded at least half a dozen others. There have been four raids in the past 11 days. The body of a missing crewman has been found in the North Atlantic, 17 hours after the Greek-owned tanker Athenian Venture was discovered split in two and burning out of control Friday. Officials are studying the ship's log to try to find out what caused the fire 800 miles southeast of Nova Scotia. It was carrying a load of gasoline to New York. Suspected Iranian mines have been destroyed in the Persian Gulf. The Pentagon says five mines were found just 35 miles from where a U.S. Navy frigate was heavily damaged by a mine explosion last week. At least two people are dead and three are missing in the explosion that demolished six silos at a grain elevator complex in Joliet, Illinois. Well, good health news for President and Mrs. Reagan. ABC's Bill Greenwood has details of their checkups at the Bethesda Naval Medical Center Friday. The medical report was a good one for President and Mrs. Reagan, and the chief executive flashed an OK sign as he boarded a helicopter at the Bethesda Naval Hospital for a flight to Camp David. The president had a routine dental exam, including routine x-rays of his teeth. Mrs. Reagan's checkup was for more serious reasons. She underwent her first post-operative mammogram since undergoing surgery for breast cancer last year. The report from White House physician John Hutton was reason to celebrate. The mammogram was negative, revealing no signs of a new cancer. Bill Greenwood, ABC News, at the White House. This is ABC News. Grandma Jane and Nosy Rosie won't have to claw through the garbage cans to find their dinner anymore. In Somerville, South Carolina, the two have become fat cats indeed. The kitties have been named as main beneficiaries in an estate worth about a quarter of a million dollars. Their late owner, Dick Starkey, said the cat said in his will that the cats are to be allowed free reign in his house, that his couches will become their scratching posts, and they're to enjoy those privileges for the rest of their lives. Stark's attorney says his client wanted to make sure the cats were taken care of properly. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. With the breast cancer scare, you should know there's a great chance now to save the breast, even if you do find a lump. Be very honest now. At your last exam, did the doctor spend at least 15 minutes on your breasts? Did you lean over and have the back portion of your breast examined? Did the doctor show you how hard to press and what a lump actually feels like with the use of a model? Well, videos, pamphlets, mammograms, and brief exams, they just won't do it. Lumps and abnormalities don't show up on 20% of all mammograms. Really familiarizing your Yourself with your body is the only preventative care that can save your breast if you do find something. Breast Care of Southern California offers this. For a $25 initial fee, you'll have a thorough breast exam. You'll be taught self-breast examination and the use of the models. If a mammogram or other tests are warranted, they can be done right there. Breast Care of Southern California is one of only two centers locally. Call Breast Care of Southern California. This could be the difference between living and dying. Call area 213-5316890. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio 
Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, and of course, uh, that was uh, the one that people call uh, the Pyramids Along the Nile, right? Mm-hmm, that's the title. <laughs> <laughs> Better known in some circles as You Belong <laughs> to Me. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, you are really the creator of what we now call mood music back in around 1944. I bought your first album. <laughs> That's great. 78s. I, it had a, uh, if I recall, a white and red and blue cover. That's right. Sort music, of clouds. Yes, yeah. music for dreaming. I can tell you what was in it, some of them. <laughs> Don't blame me. I'm in right. the mood for love. I only have eyes for you. Right. It was a great album. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, Johnny Mercer, of course, you know, when we started to do our albums, uh, the first album Capitol ever made was, was with Mercer's songs, uh, with Joe and the Pipers and myself. And uh, uh, then Nat Cole got to make, I think his was number nine, and I think mine was like number 10 or 11. And uh, what I did, I just took the dance orchestra, uh -huh. and of course, uh, it, it was remarkable in those days because so many of the guys from the big bands decided to live in California, and I would go to work at night and have in my band Ziggy Elman and Babe Russin and Eddie Miller, Maddie Matlock, you know, uh, Paul Smith, Paul Smith on piano and and uh, George Van Epps on guitar, and it was like a pleasure to go to work, and so then I just added strings to that. And uh, we used a lot of jazz solos, and, uh, you know, at the same time, Muzak was out with what they finally got to call elevator music, but uh, uh, I always felt my albums were a little better than that because they had some reason behind them. Very late, uh, about 1960, when you did the album The Sweet and the Swingin', which I still love. I think it's <laughs> great with the voices and a little uh, almost like boys in the band singing like uh, you did with Marie... Uh, with Tommy, Tommy Dorsey, Dorsey. Right. Um, a little counterpoint in music, uh, voice-wise. Uh, you used Paul Smith there in that album. Paul was on, yeah, Paul, I guess, was on everything Joe and I did for about 15, 15 20 years. Now, out of the Sweet and the Swingin' album, Joe, why don't you pick out uh, a, a little bit of uh, the bridge or something like that that Paul was doodling around on? Son of a gun. <laughs> Let's take a listen. Some great horns there. That's Don Figure with Stan Trump. Oh, great. Let's see if we can get some uh, piano here. Paul Smith. albums I've ever listened to. I love it. Thank the you. Sweet and the Swingin' with Paul Weston. It uh, did very well on uh, turntables as far as radio players concerned. I know. I used to play it all the time. But it really wasn't much of a of a hit, which was a disappointment. Well, it, it, it was, it, it was uh, an anachronism. It was its wrong 
wrong time, you know. I guess that's true. It was 1960, and yeah. you know what had happened by 1960. <laughs> 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 so anyway, let's start taking some more calls. We have Andy on the line. Hello, Andy. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Well, hi, Ray. Uh, after hearing Joe and Paul, I was trying to backflash here 20, 25 years with Joe. I, I want to ask each of you, Joe and Paul, mm -hmm. a question about your, your, your recording history past to see if, in fact, uh, my memories were correlating. Back in about 67, Benny Goodman did a, uh, a, a I guess a tour, and he was uh, at the Rainbow Grill in New York. And uh, I was wondering if you were the person that was a soloist with him uh, at that point. No, the only, only time I ever worked with Benny was a, a, a television show called Swinging, uh, swinging into spring, or swing into spring, right? And uh, with Ella, and uh, I was on okay. the show. But that, no, I was not. That was not. Uh, I was not with yeah. Benny there. Now I recall you worked at uh, in a recording studio in New York called Bell Sound. You had done a, uh, a single there. What, what was it called? Bell Sound. It no longer exists. It was on 54th Street. Oh, oh, oh. Uh -huh. And 24 hours later, the song was on the air. And even then, the 60s was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> now, for all of us, it was a surprise, pleasant surprise, because, of course, it was doing, it did very well. Yeah. Uh, and for Paul, I have a question. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul, did you work with Barney Begard on his own solo album for, uh, with Mickey Golson at Criterion Music? No, uh, I was, you know, Mickey and I were very dear friends, and, yeah. and of course, uh, my firm, Hanover Music, was once, Mickey and I were p partners in, in that firm. Yes. And, uh, no, but I didn't work with uh, Barney. Uh, I was a great fan of his, I of course, with the Ellington band. I worked with him, because we had Nick Fatul and, and people like that. Did you, do you remember a guy named Bill Miller, who was the first uh, recording engineer for Capitol? Oh, very well. Very he was well. there from the, from, the, from the early days. Yes. Yeah, I got a chance to meet him during that album. I just tried. We just, now I got some clarifications about who and what. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Andy. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's go to Kensington, Connecticut. We have Mario on the line. Good morning, Mario. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Morning, Ray. Joe good morning. And Paul. First of all, Ray, I want to congratulate you. are the greatest montage arranger in all the world. <laughs> well, maybe there's a future for me making montages. <laughs> you had a great montage tonight when you had Andy Russell. You had a great montage of him, too. Yeah. And I want to ask Paul and, and Joe, first Joe, uh, lady first, mm -hmm. I want to ask you, you had one record, I forget the name, it's supposed to be While You're Eating Dinner. You had a song that you sang off pitch, off key. Mm -hmm. And it must have been hard for, for somebody with perfect pitch like you to sing a song off key. Was it hard? Well, you have to listen very careful, Mario, <laughs> <laughs> and just make sure that you do not sing any note in tune. It kind of was a fun thing, wasn't it? Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. And I want to ask Paul, uh, one th I think uh, the great singer Randy Russell started with you. Uh, he was one of your singers. Uh, did he start as a drummer or as a singer, Andy well, Russell? Well, Andy was a very good drummer, and I think he did play for a while with Alvino Ray's orchestra, but that was before... Uh, he started at Capitol, and I did his early uh, arrangements uh, for his first records on Capitol. And, of course, Andy had a wonderful career. Of course, after he left the stage, he was down in Mexico and became quite a motion picture star. And and uh, the funny thing is, Andy still looks like he's about 35 years old. Tell me. <laughs> I want to know the secret. I told him that he's found the fountain of youth, and I want to share some of it. He just, it just looks the same now as always. Huh? My two favorites are Joe Stanford and for male singer Andy Russell. I think they're both the greatest. Well, a nice company with uh, Andy. Weston and Ray Braid. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mario. Good night. Those early days at Capitol, what, what a line of talent you had. Mm -hmm. uh, 
were you responsible for getting some of these people on the label? Uh, no, not so much. I mean, I was after I went to Columbia, I signed Liberace, uh, you know, to his first record contract, and nor uh, uh, the Norman Luboff uh, uh -huh. choir at Capitol. John Mercer, you know, brought most of yeah. the people in. And of course, but it must have been a great working with uh, everybody from uh, Nat Cole to uh, Stan Kenton and Andy Russell and Gordon McRae and Margaret Whiting and your wife Joe Stafford mm -hmm. and the well, Pied Piper. Lee? Peggy Lee. Oh, I made Margaret's record, of course, with uh, she and I shared that it might as well be spring, which was her oh, first yeah. uh, first big hit. And then we had Betty Hutton, of course, who had had some pretty good hits and in the early uh, days of Capitol. Uh, Ella Morris with mm -hmm, Buddy mm -hmm. Slack. Right, right. That will get us into the Society of Singers, and yes. we'll do that as soon as we come back. Don't go away. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, my guest. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Your pipes are leaking. The roof needs fixing. There's painting that has to be done. Your carpet needs cleaning, and you've just been thinking, now's a great time to call dial one. Nothing is easier, nothing is faster. They're experts at each job they do. So why take a chance when you know in advance dial one is the right one for you? Dial one are the reliable service people. For home or business, the Dial One network of skilled professionals has the expertise and long-term experience to see the job through from start to finish. It's quality workmanship every step of the way. 40 trades and services taking care of the inside and outside of your home, business, or commercial property. Dealing with Dial One is like a recommendation from a good friend. Your direct line to dependable service, whatever you have to have done, is as close as your phone, at work or at home. Just remember to call Dial 1. Each Dial 1 company is independently owned and operated. All services may not be available in all areas. Hi, this is Ray Brame, and for all of you out there who listen to my show, listen carefully. This is your one-time chance to save hundreds of dollars to buy at the lowest prices in the history of sit and sleep. Sit and Sleep in Culver City has the largest inventory of quality name-brand mattresses in all of L.A. And between now and when I go off the air at 5 this morning, Sit and Sleep is cutting their already low prices on every mattress set in the store, including your choice of a queen-size Sealy Posturepedic or Simmons Beautyrest Classic. Tonight, only $397. And tonight, Queen Start at only $157. Now, Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep, is at the store right now, standing by the phone to take your calls to buy your new mattress set at this one-time price. Now, don't miss out on this chance to save. Call Larry now. Keep him company, if nothing else. Just dial area code 213, then 838-0148, or 870-1374, or 870-3134. Want to know about a bed and breakfast you can escape to some weekend soon? Or how about the latest in the world of audio and video? And if you're looking for a restaurant with good food and an interesting wine list, I have it for you. Hi, Elmer Dills, inviting you to join me Sunday afternoon, 5 to 8, for our Good Life Report. And of course, as always, your calls and your restaurant reports, the most important part of the program. So call in, join in, and you too can be a restaurant critic. All that and more, Sunday afternoon, starting at 5 after the Dodgers, here on KABC Talk Radio. 79 numbers and in the word talk, T-A-L-K. South Bay Area, dial 679. Glendale and Pasadena, 244. 
990 for the San Fernando Valley, and in Orange County, the 714 area, 750. The 213 area of Orange County, 448. Los Angeles, it's 520, and then talk. Two songs hold a very special place in our hearts. They certainly do to me. I bet they do. And you have an album called G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. This is from that album. And it's uh, recently been put on CD. Two or three of your albums are. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, Jonathan and Darlene. Well, we thought people should really be able to hear them <laughs> clearly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Don't want any service noise or anything like no, that. No, interfering, no. <laughs> and uh, you, Paul, have uh, taken some uh, goodies out of uh, the uh, Music for Dreaming and Easy Listening albums. That's right. I have four albums, and uh, Capital let me lease them back. And, of course, we did them over in stereo, and now they've been digitally recorded. And on CDs. On mm -hmm. CD. And uh, the album we just got through playing, uh, G.I. Joe, uh, that's on CD. And, and Joe Plus Jazz, right. that's on CD. Mm -hmm. So if people want to write to you and find out more of uh, what you have in your catalog, that address again. It's Corinthian Records. Corinthian Records. Right. As in St. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Post Office Box 6296, Beverly Hills, California, 90212. That's P.O. Box 6296, Beverly Hills, 90212. We just might make uh, Jonathan and Darlene Edwards popular again. You never know. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, when we first put the album out, nobody knew who it was for about uh, four, four or five months. I remember. And the jockeys, of course, yeah. played them in t yeah. guessing contests. And one guy uh, said he was sure it was Margaret and Harry Truman. <laughs> 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 to Minneapolis and Sharon. Hello, Sharon. Hello. You're on with Joe Stafford and uh, Paul Weston. Yes, uh, I'd like to speak with uh, Paul Stafford. Paul Stanford or Joe Stanford? Which one? Well, uh, Stanford. Joe Stanford, right? Joe. Okay. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that that I heard you. Uh, I I kind of born I was uh, born in the forties, and, mm -hmm. and I remember in the kind of like in the late fifties and early sixties, a couple songs that you know that that. Uh, that were on the radio. Mm -hmm. well, what were your favorite records? Well, the ones that I guess I could, the ones that I guess I could call my favorite was um, "You Belong to Me" and "God Love Her." She knows the title. Yeah, <laughs> Great. Pyramids Along the Nile. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, there was another one that uh, uh, you played. Uh, Why can't I say I'm sorry? Well, oh, oh yeah, yes. What, yeah. Uh -huh. what can, what I, can say, I say, dear? dear? Uh huh. Yeah. What and, you know, these uh, these songs were played to me like when I was misbehaving and... <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? They were punishments? <laughs> no, it was like, uh, in other words, uh, I should learn something by it. Uh, I, see, I see. I understand. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they were turned up a little bit louder, you know, so that I could hear. Mm -hmm. Very good. And I just, you know, I'd like to say that you've got such a beautiful voice, and, and 
I'm interested in and, and you know, maybe getting a catalog so that uh, I could take and get some of these records and turn around and give my mother back them to. <laughs> very, very Ain't good. About that. You well, write us and we'll send you a brochure. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, my guests. Chorus of their squeaky old horns was music to my ears. The, la the last time I saw Paris, her heart was warm and This is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. At Furnishings 2000, the most exciting furniture ever. You saw it on the TV news. Brand new living room, dining room, bedroom furniture, bedding, and more. But now, it's the Furnishings 2000 not a cent event. That means no down payment. No monthly payments. You don't pay until August of 88 and pay no finance charges with your good credit. Plus instant credit on the spot up to $1,500 with approved credit on everything in the store. Sale prices in every department store-wide. Take this fantastic, the latest Southwest look. Your choice selected cocktail and or sofa tables all at just $288 each. Here's a fabulous five-piece stand at the table and four matching chairs. $388 for the five-piece set. Sale price says fabulous 18th century dining room set. You get the table, you get the three side chairs, even the armchair. All five pieces together, sale priced just $788. And instant credit up to $1,500 with your good credit on the spot. Hurry to the furnishings 2000 nearest you. Now, 10 LA area stores, including Pointe Hills at 18204 Gale Avenue in the Pointe Hills Mall and Pasadena at 3660 East Foothill Boulevard. Well, it started at midnight, a very special one-time-only sale at Sit and Sleep in Culver City. The largest inventory of mattresses in L.A. Tonight, and tonight only, Sit and Sleep is offering you, Raybreen listeners, a one-time opportunity to buy top-quality mattresses at unheard-of prices, such as the queen-size Beautyrest Royalty, the number one rated bed in America, sold in department stores for up to $1,100. Tonight only. $497, and a genuine Sealy Posturepedic Twin, tonight only $99 each piece. You can even buy a twin-size set for only $97 tonight. So before you go to sleep, call Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep. He's at the store right now waiting for your call. Buy your new mattress set. All night, Larry's taking your reservations over the phone and will honor these special prices. She's there right now. Dial area code 213-838-0148 or 870-1374, or 870-3134. You know, with today's confused world of fashion, trends, and attitudes, there are a few ladies who can live up to the compliment of being called old-fashioned. Now, if you're one of these privileged ladies who still enjoy the utmost and courteous service, and merchandise geared for your lifestyle of living, or just being treated like an out-of-town guest, then Liebergs is your place to shop. While many of the department stores have forgotten you, Liebergs hasn't. And right now, for a limited time, Liebergs is offering a Ray Bream special, Corette Solo Pants that are easy to care for. Now, these elastic waist pants come in three lengths, regular, short, and extra short, which means no additional hemming for you short and petite gals. 
Now, these pants are sold nationally for $27. But if you just say that Ray Bream sent you, you can get them for just $18. Lieberg's located in Alhambra on East Main and in Temple City on East Las Tunas. Free parking, call area code 818-282-8454. Lieberg's as unique and old-fashioned as you are. KABC, Talk Radio 790. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word TALK. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then TALK. a big one for you, Joe. Uh, was that a gold record? Uh, was that a gold? I don't think so. I think it was well, about three quarters of a million. I think. What, what were your gold records? Remember? Uh, Whispering Hope. Uh-huh. Religious with Gordon McRae. Gordon McRae. Right. Uh, Make Love to Me. Uh, Temptation. And some others that would be gold records, but they didn't. In those days, I don't know how they do it now, but in those days, you had to sell the million on the very first uh-huh. issuing of the uh-huh. record. Uh, you belong to me, certainly at this point, so way over that, and so I'm sure Shrimp Boats and uh, um, oh, Jambalaya, uh, I think all those are probably over a million. I do not have a record, uh-huh. uh, record saying that, because as I say, yeah. they didn't do it on the first issue. Right. For uh, over 35 years, you have... Uh recorded nearly 800 songs. Do you know that, Ray? Because I have been asked that, and I do not know. That's what um, it says right here. Uh, I, well, I know that... The, Tom the, Colburn of the Joe Stafford well, Society believe me, wrote if, that. If anyone knows, Tom does. <laughs> if anyone knows, Tom Colburn does. He's in London, in England. Is he? Yes, and uh, I'm sure that he's correct. All right, to uh, Miami, Florida, and Lewis. Hi, Lewis. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Right. Uh, good morning, Joe. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Fine. Just fine, thank you. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. I remember back uh, about 30 years ago when you had those recordings of You Belong to Me, Jambalaya, which we played a million times. <laughs> we used to love that recording and a few other recordings, too. But listen, oh, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One of the funniest recordings was the first recording you made of Darlene and Jonathan. The, fir- the first album? Yeah, the first album, because I remember on the radio I heard that, and this mm-hmm. guy mentioned somebody's name in a party he had been to, and I think he got sued because he mentioned some girl that sounded like you did <laughs> on the recording, and I'll never forget that. I don't know what happened. Well, he should have been sued. <laughs> oh, he actually said somebody sang like that, and he named a woman over the phone. Oh, dear. Mm. I mean, over the radio. Mm. Oh, that was so funny. Mm. And I heard about it uh, a little later, and it was so funny. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but uh, seriously speaking, though, I want to tell you the most beautiful record you people put out is Whispering Hope. Oh, that Thank is you. Brand new. I still have that recording here. It was reissued, I think, a few times, wasn't it? Yes. It's in fact, it's it's been put out again by Capitol. Um, I think this is about its third time around. Is it? Mm-hmm. When did when, when was that album put out originally? Originally, probably 1946 or 47. Oh, 46 or 47. Yeah, I know it was released again, or maybe the third time back in the late 70s. 
I have the album, but uh, the reason I say is I'm a born again Christian. I love that album. You have so many beautiful selections there. Whispering Hope, of course, Beyond the Sunset, In the Garden, It, it is mm -hmm. Secret, I Found a Friend, The Old Rugged Cross. And <laughs> you remember them all? Got them all down there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is the finest record for Christian people. The Lord is coming soon, you know, Lord Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. it's a beautiful record of Christian Very good. Records. Lois, thanks for the call. Listen, God bless you both. Right. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Uh, to Lake Tahoe, and we have, oh, it's Mickey on the line. I think I know Mickey. Hi, Ray. How are you doing? Mickey Dugdale. Right. Hey, how are you? I saw it's the last board meeting, right? That's right. Uh, Pacific uh, Pioneer Broadcasters. Uh, you, you, used to, you used to sing, too, Mickey. Well, only as an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> but I did work, I worked with Fred Waring in New York. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I, w I would just like to... Uh, I'm really thrilled. I'm nervous like the other woman. To uh, thank you, Joe, and your group for coming down to entertain uh, the Marines at uh, El Toro. Oh, yeah. A long, long time ago. Uh -huh. It was so exciting for us. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we'd listen to your records all through high school and college. Uh -huh. And also, I'm glad uh, that Ray mentioned Paul's album, Sweet and Swinging, because that's one of my favorites, too. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a great album? I just love it. Thank you. <laughs> Benny, that, that's all I wanted to say. I'm struggling to hear you. It's coming in and out up here. Oh. But uh, well, it's... it's uh, tur turn the radio around a little bit. Sometimes it helps to turn the radio. I'll try that. <laughs> thank you for calling. Okay. Uh, all right. Thank, thank you, you, Mickey. Thank you for all your wonderful songs. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. My guests, Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Remember when you first moved into your house? It was only you and your beautiful spouse. Perhaps you had a child or two, and it seemed there was nothing that you couldn't do. The chores were light, the outlook bright, and then something happened that didn't seem right. That elusive thing we all know as time took its toll on your house. You could see all the signs. The paint is chipping, the faucets are dripping, the backyard fence is falling and splitting. The carpet is dirty, the future's not bright, but we have the answer to make all things right. Call Dial 1, 40 trades and services to help keep your home and business in great shape. A Dial 1 skilled professional can repair, replace, remodel, construct, or clean whatever you need done. Just look in the yellow pages under the trade you want. To get everything fixed and every job done, just pick up the phone and call Dial 1. Each Dial 1 company is independently owned and operated. All services may not be available in all areas. Children believe what their parents tell them. You're pathetic. You can't do anything right. You disgust me. Just shut up. Hey, stupid, don't you know how to listen? You're worthless. Worthless. Why don't you go find some other place to live? Words hit as hard as a fist. The sad truth is that, that even the best of parents will let everyday pressures build up to such a pitch that they lash out at their kids. But they're little things that anyone can do to stop themselves before they hurt their child. Like counting to ten, or try phoning a friend. Or how about this? Just close your eyes and imagine you're going to hear exactly what your child will hear from you and in the same tone of voice. Remember, stop and listen to what you're saying. 
You might not believe your ears. I wish you were never born. Take time out. Don't take it out on your kid. A public service of the National Committee for Prevention of Child Abuse. When I'm not here talking with you folks, I'm home sleeping like a baby on the Simmons Beauty Rice that I got from Sit and Sleep in Culver City. And you could be enjoying your new bed, too, at a price you've never heard of and will never hear of again. Right now, and only until 5 this morning, all Ray Brain listeners can save hundreds of dollars in top-quality name-brand mattresses at Sit and Sleep. Every mattress set is on sale tonight. Yeah, they're there in the store till 5 a.m., like the Queen Size Simmons Beauty Rest Classic. Tonight, only $397. Twin sets start at $87, and folds start at $117. Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep, is standing by right now. He's going to spend the midnight oil with me, and uh, he's standing there waiting for your phone call. So dial area code 213, then 838-0148, or 870-1374, or 870-3134. Speak with Larry and save hundreds of dollars tonight during this one-time midnight sale. If any of you are new to the Los Angeles area, restaurant owner Bob Morris invites you to discover the taste of Scaloni. Scaloni is featured on the menu at the popular Gladstone's restaurant. Scaloni is a tasty blend of sweet eastern base scallops and abalone and tender white cutlets. They call Scaloni the filet mignon of the sea. So while you're discovering L.A., discover two of L.A.'s best treats, Scaloni and Gladstone's. On the water where Sunset meets Pacific Coast Highway. Call in area code 213-454-3474. Jumbalaya and a crawfish pie and a filly gumbo. Cause tonight I'm gonna see my machete mio. Kick guitar, fill through jar and be gay Son of a gun, we'll have big fun on the bio. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, talk. Well, that was one of your biggest. Uh, I guess that's very big down in Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, we have John on the line from Milwaukee. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. Uh, good to speak with you again. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Uh, Joe Stafford. Hi. Uh, I just think you're terrific. I'm, uh, I've been in the record business myself since the 50s. I recorded for Capitol. The kind of music you didn't like, but nevertheless, I love your <laughs> stuff. Uh, I uh, grew up on it, as a matter of fact, in my household. Uh, my father was a, a musician, played with the Chicago Symphony. Uh-huh. And uh, I knew all the, the great uh, stars, uh, you know, you and... Uh, Paul Whiteman, of course, all the, all the terrific stars that I grew up with. And, you know, it's funny, as you get older, uh, that music is what you gravitate back to. Is that so? Yeah, I think so, because uh, for me it has. I'm in my 40s, uh-huh. and grew the other stuff a long time ago. And what they have today, what they call music, is so terrible. I mean, you know, I think if I'd ever dreamed that rock and roll would have turned out to be the monster that it became later on, mm-hmm. uh, I think I would rather have never sung any of it, you know. But we had a 12-piece band back in the 50s and early 60s, and we did a lot of the standards, even though, uh, to, you know, to educate the, the kids to it, because the generation was the baby boomers, and they weren't too far removed for, from uh, your generation. Right, right. And your music, of course, I, there was one song I want to remember 
remind you about that you did, which I thought was gorgeous. It's called Calvary. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have it available in your catalog? I don't think so. Oh, I think Would it you? is. Do yeah, you? Do, do we, is that in the, uh, that's not in the religious album. Yes, it is. He is bought, it? He bought my soul at Calvary. Oh, Stuart Hamlin. Oh, Calvary. That, he, I, yeah. that now I know, yes. Uh -huh. That was one of my favorite Joe Stafford songs, and to this day, I don't have it, unfortunately, anymore. Yeah, that's on the, that's, we do have that. But, you know, your voice brings back so many memories of, of my youth and my very, very young childhood, you know, because I actually did grow up with the radio generation, even though I'm only in my mid-40s. Uh -huh. Radio was still kingpin back then. Yes, that's right. And TV was still kind of new and uh, before rock and roll, of course. Yeah, a little bit. There were uh -huh. some good artists that came out of it. Tony Williams of the Platters is a very good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you'd admit that he had a tr beautiful voice. But yeah. He still does. Uh-huh. And Paul Anka, of course, there were yeah. exceptions to the, the you know, the... the sure. Oh, Anka, Anka has lots of talent. And we were big fans of a fellow named Kenny Rankin. I don't know if you've ever heard yes, him, but... I do. Yes, I do. He's marvelous. He really is. I understand you're doing gospel music now. No. You're not? No. Oh, uh -uh. I misunderstood then. I had heard from someone that you were, but you say now your catalog, your full uh, line of songs is still available through your company. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Corinthian Records. Right. Well, I, all I can say, Ray and, and Joe and Paul, it's been terrific listening to you people this morning, and you've brought back a lot of memories for me. Good. I'm going to be sitting for that catalog, and I, I want you to know that there are plenty of people of my generation who did grow up with your music, and I think the, still feel uh, wonderful about it. Well, that's marvelous. Your kind of music will stay in where the other stuff won't. <laughs> Thank you. Thank How you. nice that is. Mm. Let's hope. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. We, we mentioned the Society of Singers. Uh, this is a very important cause, I think. Why don't you explain it, Joe? Well, actually, it it's, uh, started because of a, a group of people that were, uh, I would say for the most part, were uh, band singers. A lot and you were one of them. Yep. And But a lot of those singers... Uh, after they, after the band era sort of faded, uh, a lot of them worked mostly in nightclubs, and they didn't, uh, they didn't work in a lot in television or in records or anything like that, and therefore, never uh, were able to get into any kind of a uh, an insurance, okay. medical a, a, a insurance, medical insurance, and uh, so a lot of them are actually at this point. Uh, having a lot of them having medical problems in fact, and they have no coverage when ray everly and bob everly passed away mm -hmm. they passed away in poverty that's right it was they terrible they didn't get medical care or anything we see they were as i say essentially band singers and after they that bands went out then they did nightclubs and things and they don't get any compensation from the uh, record packages that are repackaged and no, sold uh -uh. because they were a band singer and they got they no got royalties no royalties they were just paid a salary and uh, uh, I was fortunate in that I started and did, did records and radio and television, mm -hmm. which put me under the uh, ever-loving tent of AFTRA, which uh, mm -hmm. they have a marvelous sure insurance benefits and whatnot. But there are a great many of them that do not, and that is really the raison d'etre of uh, Society of Singers. Let's go to Denver and Saul. Hello, Saul. Hello, Joe. Hi. I was the agent at William Morris when you did the Benny Goodman show. This, this uh, Swing in the Spring thing? Swing in the Spring. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. You know, they only made, they made a few copies of the whole soundtrack. I know. So I, some, somebody sent me I that. I have one. Do you? Yes. So, somebody sent me one. And you know, with, with Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, I was so glad to get that. That was the only time you ever appeared with Benny. 
Yes. Well, mm -hmm. I called to see if you didn't have that. I would, you know, I'd arrange to get you a copy, but it's fabulous. My God. Well, some, somebody, and I do not know where from. Oh, but you, got it from you got it from Cunningham and Walsh. You got it from the agency. Maybe so. Do you still have it? Well, I've, I yeah, know. Yes, we have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah well, I do, well, we do. Otherwise, I would, I would make it, I, you know, I'd see that you got it. Oh, that's very yeah. kind of you, because that's something I really cherish having. Oh, that's a fabulous record. Yeah. Got Red Norvo and Hector uh -huh. James and the McGuire sisters, and you... You and Ella singing St. Louis Blues. Yeah, we had a whole medley that ended with St. Louis and Blues. And Dave Garraway was the host. Right, it's a fabulous, right. That must be a valuable record. It's just well, it's a kick to have. Yeah, it's just wonderful. Well, I, I have it, and I just happen to be listening in, and, you know, it's so, of course, nobody can, you know, I don't I don't think they only made 40 of them. I, well, I don't really know how many yeah, they that's made. that's why they made 40. You can't, you know, and... Uh, and I just kept mine because it was a very precious thing to me. Uh -huh. Oh, I'm glad to have so it, too. I, I listen, I think I'd call you up. Oh, I'm uh, glad you did. Thank you, Saul. Uh, we're getting more requests, I'm told, for uh, Jonathan and Darlene. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> That's what he says. More, more Jonathan and Darlene. Do we have any other uh, Jonathan? Let's hear something from Jonathan I and Darlene. I dodged the same old taxi cabs that I have dodged for years. The chorus of their squeaky horns was music to my ears. used to like that song. <laughs> Let's say hello to Simon. Hello, Simon. You're home with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. How you doing? It's a real pleasure. Uh, I, I'm actually a product of the 50s and rock and roll, but I'm very familiar with music because I, I originally am from Europe. And uh -huh. when I came to this country, I was seven years old in 1953. And the first thing I remember listening here was Perry Como, you know, so I, I, I went backwards first and then I went forward. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, about 1961, a very dear friend of mine recorded uh, My Heart Belongs to Only You, and I just fell in love with the song. That was June Christie. It was? Oh, okay, okay. Well, I wanted to ask you, because uh, later, years later, uh, someone else recorded and had a bigger hit than he did, and I'm just wondering, uh, like, the... You Belong to Me was recorded by the Dupree's. Mm -hmm. A very big hit with that. Mm -hmm. How do you feel when somebody comes out years later and has a hit record with one of yours? Do you kind of get a little twinge? <laughs> no, not really. I'm just happy for the songwriters. Yeah? <laughs> it, it's just like, I, I always wish when someone would do a cover, you know, years apart, that they would play the both of them one after the other. Well, yeah, it would be kind of fun. Yeah. No, you see, when, when I was recording, uh, or in the 40s and early 50s, uh, when a song a song would come out, there might be uh, 
five or six records. Yes, uh, yeah, I remember that. And the same, you know, same song. You know, it's but funny because when, like, the Dupree's, when they had it, you know, they had a big hit, and mm -hmm. a lot of kids my age, it was the first time we heard those songs. Sure. And, you know, and all of a sudden you hear that 10 years ago, 15, sometimes 20 or 30 years ago, it had been out before. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started going back. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I got I love the old tunes. I, you know, I could listen to standards all day long. Yeah, they're pretty nice music. Oh, yeah, and mm -hmm. it's a real shame that, uh, well, I should be listening to other things, but it's a shame that the kids, <laughs> they just will never hear it. Well, they'll never go away, though. Uh, Paul and I took a cruise not, oh, about four or five years ago, and uh, we went all through the Orient, all over the place, Australia, New Zealand, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and the one thread that went through the whole trip was the American popular song of that era. All over the world they played them. I had the biggest kick because I heard uh, my song I Should Care played by a Chinese orchestra in Singapore in a nightclub. And then... Um, Did you write that song? Yes, with Axel and Sammy oh, Kahn, yeah. Great song. <clears throat> and then my other, um, day by day, we went up to a restaurant in, in at the top of a hotel in Japan. Tokyo. And as we walked in, in Tokyo, as we walked through the doors, this gal pianist was playing day by day. And it was really a kick. I tried to talk to her, but she couldn't speak any English. <laughs> and, and my Japanese was two words long. All right, Simon, thanks for the call. My guests, Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Well, the midnight sale is going on right now at Sit and Sleep in Culver City, the largest inventory of mattresses in L.A. Tonight and tonight only, Sit and Sleep is offering you Ray Bream listeners a one-time opportunity to buy top-quality name-brand mattresses at unheard-of prices, such as the queen-size Beautyrest Royalty, America's number one bed sold in department stores for up to $1,100 tonight. Only $497. And a genuine Sealy Posturepedic Twin, tonight only $99 each piece. Call Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep. He's standing by the phone right now at the store. Reserve your new mattress set and ask Larry about his 30-night sleep trial guarantee. All through the night, Larry will be taking your reservations over the phone at these special prices for you Ray Breen listeners only. Buy tonight and save hundreds of dollars. Call Larry at area code 213, then 838-0148, or 870-1374, or 870-3134. Hello, I'm Ed McMahon. Life over 50 can be great. That's why I want to tell you about the Time of Your Life Expo, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the L.A. Convention Center. You'll see over 400 exhibits on leisure, health, finances, travel, crafts, housing, second careers, and much more. All for adults over 50. Enjoy great entertainment, speakers, free health checks, and gifts for all. Join Danny Thomas, Estelle Getty, George Goebel, Jack and Elaine LaLanne, Jack Smith, Ann Seymour, Dr. George Fishbeck, Richard Simmons, members of the Lawrence Welk musical family, and more. If you're over 50, get a dollar off admission coupon at any Southern California Lucky, Thrifty, Denny's, or Sears customer service. Join the celebration at the L.A. Convention Center, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th for the time of your life. Expo 
commercial produced by Opportunities and Services for Seniors. Sponsored in part by Cigna Health Plans, KABC-TV, AT&T, and Heritage Park American Adventure. What does L.A. have to say about Michael Jackson? Michael is my is my newspaper. It, he's actually my best source for information. I put Michael Jackson on. I listen to him at work from 9 to 1. I almost resent when the phone calls come in because I have to turn the radio off to talk to clients. And I always enjoy the controversy uh, on that show. Well, of course, I'm a sucker for his English accent because I really learn a lot from listening to Michael Jackson. So will you, weekdays, 9 to 1 on Talk Radio KABC. By Talk, T-A-L-K, all Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word Talk. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then Talk. Missing is uh, Sinatra's voice in there. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that you did uh, when? This particular mm-hmm. record? Uh, let's see. It was about the late 50s, early mm-hmm. 60s. Good album. And, uh, of course, uh, that song always identified with uh, the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra mm-hmm. when you were singing with the Pied Pipers. And uh, a singer by the name of Frank Sinatra was... Right. He sounded like he was part of the group. He did. He, and he, that, that's the way he did it. We did a lot of stuff with Tommy as after I'll Never Smile Again in that group style. And he was remarkable in that usually somebody who has always d- just done solos, to put them in the setting with a group where you have to be completely disciplined and sing it exactly the same each time, that most of them cannot do that. They're used to going off on their own and doing what they... Frank was marvelous. He was like he was... A, Fifth Pied Piper. Isn't it? That's fabulous. Uh, to Miami and Bob. Hello, Bob. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Hi, Ray. Uh, Good morning. Joe, I'm uh, one of those fond mi- and admirers of you. My memories go way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, years back when I was a student at UCLA, I was uh-huh. one of the small band singers. <laughs> <laughs> I sang with the local bands in my in the at uh, UCLA uh-huh. on my way through college and before that sang with some bands in the service mm-hmm. uh, but at that time I, I remember admiring you know uh, your wonderful program the Chesterfield Supper Club oh yeah and I used to hitchhike from UCLA to the studio in Hollywood yeah and uh, my aspirations at that time was to join in with a local group and I remember, I, I tuned in a little late. It was marvelous for me to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning Gee, in Miami. Down in Miami, you're a long way from home, Bob. <laughs> yes, it is. And, uh, but um, I used to come to your program and, and come to the rehearsals, and I met a wonderful group of people called uh, the Starlight. Oh, yeah. And I still remember, I think it was Vince Deegan. Vince Deegan, exactly. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sort of, I lost track of them, and I was so anxious to talk to you, find out whatever happened to them. Are they still around? 
Well, they're, they're, yes, they're still around. Um, uh, we saw them a couple of years ago at, at a, at a get-together out in the valley of a whole bunch of singers. It was a big dinner, and there was nothing but singers around, and, and I saw them then. Uh, there was one of the uh, Starlighters named Howard Hudson, who is, uh, has a very successful furniture company. He's quite an artist. He builds the most beautiful furniture. And Vince Deegan is his business manager. Holy Don. Yeah. Are, are any of them still doing some uh, group singing? No, I don't believe so. Because For that that jazz group singing is still popular today, and I remember how they used to do all the backup arrangements and singing with you. And on the, I think the I think the theme was smoke rings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Fact, Andy Williams was was a member of the Starlighters yes, for they, a while. When they Andy first, was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they first started working with me, when I brought the show out in 46 from from new york i'd been in new york for a couple of years finally brought the chesterfield supper club out here mm -hmm. and the starlighters were the groups that i used and at that time andy was the lead singer oh yeah that amazing was, they were so great and, and together you all sounded so wonderful i remember some of the great tunes you did and some of the novelty numbers uh down by the station, I think mm -hmm. one of them, and mm -hmm. Cherokee. Oh, yeah. The, of course, that is my, of all singing, uh, that's my favorite, group singing. Yeah. That's the most fun of all. Oh, you could tell. And uh, weren't, uh, I tuned in kind of late. Mm. Uh, weren't you all together on another cigarette program out of New York years before when I think Frank Sinatra was with the Pied Pipers? No. Uh, uh, Frank was uh, the only time that we worked with Frank was when we were all with Tommy Dorsey's orchestra, oh, oh, and I uh, Paul. I mean, uh, Frank was the uh, boy singer. I was the girl singer, and with the Pipers also. And that's the only time we were with Frank. Oh, great! I re I still have some of the your albums, and of course, uh, that slice of life I'll never forget because I used to hitchhike back and forth every every time you had a program. And I, my my anxiety was to get with a group like the Starlighters, but uh, I was, I'm happy to hear they're still around, but sorry to hear they're not uh, singing anymore. No, they're just doing fine. Yeah, great. Good talking to y'all. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Bob. Right. To uh, New York City and Ted. Hello, Ted. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Yeah, thanks. Jo I wanted to ask Joe if she mm -hmm. remembered a British girl whose name I've forgotten who sang a lot of your songs. And she made an album called The War Years, and it took all, a lot of her songs from you, and I cannot remember her name. Do you remember her? Shirley Bassey? N Vera Lynn? Vera Lynn? I, I don't remember. She's a British girl, made an album called The War Years. Well, Vera Lynn sang during the war. Yeah, she was she was yeah. same same as I was. She was yeah. uh, very yeah. big in England during the war. It could have been Vera Lynn. Well, I don't know whether she was very popular over here, but she was popular in England. Very much so, yes. Very. She did, uh, Now is the Hour. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You knew Don Costa, of course. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And did you ever run into Jerry Raker? Jerry Raker? I don't believe so. How about Nick Perito? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. oh, very yeah. good arranger. Mm -hmm. What is Nick doing now? He does a lot of television, doesn't he? I think so, yeah. We haven't seen him in quite a while. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. Good to thank talk you, to you, Ted. All right, bye. Of all the songs that you've done, do you have a favorite, Joe? I have a favorite song, mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, Jerome Kern's All the Things You Are. It's my which favorite. We, which we played earlier. Mm, well, that's my favorite song. What is there about that song that is so haunting? Well, it's just so good harmonically and melodically. It's, it's my favorite song, too. Oh, is it? Yes. It's, it's, it's a... It's almost classical, I think, really in, in its beauty. I mean, it, it could be the, the, uh, the romantic.
of a symphony. My guests, Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Paul, I remember you did a, an album on your own, Kern, on yes, Columbia. Yes, 24 Sides, yep. And, uh, Fabulous. The interesting thing on all the things you are, it was in a show called Very Warm for May that ran about seven weeks, and uh, that song came out of there. And as a matter of fact, I was with Dorsey's band, and I got to make the first commercial arrangement on all the things you are back in, oh, I guess, 30 eight or 39 something like that i wonder how many times you've arranged that song i've arranged it quite a few times <laughs> since i've made it twice instrumentally and once with joe yeah. and then once for a jerome kern tv special so i made a few arrangements on it i would think so janet in orange county california good morning hi i feel so lucky to be able to get through to both of you um i'm uh Joe's uh, sister, the, Joe, who worked with you, uh, Paul and Joe, on your albums, the uh, English version of the Mass, and also Ooh, oh yes. Joe on your religious album, and uh, as you know, Joe left us in 1980, and I called his wife, Laurel, who lives in Tucson, today when I heard no you kidding. on, and uh, I hope she's as lucky to get through to you as I am. She said she was going to try to call, because uh, we were both wondering how to get in touch with you, and now well, we know. Well, the phones are blazing, so I wish her lots of luck. <laughs> well, I've been on for nine and a half. I know, I know. I mean, it's a sellout crowd here. I know. But Joe and Paul said they're going to stay one more hour, so maybe she'll have a chance. Do you still go up to the Santa Ynez mission to do, you, mm -hmm. you made that wonderful album yes we go up every summer we've been there every summer for 30 years and for 38 years i guess Going on. and uh, uh of course joe rotura was one of my dearest friends and and helped me greatly with with my music we'll be back right after the news stay tuned for the news and then one more hour with joe stafford and paul weston this is talk radio i'm ray brain KABC, Talk Radio 790. I'm parachuting out of this plane because my doctor, Dr. Doom, I call him, says I need to exercise. Harry thinks exercise is a big production, death-defying. I hate you, Dr. Doom! That's why Harry only thinks about exercise. If he only knew how simple it is to get started, he'd be able to stop his horrible fantasies. I'm... Climbing Mount Everest because of Dr. Doom. Truth is, Harry does need exercise. Without it, he could become fat and depressed, suffer poor health, and lose inspiration at work. He might die prematurely of a cardiac malfunction, when all he needs is 20 minutes a day of exercise in a racquetball court, hiking, canoeing, jogging. I'm going over Niagara Falls because I need exercise. Don't make a big production out of exercise. It's simple and fun. Start with 20 minutes a day, three days a week. From the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. From ABC News, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. When this presidential election campaign began, the Democratic field was so crowded you needed a program to tell the players. Not anymore. Just two contenders left, and Michael Dukakis and Jesse Jackson held their first one-to-one -one presidential debate in Philadelphia last night. ABC's Ned Potter was there. Far from 
taking off the gloves, the two candidates playfully nudged each other. As Jackson said afterwards, there are distinctions between them on issues like defense spending, South Africa, and Middle East policy, but these differences should not become the divisions in the party which allow George Bush to win. Dukakis, of course, agreed, saying voters want to see who's the best candidate, not hear what Dukakis thinks of Jesse Jackson. It will be a race to the convention, they both insisted, but after the debate, they appeared at a podium, their hands jokingly raised together in victory. Ned Potter, ABC News, Philadelphia. I'll have more after this. It's easy to do it yourself. Listen to Ray Nitschke for Easy Painter. Easy Painter guarantees one coat coverage with one coat paint. That's right, no second coat. So next time you're getting ready to paint, quit messing around. Look for Easy Painter one coater paint brushes and rollers. Thanks, Ray. To keep everything in its place, nail it, stick it, hang it, tack it, or hook it with Bulldog Products. A place for everything. Stack it, shelve it, hide it, or take pride in it. Doorfile Shelving organizes it. It's Bulldog, Doorfile, and Easy Painter from the Newell Group. To locate these products, call 1-800-821-0900. I just left the lawyer's office where my dad's will was read. Along with leaving just about everything to the people he loved, he left money to the American Cancer Society. My father wasn't rich. I'm not rich either, but I intend to honor his memory by leaving something to the American Cancer Society in my will. He left behind a sensitive and loving legacy. So can I. Contact your American Cancer Society for information on how you can leave a legacy of life and health. U.S. Secretary of State George Shultz will be touring in the Soviet Union today, visiting two major cities, before he heads to Brussels to brief NATO allies on his meetings with Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. Things got a bit heated in Moscow yesterday when Gorbachev aired his frustrations over President Reagan's claims that U.S. pressure warmed relations between the superpowers. Shultz reports no major progress in securing another nuclear arms reduction treaty. Former White House spokesman Larry Speaks says he's not passing the buck on the contents of his new book, despite having a co-author. Speaks says he was well aware of what went into it, including his confession that as press secretary he had made comments and then attributed them to President Reagan. It was a hands-on operation. Uh, every word in that book is it comes from me. Uh, everything uh, I saw, I edited, I rewrote, I changed. Uh, it's all from me. So I take uh, full responsibility of everything in the book, and hopefully we'll take some credit for some things that are in the book. Speaks was on ABC's Nightline. Several people are feared dead in an explosion on a street in the southern Lebanese town of Tripoli this morning. No details on casualties so far. That town's controlled by Syrian forces. Police in Beirut say Israeli warplanes hit at least two Palestinian guerrilla positions southeast of Beirut, inflicting unspecified casualties and damage. The strike came less than 24 hours after three guerrillas were intercepted trying to cross the border into Israel. Two more Arabs killed yesterday in the occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip. Palestinian leaders have called for a day of rage today as a protest against the murder of guerrilla leader Abu Jihad last week. The Pentagon says five mines were exploded in the Gulf, not far from where a U.S. Navy frigate was damaged by a blast earlier this week. New restrictions take effect today, forbidding smoking on airline flights of two hours or less. ABC's Richard Davies says the tobacco industry is in great shape. Despite growing restrictions on smoking, the cigarette industry is highly profitable. Philip Morris, the nation's most successful cigarette manufacturer, says first quarter profits this year grew by 30%. A similar earnings increase was reported by RJR Nabisco, the company that makes Winston. Operating profits for cigarette manufacturers are around 35%. That's much more than for most industries. 
Research and investment costs are relatively low. American cigarette sales are falling, but the companies have launched a major export drive to Asia and Africa. They're also planning to raise their prices to bring in even more profits. Richard Davies, ABC News, New York. This is ABC News. The women's softball game between the University of Massachusetts and Boston College lasted only one inning before it was suspended because of flying hammers. Seems some of the hammer throwers in the Boston College relays nearby were a bit off target. Three of the hammers landed in the outfield. Well, even the catalogs become a collector's item. The book detailing the 10,000 objects that go on the auction block at Sotheby's in New York today, objects that had been owned by pop artist Andy Warhol, it's expected to bring in $40 million. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. Attention investors, now California Property Associates gives you your chance to get in on the unending boom in California real estate. The investment that never goes down, only up. It's the most profitable and safe investment available today. No longer will you have to settle for interest in the 6 to 8% range. Instead, you'll be earning a minimum of 12 to 15% annually as a limited or general partner in skyrocketing California property. At California Property Associates, we're experts in every facet of California real estate. And for your convenience, you can call us 24 hours at 213-859-4600. That number again, 213-859-4600. California Property Associates, the most profitable and safe investment available today. Remember that number, 213-859-4600. Los Angeles, talk radio 790. In your arms and never let me go. Whisper to me softly while the moon is low. That belongs to that arrangement. Joe Stafford and Paul Weston, and they're with us. Part three of our show. Uh, I was just saying, uh, uh, Paul, that you had a big, uh, big orchestra on this one. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, all the. Uh, I guess there were six brass and five saxes and. And they really and take off in the bridge. I mean, they really start to wail. Trombones played yeah. well in the bridge. Oh yes, yeah. 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 I love that big band sound. Speaking of big bands. Since you were both with uh, Tommy Dorsey and you have this big band training, uh, when you're working with uh, a guy like Dorsey and all these years, there must be some funny things happen. Oh, sure. Uh, let's see, what was... Um, I guess <laughs> one of the funniest things happened with old Tom one night. Uh, we had a, He had an almost a symphonic arrangement of uh, Sleepy Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. And uh, so one night, uh, uh, and he played it beautifully, except when he'd had a few too many. And there were nights when Tom had had a few too many. And this one night, mm -hmm. he'd had more than a few too I many. See. And there was one part in the arrangement where it was da 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 and it was da 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 all over the stage. And, but, and so he just stopped the band. He said, take it from Literary. So we did it again, and... Another splash all over the stage in the high note. <laughs> this happened about four times, and now the band starts giggling. <laughs> and it's like the measles, you know. It goes from the saxes back to the trombones to the trumpets, and then 
And so it finally got the p guys were just giggling and laughing, so they really couldn't play. And Tommy got mad, and he started firing people. <laughs> in the middle of the right set. Right in the middle of the set, on, on this, playing this dance someplace in Texas. And he fired about half the band. And we played the rest of the night with about seven or eight guys. <laughs> 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 he had them all back the next day. I think it was Bullets <laughs> Durgham that was telling me that uh, on stage at the Paramount one time, uh, that uh, the guys in the bands would hide little water pistols. Oh, they did terrible and, and shoot the vocalists in the back <laughs> with water. And you know what they did to Red Skelton? He used to no. do that guzzler's gin yeah, yeah. thing, you know. And, by, Smooth. and, right. and preface this by saying that Red does not drink. Right. Never did. right. And, of course, and they put goldfish in the, in the guzzler's gin bottle, that, and he didn't know and took a big mouthful and had a goldfish in it. Oh, and then, of course, one right. morning they, they filled it with real gin. Yeah. <laughs> and he took a big s uh, swig and almost died. You must have some stories, Paul. Well, well Tom. Tommy and Benny were great rivals, and, uh -huh. and they were always trying to figure out what the other guy was doing and everything. And they used to hire guys away from each other, like a ball club, you know, making uh, arrangements. Bud Freeman once wanted to leave Tommy to go with Benny, but he was afraid Tommy would beat him up if he just quit. <laughs> so he pulled a fainting fit on the stage of the Earl Theater in Philadelphia and had to be carried off the stage. And so Tommy was very concerned about his health and everything, but four nights later he showed up with Benny's band at the Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> so uh, Tommy was real bugged at that, but, but Bud didn't fit in with Benny's band because he didn't believe too much in reading or playing with the saxophone section. He drove Jaime Schertzer crazy. <laughs> so one night Benny's playing a solo and Benny used to move around a lot and Bud wasn't entranced with Benny's playing and Benny happened to turn and catch sight of Bud and Bud was yawning. So he fired Bud on the spot, and two, for two weeks, while Bud worked out his two weeks, every time he took a solo, Benny went to the microphone and whistled. <laughs> <laughs> it was childish, you know, but fun. Funny stories. Yeah. Uh, to uh, Los Angeles, and Ed, good morning, Ed. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Oh, good morning, and thanks for getting this, this pair on, Ray. You I know, it's this been a long time, but we, <laughs> we finally scored. Joe yeah. and Paul. Joe, I, I just cannot think of the name Joe Stafford without also at the same time thinking the greatest of them all. You are the absolute greatest singer I've ever I've ever, I've ever heard, and, and I really mean that deeply. Oh, wow. That's, uh, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I, am your, I, I don't think anybody else can be a greater fan of yours than me, myself. Now, oh, one you. song that hasn't been brought up that I is also one of my favorites is No Other Love. Do you remember that? Oh, I certainly do. That was uh, that did very well, and I loved it. Oh, that is so great, and it must have been so hard to sing. Uh, very well, rangy. Very rangy, but but very melodic, you know, Chopin. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's based on a Chopin thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay, now the other thing, and this, this, this one is really one of my favorites. Uh, it, uh, Nat King Cole did it, only I didn't like the way he did it. But I really love the way you did it. You turned it around a little bit. Do you remember? you have a hint of what I'm going to say? What? No. Walking my baby? Yob. Sarah Tan Yob. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nature boy. was a little different. <laughs> I love that song so much that I, I, I sing it to this day. I know the words for by heart, and I sing it to this That's day. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So it was a real pleasure to talk to you. I've really been looking forward to this. Thank you. Thanks for the call. To uh, Palm Desert, California, and Martha. Hello, Martha. You're on with Joe and Paul. 
Oh, yes. Uh, I really should wake my husband up and have him talk to you because when he was working for Shell in Kalinga, you oh. used to come down and sing for, he worked for your dad, uh -huh. and entertain the oil workers. And uh, so that's all I heard. He's a little older than I am, so as I grew up, I mean, we were married. All I heard about was Joe Stafford. Well, I know. I, I, voice, which I always agreed with. I think I know what he's talking about. I, I once they had a, a big, big to do. Uh, at the Hollywood Palladium. All the oil workers came from all over, and uh, I went down, my dad asked me, and I went down and entertained him one night. And you also went down to, to Long Beach, too, and sang. Oh, yes. No, the way I got it from him, it was in Kalinga. No, I was born in Kalinga, but I, I, I left there. We moved from Kalinga when I was four years old, so I wasn't doing too much singing at that time. Well, no, 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 but I, when he was working for Shell, uh-huh, and my dad worked for Shell. Yeah, I, my, my husband worked for him up there. Uh-huh. This was in the 50s, I guess. Crook Stafford. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> late 40s. But anyway, my husband always has gotten a kick out of me about the record you made that was a little bit off-key. Uh-huh. Well, I'm tone deaf, so... so <laughs> you think it's fine, huh? And he, said, and he said, I said, ah, that's one of Joe's great records. And he looked at me and he started to laugh. He said, Martha, don't you know she's not singing on key? I said, I don't care what she's singing. She's great as far as I'm concerned. I have a very good friend who's tone deaf, and she's never been able to figure out what people are laughing at. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't either. Well, it's really nice talking to you, and I never called in a program before. I put the radio on to go back to sleep, and here I am wide awake. I've been <laughs> half an hour, but anyway, it'll be it's a thrill for me, and I'll tell my husband about it in the morning. Thank you for Thanks calling. for the call, Martha. We'll be right back with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. This is Hugh Downs for the U.S. Space Foundation, presenting Presidents Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter. Good morning, Mr. President. It's a nice day here in California. California? I could swear we were right next to each other. With a communications satellite, we can be. That's one way space technology impacts on life here on Earth. Television, telephone, and radio signals bounced off satellites bring people together who are thousands of miles apart. They bring us world events as they're happening. They help us educate, entertain, and inform. But communication satellites are only one of the thousands of practical applications of space technology. In the months ahead, you'll be hearing about remarkable advances in the diagnosis and treatment of heart disease and cancer. New ways to generate electricity and control pollution. All of them spin-offs of space technology. That's why Jimmy Carter from Georgia and Gerald Ford from California agree. Space technology has down-to-earth benefits for everyone. For more information, call 1-800-255-1000. Do you know how important your smile is? I'll tell you. Remember that great sales pitch you made, then you asked for the order, and they showed you the door? Or how about the interview for that big job? I mean the one that would have launched your career like a rocket, and they said no. 
I know you have what it takes, but did you ever think it was your smile? Because behind every convincing smile is a beautiful set of bright, healthy teeth. Yes, you say, but dental care costs too much. Enter Smile Saver Dental Plan for only $4.25 per month. Would you believe you can have regular checkups, cleanings, x-rays at no additional charge? Fantastic prices on fillings and crowns. Call Smile Saver at 863 teeth. Current dental problems are no problem. And how about selecting your own Smile Saver dentist and save substantially on all necessary dental work? Call Smile Saver 863 teeth now. A Smile Saver dental plan covers your whole family for only $8.25 a month. You heard me right, only $8.25 a month. Low-cost orthodontic coverage is also available at an additional charge. Call Smile Saver right now, 863 teeth. Ask about our special group rates, too. We'll give you dental care worth smiling about. This is Ross Porter reminding you that Ben Scully, Don Drysdale, and I will bring you the broadcast of all the 1988 Los Angeles Dodger games here on KABC. Hope you'll spend the season with us. The Dodgers and Giants go after each other one more time today. It's a day contest from Candlestick. Coverage begins this morning at 11.50 with Dodger Confidential here on KABC. numbers and in the word talk t-a-l-k south bay area dial 679 glendale and pasadena 244-990 for the san fernando valley and in orange county the 714 area 750 the 213 area of orange county 448 los angeles it's 520 and then talk Smith, he's going out of his mind there. Well, he he loves to play, and and uh, I've always in my albums and, and and with Joe's records and everybody else that I've recorded with, I gave him a lot of room to play. I did a an Irving Berlin album with Ella, and Paul played beautifully on that album. Well, I told you before that uh, The Sweet and the Swingin' is my favorite album by Paul Weston. <laughs> Thank you. It just is a knockout of an album. Um, the musicianship and the, the way it's put together, and th this was your idea of using the voices and everything. Huh? Yes, it's sort of a little bit of a throwback mm -hmm. to Marie and mm -hmm. Who and some of the mm -hmm. stuff we did with Tommy Dorsey. What I did was took the gist of the lyric and mm -hmm. wrote sort of a swinging yeah. uh, lyric to go with the melody and had the melody played by strings. Too bad the album's out of print. <laughs> yes, yes, I guess it is. All right, let's go to Kent, Ohio, and Louie. Hello, Louie. Good morning. Good morning. It's worth losing sleep to be able to congratulate Joe Stafford and Paul Weston for all that good work which has lasted so long. Thank you. Thank and you. And I hope that you will give the Corinthian Records address one more time. We'll do it. And the particular thing I'd like to congratulate them on is something no one has mentioned so far, which was a couple of records of American folk songs. Oh, thank you. That's you one of my favorites. Forty years ago, a little, mm -hmm. little ten-incher. Yeah. And then another one in stereo, although it was great to get Joe Clark and Country Girl, mm -hmm. but it left out my favorite, He's Gone Away. So I hope Corinthian can do something about that. 
Well, the reason we had to leave it out is because Joe had recorded it in a, a, the Joe Plus Blues album for Columbia, and we couldn't do it for another five years, so we had to put Shenandoah in place of, of that. But we sort of like Shenandoah, too. But Oh, yeah, no complaints. <laughs> uh, another wonderful thing about that uh, recording are, are the magnificent arrangements. Aren't they great? They are mm-hmm. just beautiful. Thank you. I think they do. Uh, well, I've always wondered if those have been published so that they're available to other singers. They ought to have a life as concert pieces. No, we uh, actually, we uh, own the rights and everything to them. As a matter of fact, that's a darn good idea. Yeah, when you think of all the recordings that have been made of, say, the uh, cantaloupe French folk song arrangements of the songs of the Auvergne and so forth, I, I think the Western <laughs> arrangements of those American folk songs are really the American equivalents, and they have to be available to everybody. Well, I, thank I you. agree. It was, it was very nice about uh, a month ago, Judy Collins did an interview in which she said that uh, Barbara Allen and that album had changed her life and, and put her into the kind of singing that she decided to That's something that has never been forgotten by anybody who heard it, and I sure hope it's available on Corinthian. Yes, it is. It is. Good for you. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and thank you. Th- thank you, Louis. Uh, uh, the address for Corinthian Records again. Let's do it. Uh, post office, what's well, Corinthian Records, Post Office Box 6296, Beverly Hills, California, 90212. And that's Corinthian Records, P.O. Box 6296, Beverly Hills, California, 90212. And you have a brochure that mm-hmm. lists mm-hmm. all of the records lists you all have. that we have available. Great. Well, let's uh, take a break, and we'll be right back. I'm Ray Brame, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Hi, this is Ray Brame, and for all of you out there who listen to my show, listen carefully. This is your one-time chance to save hundreds of dollars to buy at the lowest prices in the history of Sit and Sleep. Sit and Sleep in Culver City has the largest inventory of quality name-brand mattresses in all of L.A. And between now and when I go off the air at 5 this morning, Sit and Sleep is cutting their already low prices on every mattress set in the store including your choice of a queen-size Sealy Posturepedic or Simmons Beautyrest Classic. Tonight, only $397. And tonight, Queen Start is only $157. Now, Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep, is at the store right now, standing by the phone to take your calls to buy your new mattress set at this one-time price. Now, don't miss out on this chance to save. Call Larry now. Keep him company. If nothing else, just dial area code 213 then 838-0148 or 870-1374 or 870-3134. Hi, Karen. I'm late for algebra. I'll catch you after school. Student drug use in our communities and schools is worse than most adults imagine. Even if this student doesn't take drugs, chances are over half of her classmates will, and many of them will get those drugs in schools. Perhaps you thought there was nothing you could do to protect the kids, or that alone you couldn't make a difference. I'm William Bennett, U.S. Secretary of Education. Now there is a program for your community that can show you how to make the difference for one school or one kid. It's called Schools Without Drugs, The Challenge, and it's sponsored by the U.S. Department of Education and 14 national organizations. Let us send you information that tells what you need to know and what you can do about student drug use. Just make a free call to one 800 
800-541-8787. That's 1-800-541-8787. Find out how to slam the door on drugs in our schools. A message brought to you by this station and the U.S. Department of Education. It's KBC Talk Radio shoppery time. That means a shopping spree worth hundreds of dollars in free groceries, plus two round-trip tickets to Europe courtesy American Airlines, plus more free groceries. It's all free next Thursday, April 28th, 2 p.m. at the Safeway Market, located at 4001 Hardwick in Lakewood. To win, you must be there, so fill out a free entry blank, and then on Thursday, April 28th, at 2 p.m., you might be the winner of hundreds of dollars in free groceries or the exotic European trip for two on American Airlines. Here's Michael Caine for UKLA. This spring, we're going to take you on a cultural tour of Britain. And you don't even have to leave L.A. UKLA is here with some great British features for your eyes. There'll be Hockney, British films, British sculpture, and even British TV. For your ears, English opera, Simon Rattle, British rock, theatre, the highbrows, Henry Moore. For the rest of us, Dudley Moore. Remember, UKLA is here. UKLA, join the celebration of British arts. KABC, Talk Radio 790. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, talk. I put your favorite record on the phonograph. Dim the lights the way we used to do. Just reminiscing, just reminiscing, still in love with you. I've got to tell you, Joe, the Pied Pipers were always my favorites, and I love that sound. It's a good sound. Remember good their sound. version of Dream? Sure. Oh. That's after I'd left them. That's June, Junie Hutton. Mm-hmm. But it was great. Oh, yeah. Marvelous sound. How did the Pied Pipers begin? Um... Well, I'll try and kind of shorten it. Uh, it was in the era when they were making a lot of musicals, the, mm. the movie studios. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a big musical called Alexander's Ragtime Band, and they must have had every singer in Southern California on the call. And uh, I was there w with my sisters. I was singing with my sisters then. The Stafford sisters were on the call. There was a group called the Three Rhythm Kings three boys, another group called the Four Esquires, four boys. So four boys, three boys, that's seven, and myself, and we just, between takes, we used to just sit around and just for fun sing together. And then one of the guys made an arrangement for us, and that was even more fun, and that was the beginning of the Pied Pipers. There were eight originally. But you wound up with four. Wound up with four. Dick Whittinghill became a jockey. That's right. Yeah. Dick Whittinghill, for those in Southern California, became uh, the quintessential the top disc jockey in Los Angeles. Uh, for the, you, you had to Whitting Hill that morning or, <laughs> or you weren't with it. <laughs> and uh, I, I guess uh, it was the loss for the Pied Pipers when, when he left. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, but we, you know, we weren't working and guys had to make a living. So we lost, yeah. uh, we lost four guys and we wound up with three and uh, myself 
quartet. Well, I got to tell you, as a disc jockey, he knew what to play. <laughs> yes. Of course, he did play Jonathan and Darlene and announced that it was a singer that he discovered. <laughs> and he almost got killed, you know. Tarred and feathered. Spe speaking of Jonathan and Darlene, we have ignored Jonathan and Darlene Edwards, and we have a request for Alabama Bound. <laughs> so do we have Jonathan? Let's hear it. Say hello to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, Ray. Thank You're on with Joe and Paul. Yes. Joe and Paul, I did most of my growing up under the bandstand at the Astor Roof. No kidding. Great. <laughs> and my best friend was Jane Henderson, Ray Henderson's daughter. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. And it's funny, we were just talking about you last year when she was out here. Yeah. And her father's favorite song was All the Things You Are. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, that's great. We'd sit in the house at night when I spend the night there and listen to him arranging downstairs. Yeah. It was a wonderful time to grow up. I think so, too. I think so, too. I think the Astor Roof was a marvelous place. It isn't even there anymore, is it? Nope. Uh-uh. No. I did a there. couple of uh, remotes. I used to do dance remotes with the dance bands. I did a couple of remotes with Harry James from, from the, there. Mm. From the is Astor that Roof. right? That's where he always played. Yeah. Tommy used to do it. At the Astor. Tommy used to do a great thing at the Astor. There was this uh, fellow, Joni Taps, who was a song plugger, and he worked for Shapiro Bernstein. And they published all those Western things like uh -huh. Back in the Saddle and those kind of things, which Tommy hated. <laughs> but Joni came in every night very faithfully, and as he would come through the door, Tommy would be playing the trombone or whatever, he'd stop and bark at him, ruff, 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 because he thought he published dog. <laughs> and people, you know, they don't know, what the, what's Tommy Dorsey doing barking, barking you know? <laughs> Funny. To New York City and Mitch. Hello, Mitch. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I don't believe it. I can't believe the great Joe Stafford. Hi. Listen, uh, you have the last recording I think you made was on Frank's label, Reprise. Uh, rec uh, rep you know, this mm -hmm. is a reprise of uh, some of the things you did with Dorsey Potter yeah. in 63 or 64 you did it? I remember Tommy it was called, yeah. That was it. That mm -hmm. But you also did uh, some repertory theater where you did uh, songs from uh, the shows. Was, I don't know, it was Finian's Rainbow or it was Kiss Me Kate? Uh, that was for uh, Reader's, or Di Pacific. Reader's Digest. Really? Uh-huh, yeah. Was that later on? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, I was... Uh, the Corinthian, I, rec I, I woke up in the middle of the public, the Corinthian records you're talking about, is that a re-release of Capitol sites? Uh, Columbia, mostly, and some Capitol. Well, let me ask you, those uh, American folk songs, were those done on, this is all getting blurred now, was that done on Columbia, early Columbia in the 50s, or was that late Capitol in the 40s? Late Capitol, and then re-recorded uh, for Capitol in the 60s. And we have it. We've leased it from Capital, so we have it on it's our own on, label. It's on Corinthian label. Well, you say it was re-recorded. You mean you went into the studio and you... Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the late 60s? Mm-hmm. 
how come nobody ever, I mean, I'm in New York, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, we get records out here, you know. <laughs> and, uh, nobody ever pushed your record to re-release the jokes, you know, uh, on, the, on, your, on some of your Columbia things, you know, the, all the things you want to, mm -hmm. there's a couple of things, uh, a little uh, parenthesis that says, re-recorded from uh, Capitol. What did that mean? Like, it could be a, there was a couple of songs in there, I'll Be Seeing You, the Columbia. Well, she made I'll Be Seeing You for Capitol, but they then later made it over again with a different arrangement for Columbia. And they had to put that little parenthesis on the Columbia album? I guess so. Uh, oh, yes, we had to get permission if we did them within five years of each You'd other. You'd have to get permission, yeah. I never knew that. that was, that's a condition. I hope that's, does that still persist in the industry? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they ever make songs over again anymore. Uh, I can't even understand what the songs are about the first. Let <laughs> <laughs> alone the second. <laughs> to be honest with you, let me ask you, of course, you must have answered this earlier. Uh, you don't, uh, you know, on all the PBS programs, they've had Helen Forrest, Connie Haynes on, mm -hmm. Andy Russell, Gordon McRae when he was alive, Herb Jeffries. Mm -hmm. I, you know, without being too, I'm sure you answered this earlier. Why haven't you appeared on these PBS, you know, great band series? On TV, you mean? Yeah. Why haven't those staff have done anything? When was the last time you sang in public, Joe? Uh, 1978. Oh, that late? Mm-hmm. Uh, it must have been confined to the West Coast. It well, as, as a matter of fact, uh, it was almost what you'd call a private party. Oh. Uh, I'm involved with a, a charity outfit called Share, and uh, we do a big show each year out here. It's a very big show. What? And uh, I appeared on that. Why did you, you know, let me just ask you this, why did you, uh, after the I Remember Tommy album, why did mm -hmm. you quit? You just figured you, you had everything, to, you recorded everything you had to say, and that was it? Well, I recorded after that album. That actually wasn't my last time at recording. The, the Reader's Digest, you said, right? Reader's yeah. Digest, uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, but why and haven't you, you made public, you know, why have has PBS ever asked you to appear with Helen Forrest and Connie Haynes mm -hmm. and O'Connell? Mm-hmm. Why have you turned them down? Because I'm retired. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. Let's say one thing about, you know, Sinatra. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a pleasant program this morning, okay, so we're going to keep it pleasant. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I know uh, Ray is trying to get Frank on. Ray, you'll never, you'll probably never succeed because he won't. I'm sure he won't take the hard questions, you know. So, but let me just ask you one thing about the uh, uh, with uh, Frank. Now it's not a question that slipped my mind. Damn it, the question that slipped in my mind. Uh, is, isn't it funny you're going to ask something? And don't I know it. I know it. Uh, Mitch, we've got to go. But, okay, but, but thanks for the call. It's been a great show. All right, thank, thank you. you. Bye bye, Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Well, it started at midnight, a very special one-time-only sale at Sit and Sleep in Culver City. The largest inventory of mattresses in L.A. Tonight, and tonight only, Sit and Sleep is offering you, Ray Bream listeners, a one-time opportunity to buy top-quality mattresses at unheard-of prices, such as the Queen Size Beauty Rest Royalty, 
the number one rated bed in America. Sold in department stores for up to $1,100. Tonight only, $497. And a genuine Sealy Posturepedic Twin. Tonight only, $99 each piece. You can even buy a twin size set for only $97 tonight. So before you go to sleep, call Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep. He's at the store right now waiting for your call. Buy your new mattress set. All night, Larry's taking your reservations over the phone and will honor these special prices. She's there right now. Dial area code 213-838-0148 or 870-1374 or 870-3134. Hello, I'm Ed McMahon. Life over 50 can be great. That's why I want to tell you about the Time of Your Life Expo, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the L.A. Convention Center. You'll see over 400 exhibits on leisure, health, finances, travel, crafts, housing, second careers, and much more. All for adults over 50. Enjoy great entertainment, speakers, free health checks, and gifts for all. Join Danny Thomas, Estelle Getty, George Goebel, Jack and Elaine LaLanne, Jack Smith, Ann Seymour, Dr. George Fishbeck, Richard Simmons, members of the Lawrence Welk musical family, and more. If you're over 50, get a dollar off admission coupon at any Southern California Lucky, Thrifty, Denny's, or Sears customer service. Join the celebration at the L.A. Convention Center, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th for the time of your life. Expo produced by Opportunities and Services for Seniors. Sponsored in part by Cigna Health Plans, KABC-TV, AT&T, and Heritage Park American Adventure. With the breast cancer scare, you should know there's a great chance now to save the breast, even if you do find a lump. Be very honest now. At your last exam, did the doctor spend at least 15 minutes on your breasts? Did you lean over and have the back portion of your breast examined? Did the doctor show you how hard to press and what a lump actually feels like with the use of a model? Well, videos, pamphlets, mammograms, and brief exams, they just won't do it. Lumps and abnormalities don't show up on 20% of all mammograms. Really familiarizing your Yourself with your body is the only preventative care that can save your breast if you do find something. Breast Care of Southern California offers this. For a $25 initial fee, you'll have a thorough breast exam. You'll be taught self-breast examination and the use of the models. If a mammogram or other tests are warranted, they can be done right there. Breast Care of Southern California is one of only two centers locally. Call Breast Care of Southern California. This could be the difference between living and dying. Call area 213 531-6890. If any of you are new to the Los Angeles area, restaurant owner Bob Morris invites you to discover the taste of Scaloni. Scaloni is featured on the menu at the popular Gladstone's restaurant. Scaloni is a tasty blend of sweet eastern base scallops and abalone in tender white cutlets. They call Scaloni the filet mignon of the sea. So while you're discovering L.A., discover two of L.A.'s best treats, Scaloni and Gladstone's. On the water where Sunset meets Pacific Coast Highway. Call in area code 213-454-3470. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then talk. Just how much I miss you.
sound great, George. Hey, why not? What the hell? Uh, where am I going if I don't? <laughs> <laughs> Everything all right? Just fine. How about with you? Oh, fine. Just hanging in there. and Everything's okay. No problems. And Do you ever miss the Meadowbrook Ballroom in New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> That's where we all first met. That's right. where we all first met. Bullet started as a band boy with Tommy Dorsey, right? That's right. Uh -huh. hey, hey, George, what was that bartender's name? Rudy. Rudy. I Rudy, yeah. yeah. Free drinks all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meadowbrook lost money. Yeah. <laughs> well, gee, I'm so glad I got to talk to both of them. I'm sure glad you phoned. It's right nice of you this time of yeah, night. Yes, good to hear you. Thank you, George. Okay. Bullets, oh. hey, Bullets, before you leave, tell that story about the water pistols and the Dorsey band. Oh, well, they know that story. I know, but tell it for our audience. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, okay, I got it. That's coming back to me now. Okay. Yeah, there was a, um, uh, when we were doing the theater, Paramount Theater was the one I remember right. very well. Right. And uh, they were doing, uh, uh, the, the guys in the band went out and got water pistols. They were bored sitting up there. <laughs> fun on our own, just uh, with these water pistols, shooting at the back of the neck of the whoever's in front of the flat. <laughs> nice kids. <laughs> right? So then uh, Tommy uh, sends uh, me out to get the uh, four uh, real, uh, like water hoses. <laughs> <laughs> we connected him backstage, and he hid behind the curtain, and uh, I had to hold the hoses, and then he said, uh, I give you the signal, turn it on. <laughs> Joe, do you remember that? No. You don't? At the Paramount? No. I was probably asleep at the time. I used to fall asleep all the time. But he soaked, I mean, they sprayed the whole band. Tommy took, Tommy did walk right across the front of the stage and all that. I mean, it was... Well, see, the thing is, they, George, if you remember the setup, they would miss, well, they would have had to miss us because they could, we were way up in the back row. Oh, yeah. They so could I could, we could look at it, but we didn't get sprayed. <laughs> and you remember, George, when Chuck, uh, Chuck Lowry fell off the back of the bandstand down 15 feet on the stage of the Paramount, and they, the stagehands just threw him back up on the stand. Just put a ladder and shoved him back up. No one asked if his neck was broken or anything. <laughs> well, he was too scared to talk. Right, That's right. exactly. Sure, he's frightened. I'm so glad that I didn't expect to get you two there, but I thought I'd try. Hey, it's nice of you to Hey, call. Bullets, thanks for checking in. Hey, I'm enjoying this. And Great. you got some good people there. Indeed. <laughs> Great. And, and Bullets, I'll never forget the show you did either. Oh, okay. Take care. Thank you. Take right. care, George. Bye-bye. Legendary man. Mm -hmm. what, mm -hmm. what a manager. Great. He was managing how many people at the same time? Oh, yeah. Well, he had kind of... In the and he was in his service. 
Yes, but part of the time he was. That's he right. Get into a phone booth in between drills <laughs> or something and <laughs> book people in. Real character. Real character, George. Yeah, and he, of course, uh, was the one that was responsible for getting Jackie Gleason mm -hmm. onto the network. He was True. Jackie mm -hmm. Gleason's manager. That's right. True. All right, let's go to Lompoc, California, and Bill. Hello, Bill. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Yes, I'll tell you. It was just such a treat to come home from uh, work tonight. And uh, Hey, Bill. I, Bill Powell. Yeah. How you hey. doing? How are you? I think I is on the other line. What, 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 just one of those, uh, such an unexpected uh, pleasure, just can't describe it. So, hey, <laughs> how, how have you all been? Uh, fine. We'll fine. see you soon. I think Inez is going to say hello to you, too. Good. Hi, my <laughs> gosh, how nice. How are you, Inez? Oh, just fine. Can't wait till August. No, neither can we. <laughs> Bill, Bill plays at the Alisal Ranch where we go, where every, we go summer, every summer, and he is a great pianist. <laughs> and by the way, I can play, have you met Miss Jones and Be Natural now? I'm, on it. I'm, I'm, I'm going for F sharp now. So. Don't show him up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, certainly nice to, to hear you, and... Uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, we'll be in bad shape tomorrow night because we're going to stay up all night and uh, <laughs> all finish with the show. Okay. And John Coltrane sends his best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio AM 790. Maybe you're handy, maybe you're not. Maybe you just want to give it a shot. Maybe it's an old leaky pipe that you've got, and you want to fix it right there on the spot. You might be the type who thinks that it's fun to keep working and working till the rotten job's done. But if you've tried and tried and just can't make it work, or just the mere thought of it drives you berserk, you don't have to solve the problem alone. Just pick up the phone and call Dial 1. Look in the yellow pages under Plumbing for the Dial 1 plumber near you. Dial 1 has 40 trades and services to care for residential, commercial, and industrial property. From plumbing to heating and air conditioning, from carpet cleaning to pest control. If you've got a problem, chances are there's a Dial 1 skilled professional to handle it. Dial 1 is the only recommendation you need to be sure the job is done right. The next time that you've got a job to be done, just pick up the phone and call Dial 1. Each Dial 1 company is independently owned and operated. All services may not be available in all areas. There's only a short time left to save hundreds of dollars at Sit and Sleep in Culver City. The largest inventory of mattresses in L.A., Sit and Sleep always guarantees the lowest prices in town. And now till 5 this morning, for you Ray Bream listeners, prices have been reduced to an all-time low. Now, this is your one-time opportunity to buy name-brand quality mattresses, such as a queen-size Simmons Beautyrest Classic or CD Posturepedic, tonight only, as low as $397. And tonight's queens start at only $157. Larry Miller, president of Sit and Sleep, is at the store right now. He's waiting to take a call. Maybe he's there all by himself. Call him up and... You know, cheer him up. Tell him a joke or something. And if you want to reserve your new mattress set at these special prices, don't hesitate. Don't miss out on the sale tonight and tonight only. Call Larry right now, area code 213, then dial 
800-370-0148 or 870-1374 or 870-3134. Hurry, the sale will be over when my show is over at 5 a.m. Hello there, I'm Michael Jackson. The week ahead holds so much. Topics and issues to inform and entertain. Coming up, advice on breaking the never-ending cycle of diets, overcoming overeating. Also this week, stress on the job. It's now becoming a legal issue. Animal research, the pros and cons. Alzheimer's disease, is progress really being made? How about an increase on the cigarette tax as the time come? I'm Michael Jackson, and all week long from 9 to 1, join us on Talk Radio KABC. Followed by Talk, T-A-L-K. All Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word Talk. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then Talk. I hate to see that evening sun go down. To see that evening sun go down. That's an exciting arrangement with the bongos and the whole bit. I love that. I do too. There's Jack, Jack Constanza on the bongos. Really? Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Oh, my old hometown. Charles is on the line from Ogden, Utah. You remember the White City Ballroom, Charles? Oh, I sure do. Well, you're on. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Uh, Ray, Joe, and Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. What marvelous memories come back. Uh, from 1839 and 8 and 9, uh, that's the roof. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. My wife and I were there every night. Were you? <laughs> yes. That's great. Uh, memories, uh, Joe Briskin. Uh-huh, sure. Brother Piano. Mm-hmm. Connie Haynes. Connie Haynes, Ziggy Ullman. Uh, yes, our dearest friend, George Ash. Mm, oh, oh really? George, the trombone. Yeah. Yeah, Bunny Bag and Cy Oliver. Mm-hmm. And that wonderful Helen Price. <laughs> Edith Wright. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if Helen Price is listening, and I hope she is, I was in uniform mm-hmm. with uh, George at the hotel, and uh, I still have the good luck. Uh, that she gave and Godspeed. Thank you very much, yes. Charles. Yep. Bye-bye. Uh, to Santa Barbara, California, and Kim. Hello, Kim. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Good evening, or I should say good morning. Good morning. Right. Good morning. Good morning. Good, Mr. Weston. Yes, ma'am. Hopefully you are the same Mr. Weston who wrote the Bells of Santa Inez. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm from Santa Inez, and I performed in that probably, oh, for five, six years, starting off with Mama, What's in the Pot Today? Oh, <laughs> good for you. Look at the moon. <laughs> well, that, yeah, it was about eight years we did it up there. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciated your people p- participating like that because it was great. Remember Bob Raleigh, who was mm-hmm. conducted it, yeah. Yeah, he was my music teacher going through school, and uh, I grew up in that area and went to Solving School. And uh, it was fun to listen to hear Mr. Powell because I worked with him for a short time at the Alice House. Oh, did you? Good. Uh, and uh, Joe, I, I just. I grew up with your with your singing. My mom was a big, big fan. Uh-huh. And it's just been 
I woke up, I'd forgotten to turn off my radio when I went to sleep, and I woke up to your songs, and it's just been wonderful. Oh, good. So I want to thank you very, very much, and well, it's been a pleasure waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, that thank you. Best. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you, Kim. Thank uh, you. Bye-bye. Richard in Los Angeles. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, Joe, Yeah. I did an album about 30 years ago. I saw it once, and I heard it once, and it's haunted me ever since. Mm-hmm. It was an album of Scottish ballads that I think Mildred Bailey's brother Al Rinker arranged. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it in any old record stores. And is it available through I Corinthian? D- or I d- no, it's not. We don't have that one. Uh, I don't know if Capital. Uh, no, I don't even know if it's still in print. It was some. Mar- it was Robert Burns' poems, which Al Rinker set to music. Yeah, it was absolutely and gorgeous. Uh, wasn't that it wasn't about. I mean, because that's not a commercial type of. Uh, record. Uh, Al brought the Al brought the songs to me. And uh, to me, they were perfect settings for Robert Burns's poems, and uh, we sort of did it like as a follow-up to Joe's American Folk Song album. It was, it was put out again in Europe uh, about two years ago, but uh, they didn't send. You know, the, the uh, it just was sold mostly in Holland and Britain, and, and didn't get it back over here. I'll have to go over there then. It <laughs> <laughs> was uh, absolutely gorgeous, and. Uh, Paul, not to slight you, I have in my hands an old recording of yours called Soundstage. Oh. One called Love Music from Hollywood that I have worn to death. Aren't those pretty things? Uh, yeah, before there were tape recorders. Uh, mm-hmm. is that a, are those available? For yes. Uh, we have uh, called Cinema Cameos uh, on, uh, on Corinthian, and uh, some of those, well, a lot of the music from Love Music from Hollywood and a couple of the sides from Soundstage are in that album. Yeah. Oh. Okay, good. I'll have to get it. Thanks very much. Thank All you. Right. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Richard. Let's take a call from Connie in Los Angeles. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, my dream. You're on with Joe and Paul. You did the miracle. <laughs> yes, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you people. I think you're neglecting some relatives of, of, of the Edwards family. I have a record here by Cinderella G. Stump and Red Ingle. Dis- distant cousins. Uh, distant cousins. <laughs> and I love you for 70 mental reasons. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody has mentioned that wonderful Christmas album you did, where you were not only the marvelous lead you always were, but you were your own vocal group. Oh, yes. I, I lo- loved doing that album. I had a ball doing that because I love group singing, and I got to do every part just the way I wanted it. <laughs> Wasn't that marvelous? I enjoyed it. I really did. And I must say, you blend beautifully with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that Th- comes out every Christmas for everybody's understanding. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, Connie. Uh, to Salt Lake City at Claire. Hello, Claire. You're on with Joe Stafford and Paul Weston. Hello, Joe and Paul. Hi. You've given me many, many years <laughs> of entertainment and I thank you for that that's our pleasure believe me really I, I have a son we're all a musical family in fact my uh, uncle played in the old Salt Lake theater for the silent movies oh no kidding which was quite an interesting thing I assume I wasn't around at that time uh-huh. but my son writes music who that is your type of music uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's, it makes sense. And yeah. It has a tune. It has a melody. And the chords are correct. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Except when it comes to uh, Jonathan, he does get a little mixed up there on the on the chords once in a while. Well, he likes to make up his own. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any place at all where 
where that you're aware of where a person like this can send music to an agent? Gosh, I tell you, I know so many great songwriters around this town that are sitting on their hands because mm -hmm. they don't know what to do with the material. It's, because it's, there's nobody there to record it. That's right. Mm -hmm. People record the things that they write, and and uh, it's, there's not much chance for an independent songwriter. That's really a shame, the way music has gone in that trend, where you can't understand what they're saying, you don't... <laughs> Well, it would be nice if we if we wrote songs. I, I don't know what you call they're musical pieces today. I guess I don't uh, know what they wh are. Whatever they are, but we don't write songs anymore, normally speaking. No, and it's uh, once in a while something will come out. Yes, oh yeah, they're, but uh, they're, that's the exception. Yeah, it know? is. It is. It used to be the rule. Now it's the exception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Claire. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye bye. <laughs> And we have Marilyn on the phone. Good morning, Marilyn. Oh, good morning. I'm so thrilled to be able to talk to Joe. Hi. Hi. Well, you know, um, I watched you when I used to stand in line and, and, and hear you on the radio. Yeah. You remember the dress you wore? <laughs> the black lace dress. Uh, you used to stand in line and, and go to the radio show? Yes, yes, ah. yes. Oh, I loved it so much. But, you know, the favorite song that you, you recorded you know, for me, mm -hmm. has not been played tonight. And it's the best things in life are free. Oh, oh yeah, back at Capitol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ray, I bet you agree with me, don't you? It's a beautiful song. Yeah, the stars in the sky, the moon yeah. on high. Oh, mm -hmm. great. Did, well, uh, was uh, your husband in, involved in that also? No, he made the arrangement, yeah. Oh, yes, yep. I mm -hmm. love that record. Oh, I play it all the time. We have a bunch of 78s. I like it, too. I used to use that a lot and when I would play theaters uh, or your personal appearance. I'd use that as an opening number. It was a great uh, number to open the show with. Oh, the arrangement was just great. Wasn't it great? Well, thank you. And now I have one more thing, because I know you're so busy with all these calls. I know you recorded a song that was called I'm My Own Grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, because, uh, you know, uh, Ken and Bob on, on the... Uh, a talk radio in the morning. Yeah. Uh, about two years ago, they says they couldn't figure out who who uh, recorded that. You're kidding. No, they didn't know. <laughs> and they said somebody. And I said, well, no, that Joe Stanford did that. So I went to work, and I tried to call in and tell him to, to you know, give him some knowledge of uh -huh. it. Uh huh. But uh, I remember that. Uh, when did you record that? Well, that, was that would be the late 40s. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Joe and Paul were reaching close to the end of the show, and I can't tell you how how great it has been. Well, you know that I really, really enjoy talking to these people. Isn't it wonderful? They're just to, great. To They're know that great. people still care and oh, remember and love, it. love your music. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's been fun for us because you know we've. We uh, don't do a lot of radio or a lot much of anything these days. I know, I know, days. I know. So it's been a nice let's, evening. Let's give the address of Corinthian Records on one more time so oh, that they fine, write for a catalog. It's Corinthian Records, Post Office Box 6296, Beverly Hills, California, 90212. And that includes uh, also the catalog for Darlene and Jonathan, right? Oh, yes, oh, five yes. albums. Uh -huh. Five albums? Yep. Of, mm -hmm. d does that include Alabama Bound? I mean, can, can, can we get Alabama Bound? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> 
it's most important. I mean, that's my favorite of all. <laughs> and if we if we can't get Alabama Brown, <laughs> I mean, uh, no, it's available on CD. Yeah, things. that's right. Yeah. It is. There, there they are now. <laughs> Terrible. Listen. <laughs> I'm Alabama. shown me some of the goodies in here and boy you do have quite a catalog i want to thank you joe stafford and paul weston you really are beautiful people thank you very much and it's just been a pleasure and Enjoyed i hope it, we can right? do it again sometime we hope sure so. love it take care have a good weekend you too bye bye you. joe stafford paul weston this is talk radio i'm ray brand just remember darling all KABC, Talk Radio 790. Hello, I'm Ed McMahon. Life over 50 can be great. That's why I want to tell you about the Time of Your Life Expo, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the L.A. Convention Center. You'll see over 400 exhibits on leisure, health, finances, travel, crafts, housing, second careers, and much more. All for adults over 50. Enjoy great entertainment, speakers, free health checks, and gifts for all. Join Danny Thomas, Estelle Getty, George Goble, Jack and Elaine LaLanne, Jack Smith, Ann Seymour, Dr. George Fishbeck, Richard Simmons, members of the Lawrence Welk musical family, and more. If you're over 50, get a dollar off admission coupon at any Southern California Lucky, Thrifty, Denny's, or Sears customer service. Join the celebration at the L.A. Convention Center, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th for the time of your life. Expo produced by Opportunities and Services for Seniors. Sponsored in part by Cigna Health Plans, KABC-TV, AT&T, and Heritage Park American Adventure. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. From ABC News, I'm Bob Walker. The no-smoking sign is now permanently lit on 80% of all domestic airline flights. Windows M, desktop M, my documents, enter. Document 4F, farewell test to enter, farewell proper track 8161944, the home of cbsnews.wav, enter. The voices of Studio 9, Edward R. Morrow on a London rooftop during the Blitz. This is London. I'm standing again tonight looking out over London. In the course of the last 15 or 20 minutes, there's been considerable action up here. Charles Collingwood, describing the German surrender. General Yodel said in a voice that choked and almost broke, with this signature, the German people and the German armed forces are, for better or worse, delivered into the victor's hands in this war, which is last... H.V. Kaltenborn, speculating about a third term for FDR. Good evening, everybody. There has been a contest of wits between the President of the United States and the Washington reporters. They have sought to make him tell what he intends to do about a third term. He has sought... Eric Severide, recalling the fall of France. The life just simply ran out of the city. It was like a beautiful woman lying in a coma, you know, with her lifeblood just draining out from every, every vein, every street. 
I noticed the one way... Those are the voices of CBS Radio News Studio 9. Those and others like Elmer Davis, William L. Shirer, John Daly, and Alan Jackson, who through the dark days of Hitler's march through Europe and World War II, through the 50s and now the 60s, brought the living history of the world through Studio 9 and into the living rooms of the nation. Tonight they bid farewell to Studio 9. <laughs> to Studio 9, an affectionate goodbye to the birthplace of CBS News. Here is CBS News correspondent Robert Trout. I am speaking to you from Studio 9. As broadcasting facilities go, this one is not remarkable at all. It's just a soundproof room, 15 by 20, surrounded on two sides by glass-encased control rooms. On the third, it looks out into the clutter of the CBS newsroom. It's not the handsomest radio studio, not the most modern, not lovely at all. But for those who have worked here, it has a charm all its own. We shall miss it. We have been moving from this headquarters of CBS News at 52nd Street and Madison Avenue in New York City to our new headquarters on the west side of Manhattan. And this old Studio 9 goes dead. The voices of those decades that have gone seem to be talking again speaking words that once made people tremble and rejoice and laugh and cry, sometimes speaking words that will not die. This program, An Affectionate Farewell to Studio 9, is a collection of reminiscences, recollections, and reports by the men who built CBS News, men like Edward R. Murrow. Bob, one of the infuriating things I remember about Studio 9 was that occasionally we would get through to master control and then they couldn't get it down to Studio 9. And that produced some rather profane comments because we couldn't see why we could get a good signal three, 5,000 miles, and in New York they couldn't get it four floors. <laughs> <laughs> I think the engineers are going to be slightly embarrassed. <laughs> well, we have some recordings of, uh, of some of the broadcasts, a few of those things that you did, Ed. Would you like to hear any of them? Would you like to hear the, uh, the, the one on the rooftop, the Blitz, in the Blitz? I've never heard it. Haven't you really? Probably terrible. Now, listen to it now. This is London. I'm standing again tonight on a rooftop looking out over London, feeling rather large and lonesome. In the course of the last 15 or 20 minutes, there's been considerable action up here. But at the moment, there's an ominous silence hanging over London. But at the same time, a silence that has a great deal of dignity. Just straight away in front of me, the searchlights are working. I can see one or two bursts of anti-aircraft fire far in the distance. Just on the roof across the way, I can see a man standing wearing a tin hat with a pair of powerful night glasses to his eyes, scanning the sky. Again, looking in the opposite direction, there's a building with two windows gone. Out of one window, there waves something that looks like a white bed sheet. A window curtain, swinging free in this night breeze. It looks as though it were being shaken by a ghost. There are a great many ghosts around these buildings in London, and some of them companies of ghosts. Ed, I don't know how you feel about that. I, uh, I find it kind of hard to take. <laughs> 
I'll tell you something about that, Robert, that was never reported. I had to stand on a rooftop for six nights in succession and make a record each night and submit it to the Ministry of Information in order to persuade the censors that I could ad lib without violating security. And I did it for six nights, and the records were lost somewhere in the Ministry of Information, so then I had to do it for another six nights before they would finally give me permission after listening to the second take of six to stand on a rooftop. So I had a lot of time up there. You remember uh, the studio at the BBC? That's right. B4, it was. was referred to as having formerly been a waitress's robing room. <laughs> which in fact meant that it was for the ladies' lavatory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And all the broadcasts from London came from there during the war. That's right. This is a, a reminiscence that you'd ever care to remember, but it's always been my story. You remember the first time that you ever went on CBS on the air? We'd gone to the Christmas party of the publicity department, and somehow it stretched on into the evening, at least for us, and I was practically a teetotaler, you know, I didn't know anything about all this alcohol, and of course you were always very circumspect, and as the evening wore on, and I remembered I had to do a five-minute news broadcast supplied by the Press Radio Bureau, you decided that I really wasn't quite fit to do it. Do you remember that? If this is being recorded, I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> and I sat in the studio when I was supposed to be doing it, and you did it. That's right, and you were going to give me the cut. You were going to give me the watch at the end, and you gave it to me a minute early, and we left 45 seconds of dead air at the end. <laughs> I don't remember that That's at all. That's true. <laughs> you were the director of talks that weren't supposed to be on the air at all. That's right. <laughs> I think that was your first broadcast on yeah. CBS. And one thing that's almost hard to believe now as we... Uh, think about it, in those early days, we didn't have any press associations because the Associated Press, the United Press, and the International News Service, as they were then, refused to sell their services to broadcasters, remember? Oh, uh, yes, and I can remember you, night after night, ending a five-minute news broadcast by saying, for further details, read your daily newspaper. <laughs> That's right. And I can remember when I first went to Europe in 1937, I was not permitted to be a member of the American Correspondents Association in London or Paris because I was involved in that ridiculous thing called radio. All I remember was that uh, shortly after I got to London, you were the president of it. Well, that was in the build-up for D-Day, yes. <laughs> Just happened to be my turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I hadn't remembered that you had a hard time getting in. Well, of course, during the war, you made a number of bombing flights over the enemy territory, over Germany, broadcasting as you went. Astonishing broadcasts. I know that the uh, management of CBS was kind of unhappy that you insisted on going on these things and tried to dissuade you, and you wouldn't be dissuaded. We have the result of at least one of those air raids. Would you like to hear that one? Oh, yes. I began to see what was happening to Berlin. The small incendiaries were going down like a fistful of white rice thrown on a piece of black velvet. The cookies, the 4,000-pound high explosives, were bursting below like great sunflowers gone mad. And then as we started down again, still held in the light, I remembered that the dog still had one of those cookies and a whole basket of incendiaries in his belly. And the light still held it. And I was very frightened. I looked down and the white fires had turned red. They were beginning to merge and spread, just like butter does on a hot plate. The bomb doors were open. And then there was a gentle, confident upward thrust under my feet and Boz said, Cookie gone. A few seconds later, the incendiaries went. And D-Dog seemed lighter and easier to handle. I began to breathe and to reflect again. 
that all men would be brave if only they could leave their stomachs at home. When there was a tremendous whoomp, an unintelligible shout from the tail gunner, and D-Dog shivered and lost altitude. I looked to the port side, and there was a Lancaster that seemed close enough to touch. He had whipped straight under us, missed us by 25, 50 feet. No one knew how much. Berlin was a kind of orchestrated hell, a terrible symphony of light and flame. There were four reporters on this operation. Two of them didn't come back. Two friends of mine, Norman Stockton of Australian Associated Newspapers and Lowell Bennett, an American representing International News Service. There is something of a tradition amongst reporters that those who are prevented by circumstances from filing their stories will be covered by their colleagues. This has been my effort to do so. I have no doubt that Bennett and Stockton would have given you a better report of last night's activities. That was the broadcast that became known as Orchestrated Hell. Yeah, I remember that. I'm sure you do. One thing that I imagine the public, thinking back, listening a bit, perhaps listening to us talk, would find amazing, could hardly believe it, is that all during the war, of course, we didn't use recordings. It was all live. We were permitted to use them shortly before D-Day, and we used them from then onward. For example, the broadcast that George Hicks did from the ship during the D-Day landings, that was done on tape. Yes, very well. to is the one when you got to the concentration camp and saw what had happened in Buchenwald. Let's listen to it. When I entered, men crowded around, tried to lift me to their shoulders. They were too weak. Many of them could not get out of bed. As I walked down to the end of the barracks, there was applause from the men too weak to get out of bed. It sounded like the hand clapping of babies. As we walked out into the courtyard, a man fell dead. Two others, they must have been over 60, were crawling towards the latrine. I saw it, but will not describe it. In another part of the camp, they showed me the children, hundreds of them. Some were only six. One rolled up his sleeve, showed me his number. It was tattooed on his arm. D-6030 it was. The others showed me their numbers. They will carry them till they die. The children clung to my hands and stared. We crossed to the courtyard. Men kept coming up to speak to me and to touch me. Professors from Poland, doctors from Vienna, men from all Europe, men from the countries that made America. We proceeded to the small courtyard. There were two rows of bodies stacked up like cordwood. They were thin and very white. Some of the bodies were terribly bruised, though there seemed to be little flesh to bruise. Some had been shot through the head, but they bled but little. It appeared that most of the men and boys had died of starvation. 
they had not been executed. But the manner of death seemed unimportant. Murder had been done at Pugenwald. God alone knows how many men and boys have died there during the last 12 years. As I left that camp, a Frenchman who used to work for Havas in Paris came up to me and said, you will write something about this, perhaps. And he added, to write about this, you must have been here at least two years. And after that, you don't want to write anymore. I pray you to believe what I have said about Buchenwald. I have reported what I saw and heard, but only part of it. If I have offended you by this rather mild account of Buchenwald, I am not in the least sorry. Listening to that, Ed, makes me realize again how radio came to be the magnificent medium that it is and how much you did to make it that kind of medium. And also, of course, I can't help thinking how much of those broadcasts, how many of them came through the Studio 9. What does it mean to you? I keep thinking of the people. I remember Elmer Davis, who was one of the most sensitive men I've ever met, although most people didn't realize it. I wish yeah. he could be here with us today. Let's listen to one of his broadcasts, Elmer Davis. Whatever the terms imposed on France may be, it can pretty safely be assumed that they will be such as to make it impossible for France ever to become dangerous to Germany again, unless, of course, Hitler should be overthrown. How much farther they may go in the direction of attempting to make France over on the Nazi model remains to be seen, but at least some of the Nazi theorists seem to have extensive hopes. One of the chief of these philosophers of Nazism, a man who has worked out its doctrines very thoroughly, is Alfred Rosenberg. He is a less prominent figure than he used to be, but he still writes a good deal in the Felkischer Beobachter, the principal Nazi paper, and some remarks of his quoted in the New York Times last Sunday are a suggestion of the sort of world that the more philosophical Nazis will create if they can. Mr. Rosenberg writes about Paris. The fall of Paris, he says, I quote, the fall of Paris is the beginning of the end of the spiritual and racial turpitude of Europe. For Paris was the center of the mental confusion that pervaded Europe, end quote. What Rosenberg and the other Nazis call mental confusion, and they mean this quite sincerely, it's part of a well thought out philosophy. What they call mental confusion is what the rest of us call freedom of thought, the liberty of the mind to work over everything and come to its own conclusions. This man had an ability to compress and condense without distorting that I've never heard by anyone in radio anywhere. He had always the essence of the news, great brevity and great clarity. His, his was a genius. I agree. It's still the best instrument through which to convey the news, this old-fashioned radio. That's what I wondered if you were going to say. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Let me just say to you then, goodbye and good luck. Another voice that was already famous in the early days of the war belonged to H.V. Kaltenborn, who even then, as a young fellow just entering his 60s, was known to the nation as the Dean of Radio News Analysts. Now, having just celebrated his 86th birthday, H.V. Kaltenborn looks back to the Sudeten crisis of 38 and how it affected the lives of Americans who were keeping track of it. They'd never used portable radios before. And they came in during that crisis. People carried radios all over with them. Wherever you went, you saw people carrying radios because they were listening to the crisis and didn't want to lose a minute of it. 
Yes, and they were as big as suitcases in those days. Yes, they were pretty big, but they carried them and uh, got a lot out of them. Yes, do you think that uh, that crisis really is the, uh, the first thing, the turning point that made uh, this country more aware of the outside world and the whole world crisis? I think that's probably its significance, that for the first time, the entire country was aware of the fact that the actions of one of these dictators operating over there in Europe could plunge this country into a world war. And that was its significance. How many days and nights, you suppose, I guess neither one of us could possibly remember how many days and nights it lasted, but you used to sleep uh, on the sofa and, uh, and Mrs. Calvin Bourne would bring in the soup for you, do you recall? That's right, I recall that very well. And uh, it was essential that I be there because things were coming up every minute. Yes. There was no time, day or night, when we couldn't be called upon to uh, analyze a major crisis. And so I did sleep in the studio. That was the only way we could handle it. And uh, we uh, certainly uh, did our job. That is, uh, of course, we never had the commendations that came to us after that crisis. Gosh, that was yes. something that overwhelmed me. I got petitions and uh, tributes and cups and Lord knows what all. You could have gone to the Senate. Uh, I could have done something <laughs> on the strength of the reputation that I gathered there. Yes, but then when the war did come in 1939, and we were again in Studio 9, the country still was, was pretty solidly isolationist. I don't suppose the, the United States ever would have entered the war voluntarily. If it well, the, the best proof that it was isolationist was the fact that we uh, had a hard time getting on a prayer by the Archbishop of Canterbury for peace as against the Kentucky Derby. And so we set it for the, uh, for the prayer. And by jinks, if the two didn't come at exactly the same time. And I'll never forget the uh, feeling in the uh, words of the announcer of the Kentucky Derby, but in Louisville, as he said, gee, we've just had the greatest letdown of our lives because you took the time that we had taken for the Kentucky Derby, and the audience didn't get any of it. Well, those were the things that happened in those days of the old studio. After the war in Europe was, what, one year old in 1940, we had a presidential election in this country. And that brings me to another record that we have from those days. Let's listen to this one. Carlton Bourne edits the news. Good evening, everybody. For months past, there has been a contest of wits between the President of the United States and the Washington reporters. They have sought to make him tell what he intends to do about a third term. He has sought, by banter, persiflage, clever answer, smiles, and occasional silence, not to tell him. How long can that battle of wits go on without somebody losing his temper? However, Franklin D. Roosevelt is clever enough with repartee and easy enough in almost any situation in relation to reporters to be able to continue to handle it. That's another one we know the end of now, H. V. isn't it? Well, did you think at that time that, uh, that Mr. Roosevelt would run again? Yes, I felt that he would run again. I'm sure that he believed that he could handle this 
difficult peace or war situation better than anyone else. And there was nothing against a third term. The Dean of American News Broadcasters, H.V. Kaltenborn. A voice that today regularly commands the nation's attention is that of Eric Severide, one of broadcasting's most celebrated news analysts. When the war began, Eric Severide was a newspaper man in France, and he joined the growing CBS News staff as the Germans drove nearer to Paris. Now it is June 9th, 1940. This is Paris at midnight. It's been a great day for the moving and packing industry in Paris. At the time of the Battle of the Marne in 1914, the Germans were equally close to the city. I don't know how many more radio broadcasts can be made from the Paris studio. If there is an interruption, we will try to continue with facilities installed in other towns further south. I do not think there is any deliberate attempt to hide the real state of affairs from the people of Paris. They are as calm as could be expected. They are fatalistic people. It is this quality which makes Frenchmen stand half-naked in this wilting heat feeding their red-hot guns until literally crushed out by German tanks. Perhaps it's this which permits young French men and girls, as I saw them today, to float on their backs in the Bois de Boulogne swimming pool and idly watch the flowering bursts of anti-aircraft shells in the sky. Robert, that's the first time I've heard any of those broadcasts from that period so long ago when Paris was about to fall. I wouldn't recognize my own voice. That broadcast must have been one of the first half dozen or so that I yeah. ever did, and you can, yeah. and I must say it frightened me to death. I didn't know how to speak, and the microphone scared me, and I never quite got over it, really. <laughs> I really made the last broadcast to the States from Paris. Yes. In fact, they packed up that radio station as soon as I finished that night. It was very bad, and uh, in the city, when the Germans were coming in, it must have been very shortly after that broadcast that the government pulled out and they didn't tell the people what to do or where to go whether to stay or to go so they crowded around the railroad stations in the southern part of paris garmo parnasse for example by the thousands i was lucky i had a car and i had all the francs that cbs had in the bank stuffed in my pocket and i even had a bicycle on top of that car and an extra can of gasoline so i was able to make my way south with the government but it was perfectly terrible. But the roads were clogged, weren't they? It was awful. We drove uh, all night and all day, just barely creeping along. It must have taken us, oh, many, many, many hours to get on a tour where the government was. But that last day I was in Paris, there was a crowd, cloud of black smoke, the north, uh, way to the north, uh, creeping toward Paris. I think some oil dumps or something had been set on fire. Uh, this was very symbolic. The whole horizon began to darken and closed toward the city, and looking up to the Champs-Élysées, great boulevard, there was hardly a car left. I noticed uh, one waiter out putting the chairs from a cafe back inside. No one sitting there. The life just simply ran out of the city. It was like a beautiful woman lying in a coma, you know, with her lifeblood just draining out through every, every vein, every street. But we had quite a run of luck. We had this... Uh, break about uh, I'd sent a cable, a sort of a code thing in advance to New York that uh, if I wired them such and such a phrase it met a German breakthrough or a French breakthrough or something of the sort. 
And coming down from Cambrai on that long night ride in the refugee train, we could see the gun flashes off to the northeast, and then we would hear the sound of the guns. And in our group was an American who had been an officer in World War I, and he took out his stopwatch and he timed uh, the, the period, you see, between yeah. the flashes and the sound. And, and then he figured out how far it was, and we measured this on a map. And it was perfectly clear from this little exercise that the Germans had broken through. Yes. And so I got to Paris, and I finally remembered after an, uh, maybe a, some hours of having forgotten that cable, that I had such a cable in York, sent this code phrase to Paul White in New York, and then he finally remembered he had such a cable in his desk and drew it out, and I think Elmer Davis broadcast that they had what they believed to be a reputable report that uh, the Germans had broken through the main French defenses. At least that's what I was told later when I got to New York. And I remember in New York, the big front-page headlines on the newspapers more than once with a story of yours that had come really? from us through I, CBS. And yeah. we saw them. Yes. Especially just as Paris was falling. You didn't go to the south at all to the Vichy government. You went no, to... No, I, I left Bordeaux then when Pétain took over and they, they surrendered. And uh, In fact, I was on this ship um, coming out of the mouth of the river. Our sister ship uh, was bombed and, and sunk. I heard on a ship radio um, Bill Shire broadcasting from Compiègne the formal surrender to Hitler. This was an extraordinary sensation, I must say. God, we're getting you. old, you know. <laughs> CBS News correspondent Eric Severide. We'll listen to William L. Scharer at Compiègne describing the French surrender and talk to him about that day in just a moment. Farewell to Studio 9 will continue after a 10-second pause for station identification. This is the CBS Radio Network. Robert Trout, Redford. CBS News continues with Farewell to Studio 9. Here again is Robert Trout. As CBS News moves into its new headquarters and Studio 9 shuts down, the voices that broadcast living history form a permanent record of our time. One of those who broadcast, William L. Scheirer, a newspaper man in Berlin, was hired by European news director Ed Morrow to help fill the growing call for more broadcasts from Europe as the lights again began going out one by one. Soon, with the Second Global War a reality, the voice of Scharer, speaking almost nightly from Berlin, was what we came to feel was the principal thread of sanity that still kept us linked in a way with the capital of the country that was, although then undeclared, the enemy. William L. Scharer was in the forest at Compiègne in France, June 22, 1940, looking through a window of a train car, where inside Hitler was accepting the French surrender the same train car in which, 22 years earlier, the French accepted the German surrender. William L. Scharer, on that June day in 1940, described the scene. Hitler steps up into the car, followed by Goering and the others. We watch them entering the drawing room in Marshal Foch's car. We can see Nazis now through the car windows. Hitler enters front and takes the place occupied by Marshal Foch the morning the first armistice was signed. The Germans salute, the French salute. The atmosphere is what Europeans call correct. But you get the picture when I say that we see no handshakes. Not on occasions like this. 
Hitler and the other German leaders rise from their feet as the French enter the drawing room. Hitler, we see, gives the Nazi salute, the arm raised. The German officers give a military salute. The French do the same. Hitler, so far as we can see through the windows just in front of us here, does not say anything. He nods to General Keitel at his side. We can see General Keitel adjusting his papers, and then he starts to read. He is reading the preamble of the German Armistice terms. The French sit there with marble-like faces and listen intently. Hitler and Goering glance at the green tabletop. We see Hitler stand up, salute stiffly with hand up raised. Then he strides out of the drawing room, followed by Goering, General Brauchitz, Grand Admiral Raider is there, Herr Hess, and at the end, Herr von Lebensdorf. That was the, uh, the first of the two-day sessions when Hitler arrived at the little clearing in the forest near Compiègne and uh, laid down the conditions. We were the only people for embarrassingly long hours that had a report that the French had signed the armistice. And that was due to, as are so many scoops in journalism, to uh, a piece or two of very good luck. All the other uh, foreign correspondents, including the Americans, the newspaper people, had uh, flown back to Berlin that day uh, because Hitler had said that the armistice news would come from him. I took a chance and stayed at Compiègne. The, the armistice was signed at 6.50 p.m., and I think I went on the air at 7. And I assumed that it was being recorded in Berlin. But what happened, somebody in Berlin forgot to pull the switch, and it went straight out from uh, Berlin on the German shortwave center to New York. I was told later that even people like Churchill in London first got the news uh, because Hitler did not release the news of the armistice for six hours. And I remember, I think later on I had a feedback with uh, New York and I heard Elmer Davis, who was then doing the thing that afternoon, saying, well, it's uh, exciting news, but uh, there's no confirmation anyplace. <laughs> the voice of William L. Shirer. John Daly, whom we then called John Charles Daly, broadcast for CBS in the 30s from Washington. Then, with the creation of that great dividing line of our times, the start of hostilities, he made his permanent home here in New York, in this Studio 9. It was here that he made his now famous broadcast on December 7, 1941. I was standing out there in the newsroom, uh, looking over the machines, uh, waiting for any last-minute things that came in, and uh, this uh, Pearl Harbor announcement hit, and I came in and broke into the Philharmonic concert to announce that... Uh, that uh, Pearl Harbor had been attacked. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. Uh, the staff was sitting around this, this table, and they just we took turns going out and picking up every little bit of information we could about uh, the relationships with the Japanese, the principles involved, the character and nature of Pearl Harbor, getting little shreds of information and telephone calls to our station affiliates in, in the area. And uh, we just kept the air and kept on reporting everything that came through. It, it, uh, 
It doesn't, in the context of all that's done these days, perhaps sound very revolutionary, but for that time, it was the, the concept that you would just take over a whole network's operation and uh, give the broadest and, and widest coverage of uh, the story that you were on, in those days was a revolutionary concept. John Daly also broadcast the news on that April day in 1945. Wilderness Road. Adventure on the American frontier with the Weston family and Daniel Boone in the exciting days following the American Revolution. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from CBS World News. A press association has just announced that President Roosevelt is dead. The president died of a cerebral hemorrhage. All we know so far is that the president died at Warm Springs in Georgia. I... I think its impact on me probably was greater than it would be on most because I had been White House correspondent for three or four years uh, in that wonderfully informal atmosphere that existed in those days and in that assignment, which doesn't uh, unhappily exist anymore simply because it's grown so. But wherever Franklin Roosevelt went as president, uh, that hardcore of permanent correspondents assigned to cover the White House went with him. And we all were fond of him. The whole country was was, I think, just brought up short when it did happen. John Daly, recalling the day that was so hard to believe. Charles Collingwood joined CBS News in London not long after the war began. He broadcast his way through the Blitz on London, then the beginning of the march back to the continent of Europe, the invasion of North Africa, American troops going into the western end of the Mediterranean south shore as General Montgomery's British Army chased the Germans from the eastern end. And when the Allies sailed from England for the coast of France, Charles Collingwood was there, all the way through Paris to the surrender of the Third Reich. Charles is again in Paris, now as chief European correspondent for CBS News, and we talked to him about those days. The entry into Paris was one of the most moving things that I have ever experienced. The sense of liberation, the great welcome for General de Gaulle, who exercised a magic power over the French crowds, just as he does today, and the gratitude and the depth and the fervency of the welcome for the American troops was fantastic. And I spoke a little bit of French, and I did, I guess, uh, talk to them while the mic was open, and of course they responded with all of the fervor that was in their souls then. Yes, yeah, so what I... Keep hearing you say just the introduction when you was you knew you'd say uh, mes amis, you know, my friends. <laughs> I can still hear you saying that in a loud voice, addressing the multitude. They might have run you for something. You might have been elected to the deputies. Well, in those uh, days, it, would, it was easier for an American to get elected to anything than it would be these. Well, then uh, you went through the the war, a lot more of the war, and uh, and then came the big German surrender. And we have a tape, uh, a recording that we've dug up from the files, or shall I say the archives, that sounds a little bit more imposing, of you at the surrender of Germany. Would you I'd like? I'd like to hear that. Fine. General Yodel, chief of staff of the German army, signed the last document. He sat there very straight with his head bent over the papers. And when he had signed the last one, he put the cap back on the pen and looked up at the men sitting across the plain wooden table. Opposite him sat General Beadle Smith, Eisenhower's chief of staff. As he looked to his right, General Yodel could see a big, powerful man in the uniform of a Russian general sitting next to General Smith. He was General Suslaparov, the Russian delegate. Over his shoulder peered the extraordinary head of another Russian. The head was bald as a gourd, with fierce, unwavering eyes whose bright and sinister gaze did not for an instant leave the drawn face of General Yodel. 
Yodel did not meet his eyes for long. Then General Yodel looked again at General Smith. I would like to say something, he said. Smith nodded. Yodel rose stiffly to his feet. Herr General, he said in a voice that choked and almost broke, with this signature, the German people and the German armed forces are, for better or worse, delivered into the victor's hands. In this hour, I can only express the hope that the victor will treat them with generosity. Then General Yodel sat down quickly. No one else said anything. The Germans looked around as though wondering what to do next. And at another nod from General Smith, they got up. General Yodel, his aide, and Admiral Freeberg, who commands the German Navy, with Yodel in the lead, they walked quickly out of the room. That sounded pretty good. You took the words out of my mouth, Charles. It sounded very good indeed. Very good. As I sit here listening, and then we're playing the record here in New York, you're listening across the ocean. A question keeps going through my mind to which there isn't any answer. I wonder if uh, younger people listening to these records, you know, and knowing what they are, that they're history, not written in a book, but as it was being lived, I wonder if they get an emotion as I do, or I wonder if they would just consider it a kind of curiosity. You know, you look in a book and you see someone wearing a strange costume and a picture, or you read about a king dying or something like that. Now, it's a curious thing. To me, it's, uh, it, they're very alive, very much alive. Well, they're very alive to me. I suppose young people, after all, you, you could be quite mature now and not even have been born when these things happen. It must seem like, like ancient history, but... Uh, to me, it makes it very much alive. How things have changed since the war. Here we have the great Franco-German reconciliation, the friendship between Germany and the United States. The scars of war in Germany are nearly all healed now. Yes, and of course it could have been different. That's the thing, really, isn't it? I don't know. I think there's something about fate. I, I really somehow believe that people who are motivated by or what in old-fashioned terms we'd call wickedness, and I think Hitler was a wicked man, somehow inevitably make the miscalculations that bring about their downfall. And at the same time, those people who are motivated by, by all the things that we believe in generally somehow tend to make the right decisions. Well, Charles, that's not only a highly comforting thought, I think it's an idealistic note on which we could end our transatlantic conversation today. <laughs> Goodbye, Bob. Ple pleasure to talk to you again. Bye. After a couple of years in England, before the D-Day landings, I found myself back in New York, here in Studio 9 again, as the war followed its tortured path to victory. When the Germans collapsed, the center of our world broadcasting was here. Many experts said it would take years to conquer the Japanese, but three months after the day of victory in Europe, Japan was falling. I moved out of Studio 9, just outside the door where the news machines are, the teletypes, and a direct telephone from the White House hung on the wall. There, to be able to broadcast the great news a few seconds faster than if I had remained inside the studio, I sat in a chair in the newsroom for four days and nights waiting. And then the word came. 7 p.m. Eastern Wartime, Bob Trout reporting. The Japanese have accepted our terms fully. That's the word we've just received from the White House in Washington. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Second World War. The United Nations on land, on the sea, in the air, and to the four corners of the earth are united and are victorious. 
The great rift between the communist world, roughly of the East, and the civilization of what we call the Western world was to mark the years after the war. The post-war East-West conflict grew worse, and at its height the Soviet Union blockaded Berlin. The Allied reply, successfully carried out, was, of course, the airlift. But in another part of the world, after the airlift saved Berlin, the communists attacked in open warfare in Asia, the North Koreans crossing the border into South Korea, supplied by the Soviet Union, and later reinforced by the communist Chinese. Robert Pierpoint was in Korea for CBS News. The date, June 1, 1951. The place, a foxhole during a battle. We have just hit the dirt. I don't know whether this tape is still going, but I'm awful low right now. What was that that came over? That was artillery. Time to raise that thing. <laughs> now it's just one o'clock, straight up and down on the morning of the 18th, and we're still out here on the hill with Fife's company and Captain Sutton looking down at Chinese throats as they try to advance up the valley here. Whoop. That was a big one. The weapon that changed the world and gave our age its nuclear name, the atomic bomb, was first publicly displayed for newsmen in April 1952. Dallas Townsend was at Yucca Flats in Nevada. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. That's it. You could feel the flash. You could feel the heat. We're waiting three seconds. We can see the cloud going up in the air. 1,002, 1,003. We're taking our goggles off. There's the cloud, the enormous, the enormous cloud. Already going high into the air, a great glowing mass. Now the, the cloud is beginning to expand, a sort of cataract of white foam, white cloud is pouring over the top of it. That was the shock wave. The space age arrived with the Soviet launching of the first Sputnik that caught the United States by surprise. Even into the era of manned flight, the Soviet Union at first had the field, or the sky, to itself. Then, on May 5, 1961, the first American to enter outer space, Alan Shepard, went up from Cape Canaveral. The broadcast went through this Studio 9, and I was in Florida at the scene. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. You don't hear the sound yet, but we see the flame. Very slowly, majestically, the red stone rises into the sky. It's man invisible inside the capsule and a flame clearly seen like a beaming light, like a searchlight focused down at the earth again as that thin, slim pencil goes slowly, slowly up into the clear sky and now the sound goes louder and louder and swallows everything. Many times from this Studio 9, we called in the eternal city, Rome often to hear a timely and timeless event, like the announcement that the Roman Catholic Church had a new pope. Here is Winston Burdett reporting. We have a pope. 
Giovanni Battista Cardinal Montini, the 65-year-old Archbishop of Milan, and he has taken the name of Pope Paul VI. There have been all-night broadcasts and all-day broadcasts in and through this Studio 9. Invasions, coronations, elections, and the collapse of empires. Events like the drive across France, reported by Bill Downs and Larry Lesseur. The founding of the United Nations, reported by Ned Calmer. The rise of post-war Germany, reported by Richard C. Hotelet. The sinking of the Andrea Doria, reported by Douglas Edwards. And then there came the day of the broadcast that at first no one could quite believe, no one wanted to believe. The day of November the 22nd, 1963. Alan Jackson was on the air. We interrupt this program for a CBS Radio Net Alert Bulletin. President Kennedy and Governor John Connolly of Texas were both hit by a would-be assassin's bullets as they toured downtown Dallas in an open automobile a short while ago. That is the latest word that had just come in from Dallas on United Press International. Uh, the Associated Press, in its first report, says that President Kennedy was shot just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Mrs. Kennedy, who was riding with him, jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy and cried, Oh, no. As I listened to that tape just now, um, I recall that the first dawning of the, the disaster that had happened came to me intuitively, perhaps, when I read, across, read the quote of Mrs. Kennedy when she said, Oh, no. Somehow, this just struck me very deeply at the time. Uh, this was one of those stories where you believe it, and yet you don't want to believe it. Uh, and then, of course, as time went on, you kept fearing the inevitable conclusion that you knew was coming. I have the slightest idea of anything else that was happening that day. Uh, it was the usual run of things, I suppose, uh, Africa and Europe and maybe something at the UN, but at this moment, I can't recall anything else but that one story. I don't think I ever will, for that matter. It wasn't long before the word was final. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States is dead. John F. Kennedy has died of the wounds received in an assassination in Dallas less than an hour ago. We repeat, it has just been announced that President Kennedy is dead. That was the hardest announcement I ever put on the air, any time. Um, it took a great, big, deep breath on my part to be able to get it out. Here was this thing which had happened. You knew it was true, and yet there was this great reluctance to announce it as a fact, and yet it had to be done. It was something like 15 or 20 minutes later before the wires came through with the announcement that the president had died. Uh, here was another great bit of awful agony in waiting out confirmation. You, you were fearful of being, having reported the death too soon. And on the other hand, you were hoping that maybe you had been wrong after all, but yet knowing that you couldn't be. Politics, as much as anything, were a part of Studio 9. And they echoed again through here from San Francisco's Cow Palace, where the Republicans were nominating Senator Barry Goldwater as their presidential candidate. I was there at the convention, my 15th, keeping track of the tally. Mr. Chairman, 
Sailing into the air, the final demonstration on this night of nominations, as just as we had expected, South Carolina did it and put him over. It's the Goldwater party now. Barry Goldwater is the Republican candidate for the presidency, and they're unrolling a big banner down there in one of the delegations in those gold letters, Arizona's Barry is America's future. It takes three men to hold that one. The Republican Convention of 1964, the last one to go through this Studio 9. As we say goodbye to the one room that has been headquarters and home to all CBS News correspondents, three of them tell us what it has meant to them. John Daly, H.V. Kaltenborn, and Edward R. Morrow. Well, I was brung up in this room, and I really was. I learned much of my trade here. Uh, very often we tend to forget that uh, the days which culminated in, on December 7th in the attack on Pearl Harbor uh, really were the, the days when we first put together what is now the great electronic news fraternity. And uh, almost overnight, we built a tremendous organization. And one thing, I sit around this table, I think of the careers that started here, men who came out of, of other disciplines in the communications field, Major George Fielding Elliott, who was our military analyst for so many years, Elmer Davis. Quincy Howe, uh, that great CBS staff, uh, got its basic training right at this table in Studio 9. Well, Bob, I feel that it was a great opportunity for radio, and I'm only happy that I was one of the minor instruments in uh, voicing it for the American people. Any accomplishment like that makes us feel that we have not lived in vain. Very difficult to put it into words, Bob. I can remember it in the utmost detail. I know exactly where the leather couch was. How you used to swing that microphone around through a three-quarter angle. I'm wondering about your new quarters. I haven't seen them, but I'm wondering if they will make it any easier to know what to say and how to say it. I rather doubt it, no matter how fancy they are. What do you think? I doubt it very, very much. <laughs> very much. Now that we have come to the end of our look backward, one point stands out. How much of the history of three decades went through this studio? How little of it we have been able to bring back in this space of time? So many broadcasts, so little time to remember them. Let us salute the words that, because time cannot be expanded, were not spoken again on this broadcast today. As the electric current dies and the microphones grow cold, as the lights are switched off, and the soundproofing comes off the walls as Studio 9 itself passes into the history of our times. Farewell to Studio 9 with Robert Trout. Produced for CBS News by Al Snyder. Correspondent Steve Rowan was special reporter. Audio engineers... Mort Goldberg and Mike Choskis. Research by Jerry Morgan. Executive producer, Lee Hanna. This is George Bryan speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network.
Take it back to the automation system, everybody. We'll talk to you on Sunday. Good night. Love you all. Alt tab. Alt tab. Alt tab. Sound Forge Pro 11th.